Elliot, it was Jen Barr from CBC Sports who first told me about it. Did you get it? Has it arrived yet? Oh, don't worry. It's still early. Don't worry. It'll come. Trust me. It'll show up. He'll do it. Don't worry. Do you know what I'm talking about, Freach? I do not. The Elliot Friedman Merry Christmas text. That is, for all your colleagues, the indication that you have arrived. And mine came December 25th, 2007. I think I want to say it was around 1030, maybe 1040. Not sure where I was on your pecking order that season, but it's come at various times every year and you have never crossed over to 12 o'clock. You've always got it done first thing in the morning. Uh, welcome to the 31 Thoughts Holiday Party. Elliot, I'm guessing this is sort of a an audio version of your annual Christmas text to your friends. Yes and no. I'm still going to do those this year. But this year I wanted to do something a little bit different. And we talked about it with the podcast. And that is kind of a Christmas holiday party with some of our Sportsnet, uh, NHL on Sportsnet, and uh, Hockey Night in Canada co-workers. And initially, our list, Jeff, had 52 people on it. Oh, yes, it did. It was everybody. So basically, it was everybody you see on Sportsnet's hockey coverage. It was some of the people behind the scenes. And it was also the some of the most of the writers who cover hockey for Sportsnet.ca. And our outstanding producer, Amal Delich, pulled a wildcat strike. I'm not convinced it was a completely legal maneuver. Like if we had gone to the Ontario government and said, Mm. this is not a legal job action. I think, Jeff, we had a good case. But he looked at the timing. He said, that will be an eight-hour podcast. We cannot do that. So between us, uh, we made the very difficult decision. I think it ends up being 24 guests. It's something like that. Um, The podcast is three hours. It's the longest one we've ever put. And it was tough. Like There's some people who ended up on the cutting room floor who I know are going to be reaching out to me and saying, what? What do I have to do? What did I do to you, Friedman, that I got cut (laughs) from this list? And I know that behind the scenes, there will be complaints of not enough behind-the-camera representation, which Mm -hmm. is legit. I do not like to say that the people behind the camera are any less important than on-air people, but you have to make the decisions that you make. But at the end of the day, we wanted something fun. It's been a hard year, a difficult challenge, and we think that you will enjoy some fun conversations with some of the people you know from our show and our station and uh, a bit of a relaxation and just a bit of a journey through their lives and the year. We enjoy doing the interviews, Jeff, so we hope you enjoy listening to them. We know we've been self-indulgent before and submitted to you on a weekly basis, really long podcasts. Uh, This one, as Elliot mentions, may take the cake, but nonetheless, it's Christmas time. It's a holiday season. If you have an extra three hours, give it a listen. Have some fun. But you don't have to listen to it all at once. I mean, you can. No, that's not true. You have to listen to it all at once. Quarantine yourselves from your family, (laughs) go into a remote place in your home, and just listen to this podcast. Screaming children, nagging spouses, doesn't matter. Ignore all of it and just listen 
<laughs> I like that. Our, Jeff. our holiday special. That is your order <laughs> uh, this holiday season for each. Now, one of the things we do is uh, Christmas cheer, and we ask everybody at the beginning, you know, what can we fill your cup with? And Jeff, you and I are at the opposite ends of the spectrum. I like to imbibe, yeah. you do not. So we want everyone to know whether you do like a sip of alcohol or not, you are welcome. And what will we put in your glass? You know, whenever I go out, it's either just a soda and lime or a ginger ale. I have become, uh, as my wife likes to say, born to be mild. How about you, Fridge? Which one do you feel like today? I'll take ginger ale. Feeling frisky. Ginger ale with a lime. Ooh, I'm crazy. All right, a ginger ale with a lime for my partner. And for me, uh, in moments like this, I like a real peaty scotch. Not only do I want to enjoy a good whiff of a good scotch, I want everyone out to enjoy it around me. So I'm going to take um, a Lagavulin with one ice cube. And the reason I like Lagavulin is one time uh, after a night at HNIC, I enjoyed a glass of it with Adam Oates and Kelly Rudy. And they're both like, man, that stuff stinks. <laughs> I love it. So I, I'll take one of those. And Amal, you know, I know you have to edit these while you're doing this. So there's a limit to how much you're allowed to have. But while you put it together, what are you going to sip? Lots of coffee so I can get through this editing <laughs> session. All right. A coffee, maybe a little bit of something for Amal. So Jeff? Yeah. Do you want to welcome in our first guest? Yeah. And I'd also like to mention as well that considering this is a three-hour podcast and Elliot's already drinking single malt scotch, we're getting him off this pod probably with a soup ladle by the end. (laughs) As we open the doors, welcome to the 31 Thoughts Holiday Party. David Amber is here, host of Hockey Night in Canada. David, what is your drink of choice at a party like this? Well, fellas, uh, I guess I'm in the mood for a little tequila. Why don't we do a little tequila on the rocks? Christmas tequila. Are you one of those people that sip tequila or are you a shooter? Because I know plenty of my friends like the uh, the high quality tequila they sip like single malt scotch. Yeah, yeah. Let's sip it. Let's. Uh, we're we're a bit more refined here. I'm not going to be you know doing shooter after shooter with you guys. So, yeah, just a nice a nice Patron will work. This is the first of twenty uh, something guests. This is going to be a really short podcast. If tequila's <laughs> answer for everybody, <laughs> <laughs> it's holiday time. You know, it's unfortunately a very strange year. What's the holiday going to be like for you and your family? It's going to be quiet. It's going to be remarkably quiet, but uh, it'll be some family time. My wife and two kids. I have two teenage kids, and uh, we'll be chilling out. We usually have uh, my family. I have my mom and uh, a couple of sisters uh, and some nieces and nephews who usually come by for dinner uh, and to spend the whole day, but that's not going to happen this year, unfortunately. And uh, my wife, her family's uh, you know across the Atlantic and South Africa and in Scotland, so they're not coming either. So it'll be a little bit quiet, but I plan to actually get out and uh, get on the rink and do a little bit of skating uh, with my wife and kids. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. So you have an outdoor rink? You got an outdoor rink? 
No, we don't. Uh, I, you guys have these palatial estates with big rinks. I'm a, I'm a city dweller with uh, limited space. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping that we could get to one of the public rinks. Uh, I, I was out a few nights ago, and I know some of them are open, and I'm hoping on uh, Christmas Day we'll get a chance to do a little bit of skating and just spend some family time. True or false, uh, Santa may bring you a new pair of blades this year. Yeah, I'm working on that. I might have to be my own Santa and take care of that. But uh, I know, Jeff, we were talking about that. That's definitely something uh, I think I'm ready for. I've had the same pair of skates for literally like 15, 16 years, and they've been great. And I hate the feel of putting on a new pair because I know how how much pain that could uh, cause the feet. But I I think it's time for it since the the ankle's getting worn out on my blades. Like When you bought your last pair of skates, did you get them baked? Yeah, I did. Honestly, like that is one of the great delights for me because it forces you to sit down and not do anything and your feet are warm for 15 minutes yeah i think i slept on them it's so good man (laughs) it's such a it's such a great moment like when you go and get new skates that feeling of it's almost like like my friends that smoke cigars tell me the same thing it's like it's forced stillness that you're forced to sit down and enjoy something and i get that same feeling by sitting in big skates Same with taping a stick. I still tape my son's sticks. I ask him if I can do it because I I enjoy doing it. There's a certain pattern I like to do, and I still do it. He's, uh, you know, hang on, hang on, hang on. Elliot's like, okay, here comes Merrick with the tape BS again. Here we go. (laughs) Uh, What's your technique? I was always taught heel to toe gathers no snow. What's yours? (laughs) I never heard that, but that's pretty good. Yeah, I always start heel to toe. I mean, does anyone start toe to heel? I don't know. I mean, weird. no sane, right-thinking really person would. Yeah, that. I also do that one layer under. You know, I do the layer under. You do uh, it at under the bottom. The, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, old school. That way, you don't have to do as many tape jobs. Well, you know what's funny? One of my favorite Christmas memories. So my dad's Jewish, so he he wasn't around at Christmas very often. He actually would go in and work on Christmas Day um, as as a non-Christian. But I remember one time, my one of my favorite Christmas memories, hockey related, was as a little guy, probably about six or seven, and I came down the stairs and there were stockings there, which was rare because usually we would kind of push Christmas to Boxing Day. <laughs> but there was a stocking there and there was a stick. It was like a long leotard. I was probably like six years old and I was so excited. I, I remember, I think it was one of those like Sherwood 5030s or something like that. PMPs, baby. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. We didn't get a chance to do this very often because my, my dad was at work, but we, we taped up the stick and we went out to our local um, rink just an outdoor rink. It was at a park called John Sibelius Park. And mm-hmm. people who are in downtown Toronto listening to this podcast will know this one in uh, in the annex. And we skated around for a couple hours. That was one of my fondest Christmas memories, just hanging out for a couple hours outside, soaking in, you know, the beautiful weather and taking in the game. So uh, maybe I'll try and recapture that now that here we are in a pandemic. It'd be a good time to try and relive that uh, with my family this uh, winter time. That's awesome, man. And what are you most looking forward to? It's been a brutal year, as we said, for everybody. What are you most looking forward to 2021 for you and your family? You know what, Elliot? We talked a lot this year. Uh, just some normalcy. It's funny. If, if there's one unintended consequence of this horrible pandemic, maybe we will we won't take for granted uh, collectively all the things that maybe we're just we took for granted all those years before just spending time with family and friends and being able to run around and uh you know i can't wait to see live sports in person i can't wait to go to a concert in person yes uh restaurants bars etc get on a plane remember you and i travel a lot elliot Mm -hmm. and and all of us do and jeff 
and it would be, be begrudging, oh, here, we got to go to blank next week. And now I'd be like, hey, hey, let's go. <laughs> so I just think maybe this, we can all set the reset button and just have a greater level of appreciation for all the smaller things in life that maybe we took for granted. And I'm really excited for 2021. Enough of 2020. Let's flip the page and uh, move over. You know, I just have to say, Jeff, before we say goodbye to David, yeah. that one of the things about the GM meetings that David would come and he would host it is um you know he'd, he'd bring like the extra small shirt so the gms could see how ripped he was <laughs> i i'm really looking forward to that next year i missed that this season. we call that the mark bergevin collection <laughs> <laughs> let me end on this one then what is the one thing you know to that that little conversation we had a second ago about you know wanting to go to a concert and wanting to uh, to get on a plane again what's the one thing you think you'll never complain about again da oh man Oh boy, the one thing I won't complain about again. You know, when you're in the airport and there's chaos and your yep. flight's delayed, and I was one of those, ah, here we go, flight's delayed. I won't complain about that because I, I miss the ability to just go and get on a plane and three hours later you're sitting on a beach somewhere. So yes. uh, I, that's behind me, at least in the, in the short term future. I have another one. Amber always is the first guy in line. And you know what? I learned this. You know what the gate agents call that? Gate lice. <laughs> So Amber, Amber would always be the first guy in line. We like, oh, gate lice Amber. He's in his spot. I like to sit down. I like to get my position. What can I say? Elliot's the last guy in line. Oh, yes. No surprise there. <laughs> All right, um, man. Thanks for joining us at our uh, at our holiday party here, man. Glad to have you, Dave. Continued great work. And listen, guys, I look forward to being back in the studio with both of you and uh, happiness and health uh, in 2021 for all of you guys. Awesome. Same to you, DA. Be well. Thank you. He's one of the best in the biz. He's uh, he's Dan Murphy who joins us now at the uh, the Thirty One Thoughts Christmas party. Murph, what's your drink of choice? If I'm going beer, it's Guinness uh, almost always, but usually red wine or like vodka on the rocks with a little fresh lime juice. So those are kind of the three go tos for me. But I'm not uh, I'm not against anything except for maybe rum. Can't drink rum for some reason. So vodka rocks. Red wine or Guinness. Those are the three. Nice. We'll serve you all three of them and make sure you have a taxi chit for the way home or an Uber chit. For the- <laughs> so, so the thing about Dan Murphy that I don't know if anybody knows this, but nobody in British Columbia had their Christmas lights up earlier this year than Dan Murphy. <laughs> Not only that, I think I, I don't know if it was Instagram, but our Halloween decorations were up before the start of October. <laughs> And so I saw Elliot got a kick out of that text me and literally before the Halloween decorations were down, the Christmas lights were already up. Oh, and it's my wife like to get this person to do what we have to do it now. So I'm like, okay. And at least they didn't get turned on until I wouldn't let her turn them on until we got like close to December. And then to top it all off, well, the Christmas tree was up early. We always take the Christmas tree down on the 26th. So it's gone quick too, but I came out one morning and my daughter and my wife thought it was so funny. They put the antlers and the red nose on my car. <laughs> well, at what point do you start playing Christmas music around your house? Um, they were making wreaths one day. It would have been in November. Uh, so they were playing it a little bit. But luckily, we'll play it for a little bit and it can't go on a continuous loop. Uh, my daughter's only eight, so she likes a lot of that music. But it certainly can't go longer than you know, an hour. The reason I ask that, Murph, is I can listen to Charlie Brown Christmas, the music by the great Vince Guaraldi, 
great jazz pianist. I can honestly, it can be the middle of July and I'll put that on, no problem. My wife and kids look at me sideways, but seriously, any month of the year, I can listen to, to Vince Guaraldi and the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Sounds like we need to swap families. <laughs> it sounds like it, eh? So Murph, um, you know, obviously all of our plans are a bit different this year. What's a, what's a Murphy family Christmas normally look like? Usually uh, we'll have my wife's um, stepmom over on Christmas Eve. And so she'll stay overnight and then wake up and do presents in the morning. And Chrissy's mom then will come uh, later on Christmas Day. And then usually sometime like the 26th or 27th, we go over to the island. Uh, my sister and her family are in Comox, and that's where my dad is as well. So that's usually what it looks like. We visit all, all parts of the family in a few days, four or five days. But obviously different this year. We're going to have her stepmom over on the 24th and her mom over on the 25th because they live on their own. So they're allowed to come for a dinner. But that's about uh, all the all the visitors will have this year because of COVID. Now, favorite Christmas hockey memory or holiday hockey memory for you? Well, I was thinking about this, um, and so I, I, was, I went back to my earliest memory of getting a, a hockey-themed gift, and I, I think it was a Ken Dryden jersey when I was about 10 because I was obsessed with goaltenders. And, uh, of course, a hockey night, even in BC, it was the Habs or the Leafs is what you got. But I thought that would be a little boring. Um, and then I thought, here's the perfect uh, Christmas uh, hockey story. In the 20 years I've done the job, we've had one flight that's been canceled. One. Hmm. Total. That's it. And uh, it was a back-to-back situation, Canucks playing at home, flying to Calgary and playing the next day against the Flames. And that night, we got to the airport, and it was snowing so much in Calgary that we couldn't take off because we wouldn't be able to land. So they said, everybody back to go back home, come back to the airport uh, in the morning, and we'll fly day of game. Now, where it gets interesting is that that night, Yannick Hansen's wife went into early labor and gave birth to twins. So it was the only time a flight's ever been canceled, and it happened to be that night. And so he was home for the birth and got to play the game the next night. And I thought, this is a Christmas miracle, right? Hmm. Only except I wanted to go back and check the date, and it happened in March. (laughs) 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 Snow in March in Calgary, and we couldn't land, so that didn't work. So I I guess my only childish one these days is... Uh, when the World Juniors come on and Ferrar's doing a stand-up, I always sit on the couch, open beer, take a picture of the beer in front of the TV as he's working, and I'll send that's it to awesome. him. And whatever he is doing, that's what I do, and I'll quickly get a text back telling me to F off. So that's kind of my <laughs> holiday tradition these days. It's a challenge. I can't believe Ray would react that way. It's very surprising. It's quick. Well, we look forward to seeing you on the, the Canucks broadcast in January, man. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys, and uh, have uh, great holidays and be safe. And I look forward to seeing you guys and talk to you soon. All right. He is the star of headlines. Sorry, Elliot, on Hockey Night in Canada. Here's Chris Johnston, uh, who joins us now. CJ, what is your Christmas drink of choice? Depends the time of day, but uh, I like to have a lot of them on Christmas, uh, usually, at least in adulthood nowadays. But um, probably if we're sitting down at the table together, I might have some red wine with you. But a big thing in our house, even back to when I was a kid, obviously when I was young, I wasn't doing it. We would, uh, my parents would always have champagne and orange juice in the morning on Christmas morning. And that's something now that uh, I'm old enough to indulge in that. Uh, I, I also do that too. Oh, bologna and Coburg, they start them early. That's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, the drinking age is about 14 there. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's rum and Becker's eggnog though. Were you ever an eggnog kid back in the day? Not really. Eggnog something I have like once every four years or something just to be polite somewhere. And you're just reminded of how gross it is and then you move on? 
It doesn't work for me. I, I mean, look, I'm not judging anyone who loves it, but uh, even in alcohol, whatever, I'm just, no, I'm a hard no on eggnog if I've got a say in the matter. Now, CJ, this year, you have put this year as to good use as anybody I know. You picked up a big running regimen and you look terrific. Like, tell us what you did because uh, I think it's very impressive. Oh, well, you're not supposed to talk about things you do for uh, your, your physical improvement. But, you know, I, I think for me, it was pretty simple, Elliot, is, you know, back in somewhere in April, I, w- I was pretty miserable, if I'm being honest. I'm, I'm an upbeat, optimistic person, but and I don't tend to worry too much. But just when the, the pandemic first hit and, and having life stop on a, you know, a moment's notice and obviously you're worried about the health of your friends and family you know, what could happen to our industry, our jobs, all those types of things. I, I sort of found myself in a bad place. And, and, you know, about 10 years ago, I used to actually be an avid runner. I ran some marathons and things like that. And so mm-hmm. I started running again. And I actually started April 30th and have run every single day since. So uh, I'm up over 200 days now. And um, it's really honestly helped my mental health as much as my physical health. And uh, I'm really glad I, I got back into it because it, it wasn't something I ever stopped on purpose. It's just one of those habits, like kind of a good habit that I lost along the way, especially with the amount of travel I do. Probably been one of the, the saving graces of my year, to be honest, because uh, I feel a lot better now than I did back in April. That's amazing and inspiring. Great on you. That's, it is. It's fantastic. And listen, as, as someone who runs as well, not as often uh, or as long as you do, uh, that's fantastic news. I remember the first time we met, you were still doing uh, doing marathons. Where's your favorite place to run? I mean, you, you travel and you strike me as a kind of guy that, okay, I'm off the plane. I want to stretch my legs. I'm going to get my run in right away. Where's your favorite place that you've been running? I like the waterfronts, you know, like I like Chicago. They've got a great long uninterrupted trail along the waterfront downtown there that that's gorgeous. You know, honestly, I'm, I might be a bit biased. I live downtown in Toronto and basically every day you can find me out on the waterfront trail here. Anywhere where you can go where you're not dealing with lights too much, uh, where you can kind of just get lost in it for me is is good. I, you know, I think everyone's a little different with what they do when they run. I, for me, it's almost meditative. Like my brain barely functions. I just go and... Yep. Uh, fall into a state and just just try to enjoy myself. So hills. What about hills, CJ? I like hills, especially now that I've been running for two hundred days. Because <laughs> <laughs> back in April, I could I I didn't like them too much when I was woefully out of shape. But um, I, I do find a rolling hill is nice. I remember way back when I covered the World Hockey Championships in Switzerland, and I was staying somewhere in the hills, and I just ran in the hills for oh. three straight weeks, and it was amazing. Honestly, it was. It was so great, but there's there's not a ton of hills down here where I live, but but I am not adverse to that because it's kind of a nice rhythm, uh, you know, having a, a brief hard part and then the, the nice downhill. Last running question, Elliot, I swear. Uh, it's all good. Hate or love the treadmill? Hate. Hard hate on that one. I mean, you know, we're talking right now on a day, guys, that's minus 16 wind chill here and, and I'm still going outside. I, I would I would rather. Did you run today? I did. Yeah. You are awesome. I mean, I would tell you, I would roll over in bed and say, see ya in April. Elliot, you're not a good listener. I just told you I've ran every day since April 30th. And, and somehow you're still amazed to hear that includes today. I'm just making sure. Like, I'm just, I'm not a good listener, but I'm just making sure. Oh, that's awesome. I CJ, I, I have incredible admiration for this. And I, I, the reason I asked is I do think that, this year has been challenging for all of us. And for you to find a lining like that, I think it's a hugely important message in 2020 for a lot of people. I think it deserves incredible credit. 
Well, I'm not out here preaching. Let's be clear on that because I know some other people, their instincts were to go the opposite way was to sit inside the house and not do anything. And they've probably put on weight. I mean, I think this has been a year where you just had to do whatever felt natural to you. And honestly, for me, this was more survival. I mean, I live in a condo. It was a chance to get out and get fresh air and, and just clear my mind. And so it's, it's been, uh, it's definitely been my highlight of the year so far. Now, normally with you and Krista, who's also a member of the Rogers family, what would Christmas normally be like for you guys and how will you adapt to it this year? Well, normally we'd be at either my parents' place or her parents' place. Uh, we we kind of move it around from year to year. You know, obviously this year we're, we're not going to do that. We'll just be alone uh, at our at our condo here in Toronto. We've been pretty conservative uh, with making sure to follow the rules, not see anyone. We haven't been going to restaurants since March or anything like that. So it'll just be a little bit more low key. We'll we'll do some FaceTimes and that with uh, some family members that are around the country, and um, hopefully look forward to to getting back to our old traditions, I guess, in 2021. Christmas in Coburg, CJ. Finish this equation. Coburg plus hockey plus Christmas equals blank. Heaven? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty proud to be from my hometown, as people like to josh me about because I bring it up so much. But, um, you know, for me, it's funny when, when you know, Amol contacted me, your producer, and he's like, think of a Christmas story. And it's like, when I think of Christmas, all I can think of is hockey. Like every childhood gift I can still remember now as, as an adult approaching middle age was around hockey. Like my favorite things I always got, you know, it was a time obviously, you know, with my family, we, we'd watch the World Juniors, you know, starting Boxing Day usually. We'd go out and skate too quite often, not necessarily on Christmas Day, but somewhere between the 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th, somewhere in there, we'd usually do a big family out outing skating. So it's all tied together for me. You know, that the place I grew up that I have fond memories for that time, that specific time in my life with my family. And then, you know, a sport that I, I love so much that it's become, you know, my, my job and, and a huge part of who I am. So it's hard for me to kind of separate all that. I mean, to me, it all goes together and it's still, again, my, my, my favorite memories are all tied around sort of Christmas morning opening. You know, like the time I got an Easton aluminum hockey stick, the one that Wayne Ooh. Gretzky started having. like mm. The silver or the silver gold? Silver and black. Yeah. And, uh, mm. you know, that yep. was probably my favorite gift. Uh, I got a Doug Gilmore jersey somewhere in the early 90s and, and wore that thing threadbare. Got blades of steel for my Nintendo at one point as a, <laughs> as a pretty yes. cherished gift. But, I mean... Quite literally, all of the favorite gifts I can remember. I apologize to my aunts who probably knitted me nice sweaters and things I've long since <laughs> forgotten. But if you gave me a hockey gift, chances are I still remember it. Well, bud, I can't tell you how excited I am to start doing headlines again with you sometime uh, next year. It's going to be soon. I wish you guys uh, great holidays with, with your families and, and to all the listeners out there the same. Louis, I'm slowly sipping on this uh, ginger ale. What is Mr. DeBrusque drinking for this Christmas uh, party? <laughs> you know what? Uh, we have a tradition in our family, you know, since the kids were young, we have an apple cider, a sparkling apple cider that kind of resembles champagne. And we always have a couple bottles of that on the go. Uh, my wife stocked up on it already, and I think she's got six of them to go for the holiday season. So we're ready in that regard. Have you been able to hunt? We talked about this with you the last time you were on. Yeah, you know what? I actually hunted a lot this year, guys. I, uh, I'm still kind of recovering from it, to be honest with you. I spent a lot of time in the tree stand, chased after some moose, chased after elk, chased after whitetail. Not having this much time off at this time of year is was kind of an anomaly for me, obviously, and you guys as well. 
I took full advantage of it. I went after him and was uh, successful with my moose and whitetail and uh, and grinded it out right to the end. What's the coldest you've ever been doing that? I mean, I was just before Ooh. we recorded this out in the backyard uh, on the rink with my wife, and I lasted about maybe 10 minutes until I wussed out and had to come back inside. What's the coldest you've been out there hunting, Lou? It's been pretty cold. Well, I remember my first full year in Edmonton. Well, sorry, be my second year in Edmonton. We went ice fishing. Uh, way up northern Alberta uh-huh. on Lesser Slave Lake. And with the wind chill in our ice chalets that day, I believe it was in the minus 60s, Whoa. 50s or 60s. Yeah, it oh, was ridiculous. Louis. Like literally, it was one of those situations <laughs> where if you would have taken a cup of hot water and thrown it in the air, there's no way it would have touched the ground. It would have just poof into ice immediately. But when you were in the chalet, believe it or not, you were down to a t-shirt because you were so hot in there. It was just a really weird environment. And it was new for me in that regard. But for bull hunting for me, the thing with bull hunting is you have to sit still. You're in a tree typically. I've been out there in minus 35, minus 40 with the wind chill. It's been really chilly. Now, as I get a little bit older, guys, I'm not going to lie to you, I might avoid that day, even though it's some <laughs> of the best hunting. <laughs> That's the best hunting you're going to have. I might wait until it's minus 25 or minus 20 where it's very uh, comfortable for me to sit in a stand for hours in that temperature. So you are used to a schedule at this time of year. Your son, Jake, is is used to a schedule at this time of year. How's it been for you guys? And the people around you have you both around uh, much more than normal. How's it been for them? <laughs> You're going to have to ask them, Elliot. I'm not sure, but I think my wife's probably going to be happy to kick me out the door <laughs> when, uh, when I start working again. Um, no, you know what? To be honest with you, I mean, in all this craziness in our globe right now, that's probably been the one positive out of the whole situation is the amount of time you can spend at home. It's been great having Jake home for months. You know, he went off and did the bubble, played hockey, but he's been home. And to have him around for the length of time that we've been able to have him around, we just haven't had that, you know, for a long time. So it's been really special. We've taken advantage of that. You know, my daughter's, you know, still in the house with us and working from home right now and doing her school from home. And, you know, it just... It's been great, but I think now everybody's looking at it saying, okay, it might be nice to kind of go and get back to work now. I think we've had enough time off. I know my son's feeling that way. Yeah, He told me that the other day. He said, listen, he's actually going to head to Boston early. And, uh, you know, he just thinks it's time to start dialing it up and getting ready. And he just doesn't want to get caught in a situation where he might have to quarantine for a certain amount of time. He wants to get in there and start working out and training and get ready. And I said, that's probably the best decision. And Listen, we've all had a lot of time off. It's been fantastic. You know, obviously, to be able to spend that time with family in a real trying time. But now it's kind of like, okay, let's start looking forward and hopefully getting back to more normalcy. What household chore did Jake thought he escaped that he was forced to do this year? Uh, Are you kidding me? He does nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It's unbelievable. You know what? You know he actually bought a house this year, so he 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 has shoveled his driveway a couple times, from what I understand, which is one of those things that uh, that comes with that. The garbage going out is another thing. Like he he's had to take on those responsibilities because he has his own place now. But my daughter does more than he ever does. She she's the one that uh, we can always count on her to be be ready and available to make sure the house stays together if we're ever not here for a couple of the days. But I don't know if I would leave it in his hands too often. What's your favorite Christmas hockey memory? Yeah, you know what? When I found out I was coming on with you guys, I, I kind of started thinking through it. And obviously, I mean, I got Christmas gifts as a kid that was that were really special. I heard a little bit of the end of CJ there, and he talked about that Easton silver stick that Gretzky used to use. And 
everybody remembers those. You know, that was like uh, yeah. I funny story about that is I actually asked for one. I was a healthy scratch in LA one day and I started talking down by the Zamboni, the trainer said, hey, listen, is there any chance I could get a stick from Wayne? And sure enough, after the game, um, he walked down and handed me a sign that I still have today. I've since given it to my son, Jake. It's now in his house. But wow. you know what? It was just a great, you know, for me, you know, Gretzky was always up on a platform for me, even as a tough guy. But growing up, I did get a Titan stick, and that's why I'm circling around this story. I got a Titan stick, and it was the Titan that Gretzky used to use back in the day. Hmm. You know, the commercial where he was tapping the puck with his brother, and he smacked it out of the air. And I think I broke it on day two, and I was oh. devastated. I was devastated because, I, you know, it's just so special to have that stick. But if I'm going to tell you my favorite, though, it's actually a little bit of a late Christmas gift. I was playing for the London Knights in junior, and I got a late Christmas gift where the Rangers called me up to play an exhibition game against the Russians. And it was Sieska from Moscow that came in, and they were stacked. I mean, they were a stacked team. I believe in the next three years, there was over 15 players off that team that played the National Hockey League. Pavel Bury was obviously their star. But I just remember getting that call up, playing at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Roger Nelson was the coach. I played on a line with Ty Domi and Mark Jansen. <laughs> Oh my! I felt, like I, I felt like I was 11 feet tall out there. What was that? The no BS line? Yeah, that was like, don't touch us line. And you guys <laughs> know how it was. And I'll be totally honest. It was, we didn't look at the Soviets, the Russians in a friendly way. We just didn't. You know what? At that time, it was still a real separation. And, you know, we looked at them as coming over here and embarrassing us. So we took some liberties that game. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny that. We played a very physical game. Mm. They absolutely took that punishment and just fed us our lunch. They really did. They were a fantastic team. Sergei Zubov. I mean, I played with I think six guys off of that team over the course of my career. I bumped I crossed paths with like Andre Kovalenko, Boris Mirnov, um, Igor Kravchuk, you know, just guys that they all trickled in from that Russian league. And that was the real influx of European players, especially from Russia in the next few years. I mean, the league just blew up with European players and the league's been better because of it. You know, it was at that time though, we didn't look at it that way, but now looking back, it's just, just going back and reminiscing, it's been amazing to see the names that came through there. And, you know, Sergei Fedorov was on that team the year before he was already in, he was one of the first to come over from that group and he was in Detroit already, but just amazing hockey players that eventually were able to come over and play in the best league in the world. Um, and you could see their dominance when we played against them. They were fantastic. They were unbelievable skaters and players. But, you know, the funniest part of that story, though, and why I always remember it, I get there, I fly in, it's an afternoon game, and I'm just excited to be up and put the Rangers uniform on. And it's funny because Bernie Nichols comes up to me in the dressing room and hands me this blonde wig and says, you have to wear this for warm-up. No bucket, put this long wig on. You know, the Russians are going to think we're crazy because it's big guys flying around out there with a big <laughs> wig on. And being a rookie, what am I going to say when Bertie Nichols comes down and tells me to wear a wig? I'm like, all right, put it on. I'm a gamer and kind of funny. But uh, I always remember that. It was just a real good experience for me. It was, a, it was a great Christmas gift, a late Christmas gift. We played on New Year's Eve day. and uh, But I found out probably about four days before, and I, was, I always remember that as being a special gift. That's a fantastic story. And more important, though, Elliot, when I look at it, I reminisce with all the players that were on that team. And I remember we walked by their dressing room, coming down Madison Square Garden after the game, and they had this little tiny room, and all their equipment was just strong. It looked like the equipment was 20 years old. Kid you not. You know, I remember one guy, and I don't know who it was that got hurt. Somebody blew him up at the blue line. 
And uh, the trainer wouldn't even go on the ice to get him. And Dave Smith, who, you know, works with the league, was, was you know, he, he was the one, he was our trainer at that time. He was going to jump over the boards and go out there and grab this guy. Because he's like, are you not going to go get this guy off the ice? They just had a different mentality. They were tough as nails, though. They still are tough as nails. But back then, I think, because of the situation and where they were coming from, the desire to play, the desire to be better, to, to have a free life, to be honest with you, they were very determined. I, I, I recognized that from an early stage that you could hack them, you could whack them, you could try and you know give it to them physically, and they just they would take it and come back for more, no problem. Thank you so much, Louis, for coming on and coming by. We really appreciate it. Looking forward to uh, the season resuming. Yep, for sure. Yeah, okay, guys, thanks for having me on. Elliot, Sam Cosentino is here, and I, I really feel that the answer to this first question is going to be some type of fine Italian wine, but here we go. Sammy, what are you drinking at the holiday party? You spoiled it, man. So it would be a, <laughs> a 2015 Del Forno Amarone. Oh, Amarone. Nice. It runs at about 16%. That year is a really good year, and that bottle of wine is might be the best I've ever had. How did you come across this? The first time I had it was with my father-in-law. Mm-hmm. I ended up... Uh, buying a couple of bottles. There's a good wine store at the Sutton Place in Vancouver, and they happen to stock it. So I bought two bottles, and that was all I could afford, and that was way out of my league to start with. But it was so good. I still have – there's going to be one here that's going to be had uh, over Christmas to kind of say goodbye to this year. The other thing that I would do, if we're just sipping, mm-hmm. um, I think a little Louis would be would be my choice. Now, I had that when my daughter was born. Mm-hmm. That's delicious. But it's it's forty four hundred bucks a bottle, so I won't be drinking that anytime soon. I can promise. So on your weekly paycheck, you could get like ten. <laughs> yours somehow slide yours over to me. Uh, I was gonna say, just go to that <laughs> that that tree in the backyard you have there, Sammy, and pull some money <laughs> yeah. off of it and get yourself a get yourself a nice jug. Hey, I, I would I mean this is all bizarre for all of us, no matter you know what profession you're in or or who you are. How out of sync do you feel right now, considering you'd be covering not just junior hockey, but around Christmas time, there's tournaments. I mean, you go to OMHA games, GTHL games, you have your eyes on, you know, the, the prospects coming into junior hockey. How out of sync do you feel right now? Yeah, it's awful. Every time I talk to someone, they're, you know, scouts mostly, I'm so sick of video. You know, guys are sitting in Starbucks just to kind of get out of their house. No one's comfortable from not traveling. They appreciate the time with their family. But for me, it's like a 14-year rhythm. You know, we get going in November. We got our Canada-Russia series. And then it moves into World Junior Camp. We have a few games in between. Then at some point, I'm covering either the camp or the tournament itself. And then kind of get back into that, you know, weekly game schedule. Prospects game in January to kind of foreshadow the draft. So all of that stuff is completely out of whack. And, And like, I'm still talking to guys about what we just saw in, in the draft in October, about some of the surprises and, and that sort of thing. So that kind of hangover hasn't even played itself out yet. You know, Sam, I'm always interested in your career arc. You've had an interesting path to get to where you are. Um, you know, I, I first obviously met you when you were working in the Blue Jays clubhouse, and I always think it's very interesting about how you went from there to one of the foremost junior hockey and draft experts are in the industry. And, uh, I know you probably can't give us the full journey, but I'm interested in the thumbnail of, of how you got from A to B. 
The Blue Jays job was the best job you could ever have. At that time, everything was was free and easy, and you know, working with with those guys and being a part of the of the home clubhouse. Eventually, because I moved over from the visiting clubhouse, it was the best job ever. But it was only a seasonal job in that I'd go to spring training and I'd only work home games. So I always knew I wanted to be in broadcasting since I was seven years old, going to Woodbine Racetrack, and I knew if I could kind of manipulate some of the people I knew in the in the media side to give me part-time jobs like John Melville did at the score when I started there in 99. I also knew I wanted to get into game calling at some point, and I thought eventually it would be baseball, and it was for a short period of time. But the way to do that was to hook up with the Rogers local cast. So I did in Brampton, Mississauga, did some stuff, uh, radio in Barrie, and then in Toronto, St. Mike's, Dan Dunleavy, so on and so forth. And that's where my love for junior hockey started. And then that transitioned into taking up uh, a job with Sportsnet under Deb Sanderson in the 05-06 season, just based on junior hockey. Then it evolved into some lacrosse. Then it evolved into baseball. And so I was kind of doing all three things. And then 2010, the baseball stopped for me. And then I went kind of full bore into the hockey stuff. And then Rob Corte was a big proponent of mine to, to get going on the draft stuff. And so the first year we had the rights, in fact, the year before in Philadelphia, when we were knew we had the rights and we were just kind of seeing how things would work, was the first draft I worked on, and I think um, it opened some eyes. And then I know Rob fought hard for me to be one of our main panelists, uh, you know, starting the 2015 draft, and kind of the rest is uh, that's just the way it's gone. I've been I've been lucky for each. I, I've loved it. I will say this, and I don't want to toot my own horn, but I will a little bit. I think I'm probably the only guy in the country who's ever done color in an NHL game and a Major League Baseball game. I couldn't think of anybody else. Ooh, I would venture a guess to say in North America. I did one NHL game as the color guy back in March 1st, 2004. It was an overtime win for the Habs uh, over New Jersey at the Bell Center. And my baseball game was in 2000 and I want to say 10. And Ashby, Alan Ashby, was the game caller at the time. And for whatever reason, they just needed one game filled. And it was a game against Texas. And it was Roy Oswald pitching, and it got into a big mess with the manager and a whole deal. But I think I'm the only guy in North American sports to be the color guy for an MLB game and an NHL game. Hmm. That's awesome. Hey, Sammy, I want to I back up to lacrosse. So you mentioned lacrosse for a second there in, uh, in 0405. Did you cover that Toronto? I'm a big lacrosse guy. <laughs> Did you cover that rock team with, like, Popeye Doyle yeah. and Manning and Glenn yeah. Clark and Jim Sanderson. Veltman and all those guys, Sanderson? I mean, that was a heck of a run. Whenever that, I hear Popeye Doyle, by the way, I think of the French Connection. I don't. Think yeah, great movie. <laughs> Colin Popeye Doyle, man, he's a great lacrosse player. I, I loved it, and that building at the the, the Air Canada Center that was just a rocking place during that season. Did you cover that? So here, here's my funny story about lacrosse. I actually got into lacrosse as the PA announcer for the Rock. So 2004 was that year that you're talking about. I'm looking at the picture; it's here in my office right now. Team was unbelievable. We won the title, and I say we because um, Brad Waters was the president at the time, and we had a family connection there, and I ended up getting a championship ring. So I have the Toronto Rock hey, 2004 championship ring. No way. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's really cool, actually. Yeah. It's my only championship ring, obviously. And so it was the year after that when, I, when Deb signed me to do the CHL games, lacrosse just came up so i was the guy on the floor that job i'm telling you jeff for a guy like lacrosse was awesome because you could talk to and you know that you know all the guys are unbelievable 
you could talk to anyone. I was on the bench during the game. I was dodging balls. Guys are laughing at me. They're playing jokes and, and, and just having a blast. I loved working lacrosse. That was a ton of fun. We had, we had Shani up there and he was, you know, he's such a great guy and I miss it to be honest with you. I love working with those guys. All right. Favorite Christmas holiday memory. 2009 my uh, nephew i wasn't married i didn't have kids um you know obviously very much into the world juniors they were in ottawa that year so in 09 i ended up getting tickets to a game and my brother and my nephew who was like six at the time ended up taking a train to ottawa got off the train got in a taxi went to the game against kazakhstan watched canada win 15 nothing and then literally left that game and got on a plane that night and came home. And I'm like, and my, everyone in my family is like, what are you doing? The guy's six, the kid's six. How is he going to, so he was crushed by the end of it. He was, he was you know, <laughs> dog tired. And I thought that was just an opportunity in, in my life where I could kind of give that experience to my nephew. And so we did that and getting to hang out with my brother, obviously is always a, always a pleasure. You never do it as much as you like. So that was kind of the one memory I have. That was the 28th of December, 2009. 15 nothing but that was the Eberly year that was the year they beat russia i think in the semis that was the year they mm. pumped sweden in the final like five one six one whatever it was and so you know, the comeback kids all that sort of stuff Tavares. that team was really really good so i'm glad he got to see i if i had to go back there's probably 15 guys that had successful nhl careers off that that was such a fun ride uh that was such a fun tournament sammy this has been a lot of fun listen uh best to you and yours uh, your family and friends, the holiday season, all of it, healthy and well. Hopefully, uh, we can get you back in the broadcast booth because that means that junior hockey is back on. Thanks, pal. No kidding. Thanks a lot, guys. Happy holidays. Stay safe, and uh, let's get back to normalcy here in 21. From your lips to God's ears, man. Amen. Hey, Elliot. What? Who's the real star of hometown? You mean the person with actual talent? Yeah. Who is it? Oh, that would be Tara Sloan. Good morning. <laughs> That's very sweet, but you know that's entirely untrue. But thank you. <laughs> so, Tara, this is the uh, Christmas slash holiday party for the 31 Thoughts podcast. We invite everybody to join Jeff and I. It's not the red table, but we're imagining it's a table. Nor is it the Algonquin table, I assure you, either. The Algonquin table. And what can we serve you as you sit down? Well, anybody who knows me knows that I like a nice Napa cab. How about that? Excellent. We got one of those coming. So Sam Cosentino, by the way, went uh, exclusive Amarone. Loves the double-pressed tannins. No ooh, surprise. Yeah. Hardcore. Mm-hmm. So, Tara, your, your rise here at Sportsnet and Hometown Hockey, you've got one of the most fascinating career arcs of, of anyone at our place. And I'm just curious, like, did you ever see this being where you would end up? No, <laughs> definitely not. But it's also not entirely surprising, I guess. There was a certain point. I mean, I know when you kind of look at my trajectory on paper, going from musician to television host to hockey host, it looks a little disjointed. But really, as soon as I started to move into the broadcast world, I started to direct myself towards sports and towards hockey specifically. So that was intentional at that point. And that's just a result of my longtime love of the game and 
And also, you know, I give Michael Landsberg a lot of credit because I did his show off the record like 30 times when I was in my band Joy Drop. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of kind of wet my whistle a little bit. And he was actually the first person to um, help me put my demo reel together. So at a certain point, I really did direct myself towards what I'm doing now. But I hate to say this, but I, I mean, I grew up watching Ron McLean, right? Like, mm -hmm. so uh, yeah, I definitely would not have watched Hockey Night in Canada and thought I might be there. How much would we have to pay you to put that demo reel on television right now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I probably still have it on VHS somewhere. So no, I, I'd be curious to see it. I have no idea what could possibly be on it. I mean, I had almost nothing, <laughs> nothing to put on there. So if I find it, I promise you, you can see it. All right. I'm, I'm sorry. What is this VHS you speak of? I'm, I'm unfamiliar <laughs> with this terminology. Yeah, I know. Sorry, kids. It's a, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you look back and, and we're heading into the, I think the seventh year of our deal this year mm -hmm. with the NHL and Sportsnet, I don't know if anybody thought or what anybody thought the few, what hometown hockey was going to look like. Like the one thing I do remember is people saying like, I don't know how long-term this is going to be. <laughs> and now it's a huge part of our show. And I can't imagine uh, hometown hockey not existing as part of our package. And I'm wondering about this year. I don't know how much you're allowed to say, Tara, but this is going to be your biggest challenge because, you know, you've carved a huge part of that show, like, you know, basically going to these communities in advance, getting embedded, doing your challenges, becoming part of the community. And this year, we're not going to be able to do that. So this thing that you've created, which is a monster, how do you do it for this year? Uh, therein lies the challenge, really. I mean, you know, obviously technology is going to have a lot to do with it. I think one thing that probably we've all found throughout the last nine months is there is kind of a greater access. When we were in communities like Salmon Arm, for instance, you know, we may not have been able to do interviews with the most famous product out of Salmon Arm. Um, but right now, because every people are basically isolating and available, we will probably be able to do higher profile interviews sometimes if we want to or need to. So I do think that kind of access will exist and, and that will look a little bit different. But yes, I mean, it's going to be a big challenge. I mean, for our producers on the ground and for Ron and myself, because also, you know, just a huge part of information gathering mm. is just on the ground. Like you can really only learn so much on Google. What you really find out when you're on the ground is like, who is that important figure in this community? Who means a lot? Whose name do you do people from this place want to hear on a national broadcast? So that it's going to be really tough, but we're going to dive right in as much as we can. And I mean, we've always been of the leave no stone unturned mindset. And so it's just, uh, we'll just have to do it a different way. You know, one of the things that's, um, that we, I think we've all realized about ourselves is uh, we complain about things that ultimately we miss and wish we had back. Mm -hmm. What is the one, and one of the common things is uh, travel, specifically, you know, flights and airports and waiting in lines. What's the one thing that going back to, to March now, you've realized I'm never going to complain about again? I get busy and, um, you know, I don't want to say I'm a flake, but I think I've 
as I get busier and busier, I've had a tendency to put off meeting people that mean a lot in my life sometimes Hmm. just because I become overwhelmed. And I think, I think that's it. I think, you know, those are the relationships that I miss the most and the connections that I miss the most. And it's just all about the connections. Do I miss travel? Not that much. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, of course I miss like, you know, the access. Sure. I'd like the option, but, um, right. I'll take advantage of, of my friendships more. Uh, it's very well said. And I think a lot of us are feeling the same kind of way. My favorite segment that you do on TV, Tara, is when you go into a community and you try something. You try something that is a big part of the community. Of all of the things you've done, and I realize I may be asking you to pick your favorite child, what is your favorite, the one that sticks with you the most? Well, it was one of the earliest editions, I think, of My Hometown Must is what we we call those. I don't know that it's my favorite, but it was definitely the stupidest and therefore made the best TV, um, was we stopped in Thunder Bay on our second or third um, season. We did this sort of sauna, sauna experience with some Finnish expats there. There are a lot of Finns in Thunder Bay. Did the sauna and I, like just a sheep, followed them as they (laughs) jumped into Lake Superior. And this was in January. Um, I think the original plan was to come out of the sauna and roll around in the snow. But they, I don't know, they they had a lot of maybe liquid courage. Um, (laughs) And so I actually, like, I ran out. I saw them jump into the lake. I balked. I was like, this is insane. And then I slipped in. So, I mean, and it was, as you can imagine, it wasn't sub-zero, but it was pretty close. It totally took my breath away. I mean, I am so lucky that I did not kill myself. (laughs) So it was very dangerous, ill-advised. I don't think we could really get away with doing that again, nor would I want to. But by far, the best TV and the most memorable. That was nature saying you're going in. Oh, God. It was so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) The things we do for our shows. Right? Like, I would never do that in real life. (laughs) That's awesome. What are the holidays looking like for you this year? Well, pretty quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Like many of us. It's it's a bummer. Uh, No trips to Nova Scotia to see my family. We're all Mm. just uh, huddling up in our individual homes. Well, I like to call it Christmasica because I come from a multi-denominational family, but we have a Christmas tree, you know, when you have kids, it's, uh, as you know, it becomes all the more special. So sure. we'll have a, a quiet Christmas at home, lots of presents to compensate. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's it. Kids are the big winners. That's the key. The kids are the big winners. That's it. And it's, you know, how rough it's been on, on them. So, and just quiet. It's the calm before the storm. I think for all of us, as, as you both know, I'm going to just try to actually relax because I, I know that the new year is going to be a little bit uh, busy. Yes. Good advice, everyone. Take care of yourselves mentally and physically. That's, uh, that is awesome advice. Listen, uh, I know you got up uh, and, and fought some technology to get here. <laughs> and we appreciate it's a daily it. battle. You know that, right? <laughs> That's well, listen, we appreciate it. Uh, happy holidays uh, to you and yours. All the best. Thanks for joining us, Tara. Thanks, Jess. All right, Sean McKenzie dropping by. Uh, what can we get for you to drink, Sean? What is your drink of choice this Christmas? 
I would love a nice glass of Brunello, a nice glass of wine I'll go with. It depends on the scenery and uh, what's going on, but you two are classy gentlemen, so I'd sit down <laughs> and have a nice nice glass of Italian wine with you. Where, where does the love of wine come from for you? It's a funny story, actually, because a lot of people, I, I know uh, my old man is uh, is pretty into wine, and he posts on Instagram and Twitter, and a lot of people are like, oh, you know, you your old man got you into wine. And I want to go on record right now. You guys have a big following and say that I got him into wine. Oh, so I, I want to clear, I want to clear the air on this one. It actually started, uh, I'll make a long story, uh, short is I was going to Fanshawe college and I had to pick my elective courses and I was about 18 years old at the time. And I remember going through the electives and going, okay, you know, pop culture, that looks like a good one. That will be easy. And at the time my brother was playing division one hockey at uh, St. Lawrence and apparently, much, you know, not to my knowledge at the time, but he was known around campus as the guy who knew how to pick the easy electives. That's, you know, he would go to the freshman and be like, don't, don't take that course. This one's going to have no homework. So he goes, pop culture is going to be awful. You're going to have to write essays on movies and book reports. And he goes, let me see the damn sheet. So he looks and he goes, wines of the world. Take wines of the world. I go, I don't like wine. I hate wine. I'm 18 years old. Like, I, I, I want beer and vodka. And he's like, take wines of the world. I should say I was 19 at the time for, you know, legal purposes, but naturally right around there. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, okay, I guess like, sure. I'll, I'll take it. So I remember showing it to this class and you paid like a hundred bucks. And the teacher was, when I say straight from France, like he was, you know, you couldn't even understand him at some points. His French accent was so strong. So we get in there and, you know, first day we're talking about wine and I'm like, this is boring. I hate wine. And then the first Friday brings in wine to taste and this is gross. And fast forward about four Fridays later, and that was our, our tasting day. And I'm like, you know, what? this is growing on me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the kids in the class uh, didn't really like wine. So it was just five or six of us every Friday that would drink the leftover expensive wine this guy was buying. And slowly but surely I got into it. And by the end of the, uh, the course, I was like, I, I, I love this stuff. And I learned all the history of it. And, at the time, my dad was, you know, he would drink, you know, cheap California cab, which is awesome. It's great wine. But I remember kind of expanding his horizons. And so that's uh, that's how I got into wine. Wine insider, Sean McKenzie. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Christmas at your, at your family must have been a little bit different because obviously Bob's doing the World Juniors all the time. So would you guys do it early? How would it work? Yeah, so it all depended. If the World Juniors was in Europe, he would have to usually leave a few days before Christmas. And people have asked me this before, like, did you hate it? Was it weird? Did it blow? And like, it didn't even seem strange. Like, looking back, it seemed weird. Like, you know, your dad leaving on the, the 22nd or the 23rd of December and missing Christmas. But at the time, it was just normal because that's kind of what it was. But if it was over in Europe, he would leave on the 23rd or 24th sometimes. And I remember being pumped because, you know, in, in order you to got your gifts first, I, I, exactly. We get to open one gift the day that he left. So I was like, you can leave dad, get the hell out of here. Like, get me my <laughs> gift. Like, this is perfect. <laughs> and uh, so that was kind of always the fun part. And then sometimes we'd go with them. And as I got older, I, I started traveling with them a little bit more and more. So it almost became that kind of how I got into broadcasting and how I ended up loving it. But uh, it was different. But looking back I, in the moment, I never thought like, this is weird. It just, it was what it was. So you went to World Junior Tournaments with him then? So he hears this, he'll laugh because, you know, I was always kind of, he calls me the mama's boy. And, you know, he's, you know, so nice of him. Eh? He, uh, <laughs> he him, him and my brother were, they would go away a lot. Like my brother went everywhere with them. Like he was, my brother was hockey crazy. Like he was, he was nuts. He still is. And, but I was always a little bit more, I want to hang out and play video games and hang out with my friends. So 
when I was younger, I didn't go nearly as much as my brother did, but we'd go on family trips. And as I got older, you know, I went to Sweden once with them. Uh, as I got older, closer, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, I went on a stretch there. I went to a lot of them. And, you know, it was the Vancouver World Juniors with Justin Pogge mm-hmm. that I really, I really got to kind of sit on set all day with them and, you know, three games a day, 14, 15 hour days and kind of see how TV was made. And that's the first time I was like, you know what, I, I, I want to do this. There are people who come in and they watch these things and they say, wow, you guys are a lot more professional on air than you are off the air. <laughs> So what was the thing that you saw that made you open your eyes and say, this is a lot more fun or a lot less professional than you would believe on the air? The funniest part is like, especially growing up, like anyone who, you know, grows up around people in TV and and you see these personas, like, you know, like, for example, like I'll rip on them a little bit, like, you know, my dad on, on air and, you know, he's known as this like real you know, the, the Bob father really, you know, everyone's got to respect him. And, you know, and like me and my brother just lay into him on a daily basis. Like we chirp him nonstop. <laughs> like, so I think it's funny. Anyone who sees a TV persona and then meets someone or knows someone personally away from the camera, they realize that they're the same person, but like, it's just a lot less professional, a little bit more fun. So that's a great question. Cause the thing that really, really did spark my interest in this business was obviously I, got to see a lot behind the scenes during that world juniors but like in vancouver like every night after the game it was like you'd go to earl's you'd sit and you know these guys would have nice bottles of wine and they have dinner and like it was like they were on like a hockey team like it was like this environment that was like it was so social and it was fun and then you see other jobs you hear other jobs that are nine to five in an office and there's nothing wrong with that but i i saw the fun they had on the road and that when the cameras were off like they were chirping each other it was back and forth it was like it almost felt like that feeling in a dressing room a little bit. So I, I kind of saw that aspect of, you know, you work all day and you get to watch hockey and you get to talk and you're amongst your friends and then you go out for dinner to a nice restaurant and you're staying in a nice hotel. And it, it was at that point where I went like, I could do this. I could have fun doing this. I think that's the thing I miss the most I, oh. I, this year. It's the thing I miss the most, Sean, by a mile, by a mile. I just did a podcast the other day and someone said like, what do you, what do you want? to go back to in 2021 like what do you miss the most and like i said like a lot of things but professionally like i miss going to cover a game at madison square garden and texting the guys you work with lobby and five going down grabbing a lobby bar drink and then meeting at a restaurant that someone chose like from into the rink from the prep of the day to going out after like oh it just it's so damn fun that 10 seconds before you know the host is throwing to you for your opening hit right like at the top of the clock. Yeah, it's Saturday night. You hear the hockey, especially Saturdays. Like, and it's funny how the mind works. Like, I did a lot of games when I was out in Ottawa that weren't hockey night in Canada, of course, that were regional games. And I remember my first hockey night in Canada game, the exact same prep, the exact same setup. Nothing was different, but I heard the hockey night in Canada music. And then you hear Ron's voice and you're like, oh my God, this is happening. You could have been prepped the exact same way you would have been for a regional game, but you were about 1000 times more nervous and it's funny how your mind plays tricks on you like that like you know the moment's bigger even though it's kind of the same and, and you kind of but I, I miss that feeling right when ron just throws to you and then you're off and running you do a million games but nothing feels quite like hockey night well we're gonna get a chance to do some soon and we look all look forward to it yes thanks for coming by sean we really appreciate it 
No, thanks so much uh, for having me on, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Have a, ni- a nice Christmas with your Barolo, my friend. Oh, I, I, <laughs> there will be one or two, I promise that. <laughs> Attaboy. Have a great Christmas. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, Fridge, we should point out, um, Sean is doing something crazy, and he's also doing something that I've always wanted to do. I don't know that I could ever do an Ironman. I've always wanted to do a triathlon, but I haven't even done a try-a-try let alone a triathlon, let alone an Ironman. Uh, but he's doing that in July in Muskoka, trying to raise money for Sick Kids Hospital. Fantastic. And in his tweet, he says, who wants to watch me struggle for a great cause? I hate running. I suck at swimming. And this is the first bike I've owned in 15 years. So I've signed up for an Ironman uh, in July, you can enjoy my training struggles, but it will come at a cost. I'll be raising money for sick kids. Good on Sean McKenzie, who, by the way, by the way, even in his tweet announcing that he's going to do this triathlon, can never resist to show you his muscles, whether it's a picture with his shirt off or in this case, his picture of his, I don't want to say Martin St. Louis-esque or Sidney Crosby-esque quads, but nonetheless, they are prominent in the tweet for each. I was just exhausted reading the tweet. <laughs> but good on Sean, man. I've always, yeah, it's honestly, I've always wanted to do this. Like I know you have a, a, a really deep bucket list of things that you want to do, whether it's things in your life, places you want to go. I'm the same, and, and triathlon is always something I've wanted to to at least attempt. I've got friends that have done it. I have a couple psycho friends that have done Ironmans before. I've always wanted to try this. Good on Sean. He's doing it for a great cause. Every dollar uh, going directly to sick kids. Good on Sean McKenzie. If you want to donate, the link is in the bio. Go get him, Sean. Great cause. Great challenge. Uh, Elliot, this is going to be a lot of fun. Look who's dropped by the party. Flames reporter slash one man conga line, Ryan Leslie. How are you today, bud? Uh, best of the holiday season to you, Jeff. Elliot, hi. <laughs> well, first of all, let's get this started. What would you, as you sit down at the table, what can we offer you? What can we serve you? I'd take just about anything you're serving at this point. I think we're all a little hungry and thirsty for some normalcy this time of year. So whatever you're pouring and serving, I'm having. I got to tell you, Merrick, Leslie has this rep, like one of the most fun guys yes. in the group. Yes. Just one of the most fun people. And, you know, I really hadn't seen it. I'd heard about it, but we hadn't worked together a lot. And a couple of years ago, uh, he's in Vegas uh, for the awards because everybody thinks, and it was true, that Giordano, Mark Giordano was going to win the Norris. And at the hotel we were staying at, which was the win, there's like a bar in the middle of the casino of the floor and it's open and you can see people walking by. It's very social. And for about six hours straight, Ryan was sitting in the middle of it, just calling in people who were walking by and like introducing them as they were the next guest on Saturday night live. (laughs) I was sitting here. I I have never seen anything like this. And I went to bed and I can say this now because it's long over I went to bed and it was late. And then I heard what time Leslie went to bed and it was so late. It was early. And I got to say that was one of the most impressive runs, Ryan, I have ever seen ever. Well, I don't know if I should ask the editor, delete this out or uh, ask for a promotion, <laughs> sure. but uh, it is the national hockey league. Uh, and that was a, 
celebratory day, evening and morning. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And uh, I was glad you could be uh, a part of the show that we were hosting. That was great. <laughs> but it, you're right. There was a who's who of nobodies that day. I mean, you had everybody from John Cooper and yourself. I think Marty Turkle stopped by. Darcy Tucker was. It, it was just a collection of hockey fun. You don't remember things because they're bad or boring. That was a fun night. Yeah, it was. And I'm glad you remember it. It was a hoot. And I'm glad you. We're able to catch up on your sleep in Vegas, too, Elliot. Well done. <laughs> hey, Ryan, I got to ask you the same thing that I asked uh, David Amber a little while ago. You know, this is one of those years where, you know, you, you learn how much you miss things. What is the one thing, Ryan Leslie, that you will never complain about again because you miss it so much? The travel. I miss getting on the bird. I miss getting on the plane. I miss seeing the faces... Uh, of players after a win, after a loss, going into a city with the faces of anticipation. As you guys know, we've, we're very fortunate to be around the players who make this game great because it still is about the players and you feel it through them. I miss that. Um, we're certainly on the outside looking in, but being as fortunate as I am to travel with the team and uh, you think about the miles you go, the sticks that get cut, the skates that get sharpened. You think about everybody that's involved day-to-day -day in search of two points. That's what I miss. Mm -hmm. I miss what everybody is doing. I miss seeing it in the faces of the players. That's so well said. Very well said. What do the holidays mean to you, Ryan? I'm a big Christmas guy, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. The house is done up. I got a dog for the kids this year, just ahead of Christmas. How early is the house done up? You got to get through um, Remembrance Day, and I think December 1 is the time you start. Okay. And just all in. You said you got a dog? I bought a, a golden retriever. Nice. And uh, he's an absolute gem. His name's Backer, named after my buddy back in Ontario, John Backer. Shameless plug for a good guy. Hey, John. Honestly, it's about the kids. Well, there's snow. We're tobogganing through the lights at Christmas, and I have two daughters, so... The three of us just really hunker down and, and we get right into it. One year I took them out to the Banff Springs and spent Christmas Eve out there, which was nice. absolutely magical. If anyone listening has that opportunity one day when things get normal again, mm -hmm. please do it. They just do such a great job. So it's a big deal for me. And I know this year's so different. You know, like typically the last game for Calgary is usually about the 23rd of December and you're right back at it on the 27th. And you know, that 23rd game is usually on the road. And so you're scrambling to get back. There is something magical and mystical about that. You know, being on a plane, trying to get home for the holidays. I do enjoy that. Mm -hmm. This year's a little different. Now I'm ready to get back to work. And I think we all are. Okay. So, Ryan, your favorite Christmas hockey memory. You know, I can remember a few years ago, the Flames had lost eight in a row, I believe it was. And it was tough. And all of a sudden now it's the last game before the Christmas break. You're going into Los Angeles, not exactly the Christmas feel, although the whole Staples Center was done up right. And honestly, guys, it was not going well. They were looking down the barrel, I think, of their ninth straight loss. And to go into a Christmas break, you're like, if there's one game you want to win on a road trip, make it the last one because the flight home is essential. They find themselves down 3 nothing to the Kings, and Johnny Gaudreau goes out and scores a hat trick. And in overtime, it's the captain, Mark Giordano, who wins it. And honestly, you could just feel this anvil come off every guy's chest. It was unbelievable. The ride home, the flight home, Brian Burke was on it. 
and he told stories. And the boys in the back, the players were having a great time. The plane was decorated. It was great. Everybody, Kelly Rudy was certainly there, and Rick Ball. Everybody's just telling stories, and it was really Christmas, you know, 30,000 feet up, heading back into a winter wonderland back in Calgary with a desperately needed win that the team needed. You know, Berkey held court and told great stories of duck hunting and fishing, and the wine tasted a little bit better that night. The stories were flowing. So Christmas hockey memories, that was a pretty good one when you could see the faces of these young men who got a win right before the break, and everybody else got to enjoy it. And did they, uh, were you able to walk off the plane, or did they need a soup spoon for you? <laughs> oh, no. All very responsible, Jeff. Uh, despite what Elliot would have you believe. Um, <laughs> We, I did not go to bed early that night either. If we were put to a vote, uh, who's the funniest person at Sportsnet? I, I think overwhelmingly you would win. Yes. But from your point of view, Ryan Leslie, who's the sneakiest, funniest person we have? I appreciate that. I enjoyed uh, some rivalry with Ken Reed uh, on social media. Ripping oh, each man, other. was that funny. Oh, God, was that good. As you guys know, and anybody who follows this great game knows, the players are just hilariously cutting and to be around it on a daily basis. I mean, you got to have some thick skin. You better be able to give it back. You better be able to take it. I'm just lucky that in Calgary, anyhow, we got a really good group to cover here. Kind of brings out the best on the humor side because I take it, boys. They give it to me relentlessly and it is wonderful. doesn't matter if it's the captain or Matthew Kachuk on an off day or a good day. It is just a nonstop ribbing and i just love it i can't get enough of it. <laughs> i was gonna say who would be the best and the the first name that would come to my mind would be kachuk yeah he's beyond his years to be honest with you he's oh yeah uh, and he's got that confidence that cockiness that is the right balance that i seem to enjoy you know he's unflappable for a kid he's, uh, not much gets missed by that young guy not much at all so it's great to have all those guys you got to be sharp you got to be on your toes and you got to realize if you're ever i don't know Pulling a Sean McKenzie and posting selfies with your shirt off, you better be prepared to back it up. That's <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Oh, man. Thanks for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you back on Flames Games soon. My pleasure, guys. Let's do this again anytime. And yeah, let's uh, get going, drop the puck. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. You be well. Thanks, boys. Elliot, pleased to be joined now by someone who I think we can perhaps describe as a triple threat. He is a broadcaster. He is an author, uh, the book One Game at a Time. Uh, and he is also a lover and performer of Kirtan, an outstanding Kirtan musician, our good friend Harner Ryan Singh. Harner Ryan, how are you today? Doing well and happy to be on. How are you guys? We're doing good. Now, listen, uh, Elliot and I know you're a big chai drinker, so uh, that is sort of a blanket term. Uh, what is in your cup specifically? You know, black tea, uh, you can do it up in so many different ways. And uh, I know, uh, you know, a lot of people get their chai tea lattes from Starbucks or Second Cup or wherever. And we are heavy chai drinkers at home, as are a lot of people in our community. And you kind of make it on your own um, with all sorts of different spices, like, for example, cardamom and cinnamon and cloves and I know the Punjabi term of uh, one of the other ones, it's lachi, but I actually don't know. I can't think of what it's called in English right now. Um, but there's actually like a, no a number of different like spices that that are 
the most easily accessible cupboard that we have is the chai cupboard. And when you open it, the aroma is just, it hits you. And it's like, it's, it's just amazing, right? Because it's like, it's, you take that deep breath in and it's like, okay, this is gonna, that boost is gonna help me. Uh, especially when you have, I have daddy brain too nowadays, obviously my <laughs> kids are five and three and I, you know, obviously we've been at home a lot, haven't been traveling yeah. and the, the lack of sleep. So, uh, those aromas and those, uh, spices, they all help in my chai that I make at home. So until you mentioned it, I didn't realize that chai tea drinking was big in your community. Did your your parents, and you've told the story about how they emigrated from India to Brooks, Alberta. Did they bring recipes with them? Like basically, how does it work? Does it pass down from generation to generation? I don't know if it came from when the British actually came into India and took over. Uh, but then obviously uh, the Indians added all of their own different spices to it. I, I don't know the history of it, but it's huge in India. Like I remember going my first time to India it was 1994. I've been there five or six times. And it's like people there have chai like probably 13, 14 times a day. It feels like it's, it's insane. Like it's, wow. it's such a staple. And so, yeah, my parents are like, they're not so, uh, you know, they're not at that level, but it, I would say, you know, twice a day and, and then now as an ad, I probably didn't need it as much before. And I just enjoyed it before I had kids. But now it's become instead of a want, it's a need. And uh, and so I have my different caffeine levels. Like if there's a certain day where I really, really need a boost, <laughs> that's when I'll go to coffee. But otherwise, I stick to my my chais. And then within the chai world, I have different kind of levels and you know i'll dabble into some of the other ones too like the earl grays or i i also love vanilla chai like adding in some extra oh i love vanilla I, i'm a big yeah vanilla right guy. you know I some extra yes. different flavors and changing it up like that so i want to ask you and that's a fascinating conversation about chai um <laughs> i want to ask you about playing tabla and anytime i, I remember having a conversation uh, with one drummer specifically, Jeremy Tagger, who used to be the, the drummer from Our Lady Peace. So him and I are, are, are real good buddies. We just live not too far away from each other. And whenever we get together, and I played a little bit of drums when, when I was younger, nothing to the extent uh, of Jeremy or you as well as it relates to tabla. He always talks about how that is the coolest and the hardest to play. How did you get involved in playing tabla? Well, it's it's interesting because so in Sikh music called Kirtan, uh, tabla is one of the prominent instruments. And so it's so amazing that it can provide so much to uh, any type of music, any genre of music. And what I love about it is that so there's two different parts. And one is the so normally with the left hand or the bigger drum, it's the bass. And then right. with the smaller one, it's the tone. And you can tune that to whatever tone that the the singer is, uh, you're, who you're accompanying the the singer is singing at. So you, it's it, there's so much kind of variation available. You can do traditional styles, Western styles. Like there's just so much you can do with it, and you can simplify it, and you can complicate it, and it's just it's mind-boggling the different variations and the different beat scales and. I think it fits my personality. Growing up as a kid, I was fascinated with it. In my book, I even call the tabla my first love. Mm -hmm. And it really, it got me into music. And then it also got me in, more involved in my faith because I was so fascinated by 
blah, blah, and, the, and, and, you know, music is such a big part of the Sikh faith. And so, and then we started, as my mom is big into singing and music, and we started hosting some musicians at our house. And I, I was fortunate enough to have, um, I got to watch a lot of really amazing musicians firsthand. And I saw when I was a kid, kind of like, a revolutionary moment or a revolutionary time frame uh, in Sikh music where we started to see Western beats brought into the tabla. And so that was really fascinating to see. And, and it's just something that I think like, you know, as a lot of youngsters um, really kind of gravitate towards it as one of the more Indian classical instruments, but now it's become so much more than just classical. It's just I love it. Like, it's, there's so much you can do with it. I wish I, this is the first time, like, you know, I'm talking with it, about it with you guys, but I haven't ever really married these two passions in my life uh, together where it's hockey and Kirtan and Tabla. So it's cool to be able to, I wasn't expecting this question, but here I am, 31 <laughs> Thoughts, the, the hockey podcast, uh, you know, uh, the be all end all of all hockey podcasts. And I'm getting to talk about Tabla, pretty cool. Well, you know, I kind of look at it this way. You know, the way that this year has gone, uh, Harner Ryan, we're all kind of figuring and jigging our priorities. Do we do things the way we want to do them? Like, this has forced us all to really think, right? So I've got to believe at some point in your life, the opportunity to tour is going to come up again and you're going to grab it. Like, I think that you can do both. I understand that your hockey career is growing and, and your career is going to dwarf Jeff and mine's. There's no question about that. True. But I think the opportunity is going to come where you're going to get a chance to do that. I really believe the way life is going, that a lot of us are going to find ways to work in some of the things that maybe we couldn't do before. And now we're going to find ways to do them later. Just as a, as a quick aside to that, Harner Ryan, can you make us one promise when that happens? Can you promise to hire me and Elliot? <laughs> we'll be your roadies <laughs> you guys are crazy i don't know what you're talking about what's the next thing what, what's the next thing that you're gonna say i'm gonna do this you know the book was really something quite revolutionary for me and in the sense that the feedback that i'm getting the impact that the story is having has been incredible it's been tremendous so you know not only um not only did i find that people of color who are growing up in Canada or who experienced similar situations. Like this isn't just my story. There's so many people out there who this has resonated with. And I'll give you an example. My editor from the publisher, Joe Lee, he's originally from Oshawa, Ontario, and he's from Korean descent. And he was talking about like stories from my book and the gist of my book to a couple of hundred people at the publishers and I'm sitting there beside him on the stage, we're doing a Q and A and he's talking about my story, my book, and he became emotional. And that really hit home for me that, okay, this, this has the power to make an impact that it isn't just my story. It's the story of so many Canadians. But then on the flip side, guys, something I wasn't expecting at all was I've had people of the majority read the book and they've reached out to me and, and have said that, they had no idea that, you know, people go through uh, this type of thing. And, you know, I had people who I grew up with in Brooks who I've never kept in contact with, small town Brooks, Southern Alberta. And some of them have said that, you know, we were in the same classroom, the same hallways, the same schools, and we had no idea that this is what 
you were going through or you, you know, it was such a different experience for you. And, and they were grateful to be able to, to read this to, so that they could tell their kids to be more aware and to be more, you know, it's, it's just a, a sense of respect and a sense of love for humanity and to be able to spread that message and to be able to inspire others to do more. And, and I think, you know, maybe writing more books is something that's on my horizon. I would, you know, I can't wait for the first day that I'm able to call a, uh, an, a game in English play-by-play wise. That's a dream that I've always had. And, you know, I'm hoping towards that, hoping to get towards that goal too. So there's, there's a lot of things you want to do. I just feel that, you know, it's, it's similar when the publisher asked me to write the book. I'm in my mid thirties. I had no idea I would ever even be writing books, let alone at this time frame in my life. So you reflect back on it. And it's, I was like, you know, this all happened to me when I went through and wrote it all. And it's something that it, it makes me emotional to think about all of the help that I've received, all that I've been able to do, but then also going through kind of the the rough, the hardships and the, the traumatic times too. And so I'm really grateful to be Canadian. I would say that this is a place, this is a country where the opportunities I've received, I know my my community's history, I know what's going on in, in, in India and things, and I know what's going on in America. I'm seeing it everywhere we all are. What I've been able to experience here being a Canadian, I wouldn't have been able to anywhere else. So I'm just speaking from the heart and I'm really grateful. Who knows what's in store? I don't know if any of us do. What do you say to people when they when they say things like, I had no idea what you were going through? Because, you know, on the one hand, there's ignorance. And on the other hand, there's ignorance. And anytime someone comes to you with the idea of, I had no idea or confesses to you, you know, underlying that is an element of shame. Like, I'm embarrassed that I didn't know that was happening. How do you respond? It's an interesting way that you put it. I mean, I certainly wouldn't want them to feel ashamed or embarrassed. Um, I think my perspective is to be thankful that not only do they realize and are not only are they learning, you know, from a, a person's story like myself, but the fact that they reached out, it means that it, it had an impact and it means that it was moving or it means that it really made them think about the world in a different way. And so I think just for, by me acknowledging that and by me saying, you know, thank you for saying what you said, it, it shows me that, you know, all of this work that we're doing right now, we finally have the ear of the world. We're finally in a place where I wasn't talking about this topic much before 2020. There's so many things that I've said publicly this year that I've never talked about before. Yes, I've talked about some of the hardships or some of the challenges and obstacles I face, but in depth going over things that have been said to me in a hockey arena. I I realized only this year, very recently, that a lot of the racism and discrimination I faced was actually within the hockey world, whether that's in my seats, uh, whether that's on the concourse, whether that's walking to my car or to the arena, or then whether it was when I made it as a broadcaster. I mean, it was all within the hockey world, a lot of it. And so I think when someone reaches out and says, you know, and they're speaking from the heart, I think my response to them is to say, Thank you for taking out the time to learn about my journey and thank you for 
acknowledging I'm appreciative of that because I think if they are, it's just like you telling me, Jeff, when you, when you reached out and when we've had a, a number of things happen over the past year and a month or so that I want these people to talk to their families and their kids about it. This should be a supper table conversation about, about inclusion, about racism, about diversity, about love and respect for humanity um, and how we're all one. So, so that's what I hope to achieve. You're a treasure. Like, honestly, Harner Ryan, you're such a delight. Every conversation I've had with you, and I'm sure Elliot and Amel feel the same way, you just go away from it feeling better and feeling reassured that there are, there really are great people in this world. We're proud to call you a colleague, even more proud to call you a friend. Thank you so much for stopping by this week on the podcast. Really appreciate your time and your words, bud. Thank you, Jeff and Elliot and Amel. Really appreciate it. Take care. By the way, if you check out our show links, uh, you can find out where to order. Get your own copy of Harner Ryan's book, One Game at a Time, My Journey from Small Town Alberta to Hockey's Biggest Stage. High recommendation from all three of us here at 31 Thoughts, the podcast. So, Jeff, most of the people we've spoken to here at our Christmas party are in front of the camera, and we have to include the people who are behind the scenes because they are the backbone and the lifeblood of the show. So... You know, I wanted to include one of the producers, and the problem at Sportsnet is that there are no good producers, Jeff. <laughs> so you you have to go with the best one you can possibly find. And this year, there's no question, the best one is young David Azuma. David, welcome to the podcast, and what can we serve you? Wow. What an introduction. Yeah, wow. Know. Hey, Zooms. Yeah, I don't know. That's a lot of pressure. I'm representing all of the great producers. I would say maybe on this uh cold morning here i would use a nice guinness that's our second guinness user we had another guinness user excellent excellent well you know first of all david i, I just want to introduce you to everybody you're actually going to do most of this yourself but you've now started producing some of the toronto Maple believe broadcasts on sports nets it was a big opportunity for you when you were put into that spot you've done a great job so tell us a little bit about First of all, how old you are, kind of where you come from, and your route to becoming a producer of Maple Leaf games on Sportsnet. Well, um, so first of 35 from uh, Unionville, Ontario. So it's kind of cool for me, I guess, like to work on games with that particular team because being from there, that's who I grew up watching. And so most of my family and friends cheer for them. So it's been pretty plugged into them for my whole uh, life, really. Uh, as for how I got there, well, I got maybe a bit of an atypical path. Like, I never went to school for broadcasting or anything. I just kind of came by this by my own uh, interest, really. I started at Sportsnet doing what everybody kind of starts in the entry job. Like, you kind of work on the highlights and do that for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then... I think I probably just annoyed the hockey people enough by like telling them random hockey facts and following them around the office. And they eventually they took me in and said, why don't you come and um, you can kind of learn from us and do the early morning jobs that those guys didn't really want to get up for at that time and come in at 9 a.m. after working the night shift. So I got to be doing that for a couple of years and then eventually I just probably got my producing my first crack doing chl hockey mm -hmm. which was at this time that's probably about six or seven years ago i worked with uh rob falds and also jeff on some of those mm -hmm. 
And from there, I think I maybe just did a little more each year. Like sometimes you do sports out the way it works. Like you do some of the West Coast teams. I did the ice surfing show with Jeff a couple years ago. That was pretty fun. Yep. Leafs was the last year was the first year I did the Leafs. So that's kind of how it came to be. Okay, so Elliot opened up with uh, what do you want to drink, but I'm more interested in what you would like to eat because David and I, when we first started working together, uh, I remember I told him the legend of the Super Panzo, and Dave was fascinated with this. And Elliot, the Super Panzo is something me and my buddies used to do at university where we would order a pizza, ask them not to cut it. This is like late at night, like 2, 3 a.m. Ask them not to cut it and just fold the pizza in half and eat it. And Dave, I think it was actually you that ended up calling it the Super Panzo because, you know, David and I have this mutual love for pizza. So, Dave, this is a long-winded way of saying not what would you like to drink, but what would you like to eat? <laughs> we have to go Super Panzo. <laughs> and and much like the time that I I think I ate it in the office once I think we talked about this you yeah did. there's video there's video you're talking about this. eating this at like two in the morning I was eating this at like seven p.m. and then I worked my shift that's a heavy lunch yep <laughs> so we get a super panzo with pepperoni Italian sausage and ground beef and then sit on the couch with your with your Guinness. Does that come with a bottle of Pepto-Bismol or no? No, it comes with the creamy garlic dip is what you oh, get okay. to help yourself through it. See, Dave always impressed because Dave could stick it away like nobody else. But if you saw him, you'd say to yourself, there's no way this guy can eat like this. Well, I got to tell you something. I can't believe you're 35. You look like you're like 15, really. <laughs> It's it's remarkable. Like when you when you see Dave eat, because he can put it away. It's like, do you have a hollow leg, Dave? Like, where do you put all this food? I don't know. Everybody's got their thing, so I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I want to ask you. So when you do your production meetings, and for everybody who wonders about this, production meetings are usually about two hours before the show, where you sit down, you go over the lineup, and show everybody how their ideas are working into it. Which on-air person do you say, I am least looking forward to this meeting because A, their ideas are terrible, and B, they don't pay attention in production. Oh, yeah, they cannot ask me to throw somebody under the bus. Wow, I would say... I don't know. Sometimes I don't know that you're too keen on those meetings, Elliot. Sometimes I think, oh, he's not going to be buying these ideas and he's got better information in his head than I do. I have to say I've been told that I can be bad at these meetings. Hang on. Dave, at those meetings, how many times have you asked Elliot to turn his phone off or put his phone away? No, I fear doing that. You know why? Because I fear I'm going to be depriving him of a big scoop. So I think, like, I, I also have a bad habit when I call, like, I'll call in the midday to touch base before we even see each other in person. I think probably 50% of the times I call Elliot, you're, like, getting out of the locker room. Like, you just are talking to the coaches or the players then. Like, you'll say, oh, sorry, I'm in the middle of Tampa Bay's dressing room here. It's like, oh, I did it again. Like, the worst time to call this guy. Zooms, I want to end on this one because I always go, okay, who was your inspiration? Who did you try to be like? Who did you enjoy growing up? And it's very obvious when you're, you know, front facing to get that type of question because it's an obvious one. We so seldom ask producers that same thing. So here I go. Dave, of all the producers you've worked with, either our company, other companies, wherever, who's been the biggest influence on you? 
That's a tough one for me. I don't know that I can choose just one. I think that probably the bigger influences come more recently for me. So I think I would maybe choose um, two guys that we work with now, actually. So Brian Spear, who works on the Hockey Night Show, and Matt Marstrom, who does, he mostly does the Wednesday hockey. So I think Matt I've known for a while, like I, right when I started, which now you guys laughed at my age, but I've been at Sportside now for 14 years. And I knew Matt since the start of that. So he's a guy that I, I think being alongside him for that long, that's somebody that I kind of watched and tried to learn what he does. And then Brian, probably in the last five years or so that I've gotten to work, see the Hockey Night show that he does. That's another thing where two guys that maybe have different styles and they do very different shows, but doing that job, like in me being new, and those are guys that I've probably had good chats with in the past. I'm glad you didn't mention Paul Bromby. Suck it, Bomber, if you're listening to this one. Uh, David, this has, been <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Listen, dude, uh, happy holidays, you and yours. Uh, continued success. You're, as Elliot mentioned, like, look, dude, you're a rising star in the company and the industry. Uh, it's great to watch. Uh, it's great to be part of it whenever I can. And I'm sure Elliot feels the same way. Have a great holiday season. Merry Christmas. And best of the new year to you and your family, pal. Hey, thanks. Uh, yeah, it's fun coming on, guys. And uh, happy holidays to you and both your families it's always a good day fridge when you get a chance to say good day scott oak what can i get you to drink <laughs> i would start with a uh, glass of white wine i guess pinot grigio is that your go-to I, I might start with a beer and then switch to uh, uh, a glass of white wine after that i guess but i'm a pretty simple drinker it's nothing special just like your entire career nothing special <laughs> yeah you're right that's the level that I have strived to achieve, and I'm, I'm almost got there. <laughs> so when I when I got hired uh, in 2003, people at Hockey Night in Canada joked that Elliot's arrival means Scott goes into semi-retirement. So I assume that these last six to ten months haven't been anything different for you. What have you been up to lately? <laughs> It's uh, pretty much a routine here, Elliot. Um, the big joke, uh, and I think you've probably heard this before, is that uh, Anna and I have been married for 40 years, and it's worked because I've only been around for 20 of them. But I've made up for the missing 20, I think, in the last uh, six or seven months. Being in the bubble in Edmonton for approximately a month, uh, five weeks, was uh, was a real nice distraction. But, uh, yeah, it's not much. there's not much going on here these days because we're in Code Red, a lockdown here in Manitoba. Give us a snapshot of Manitoba right now. Give a snapshot where you're at, family's at, and the province. Well, the province is uh, suffering through the second wave of the pandemic, much worse than the first was. Um, it's been cold red here, I think, now for about five or six weeks. The daily cases usually are somewhere between uh, 300 and, and 500. Last couple of days, they've been below 300, so I guess there are signs the lockdown is working. It's a tough time. Mm -hmm. People can't get together for uh, for Christmas, and that's uh, really sad, but necessary because we have to do what we can to to contain this. And there are signs that the uh, the code red conditions, as I say, are working. So that's the good news. And of course, the vaccine is uh, beginning to be applied now. So uh, there's hope. But uh, you know, it's tough for everybody. Uh, Ann and I are, we're getting along fine, merciful Jesus, but <laughs> but uh, we, like everybody else, look forward to the day that there's a, a return to some sort of normalcy. Mm -hmm. Now, Dar how has this affected, you know, Darcy? Obviously, he's a performer, and uh, I'm just curious, 
you know, the last 10, 11 months, how have they affected his career and what he likes to do? Uh, good news, bad news. The good news is Darcy will be home for Christmas this year for the first time in about three or four years. Uh, nice. And we'll figure out a way to see him, even though we're not supposed to congregate at Christmas, but there's just him. The bad news is that uh, there's nothing going on for entertainers and hasn't been now for nine or ten months. Uh, he was just getting ready to start his tour of the UK when the, the pandemic broke open in, uh, say, last March and had to postpone the tour, postponed it a second time in November. So now he's uh, making the best of a bad situation. He's focusing on a virtual show that he will, in fact, do on Saturday night, December 19th, a couple of days from now. Excellent. He's figuring out uh, how to uh, how to do a show in which he can interact with the audience. He's got it figured out, in fact. So uh, it's a, a neat project for him and maybe the way of the future because he can do a show in his warehouse and not have to pack up and you know take his uh, his equipment to the next city. Uh, so he's looking forward to it. He's making the best of it, as I say, and uh, yeah, he's uh, he's he's figuring it out. When did when did Darcy get the magic bug? I can recall when I used to do Hockey Night in Canada radio. Whenever you would come on, I'd always hear his birds in the background. And you say, "Oh, yeah, don't worry. That's that's my son. He's a he's he's a magician." When, when did he when did he get the bug? Scott. Well, first of all, I recall doing Hockey Night in Canada radio and those uh, and the parakeets uh, chirping behind <laughs> us, and I but I didn't even hear it. Anna and I tuned that uh, that that sound a long time ago, but they're not here anymore. His birds are not here. They're at his uh, warehouse where they're well taken care of. But the magic bug uh, took hold of Darcy. He tells this story uh, when he's interviewed, and uh, it's actually true. Anna and I were sitting here at the kitchen table one day. Darcy would have been. Oh, I guess nine or 10. I had a deck of cards and I was fooling around with them. And I said to Darcy here, pick a card, any card. And uh, I have no magic. I know nothing. But anyway, he picked the card and I put the card back in the deck. And somehow I had a one in 52 chance of picking out his card and I picked it out. And he was stunned. Couldn't figure out how I, <laughs> and so was I, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and uh, he couldn't figure out how I did it, and I couldn't explain it to him. So that really uh, got him going. And about a week later, he had 10 killer card tricks. And uh, after that, entered a couple of magic contests at a community club here in Winnipeg and won them and decided that magic was going to be his future. And we always said to him, well, yeah, that's great. Nice thought, but it's not going to work. Get a plan B. And there never was a plan B. So uh, he's he's very, very fortunate, and so are we, that it worked out for him. You know, Scott, one of the best parts about Hockey Night in Canada is after hours. and um, Yes, I'm glad you said that, Elliot. <laughs> well, it's true. As, as, as much as it pains me to admit, it's true. Um, you know, last year, obviously, we couldn't do it after the return to play because it's something that just wasn't possible. You know, do you have any idea of what the, the future of that segment is going to be? Has it been discussed at all? Because... You know, we just don't know what we're dealing with for the next little while. Uh, no, and, and you're, you're right. Uh, everything is, uh, you know, it's up in the air. We don't know how it's going to look, uh, what the schedule is going to be like, where uh, they're going to play. Will it be in their own rinks? Will it be in hub cities? But, yeah, we've, we've had a few discussions about it, certainly the producer, Paul Griss, and I. And uh, we think there's a way to do it. Uh, we'll have to be socially distanced, maybe even in different rooms. But that show is best when it's in a story mode and we can get stories out of players. I think even if we're not sitting beside them. So we think there's a way to do it. Uh, we're hopeful. Favorite Christmas memories for you. 
grew up in a family of five kids, so Christmas morning was always a carnage in our house uh, with <laughs> gifts being ripped open and uh, at the five at the same time usually took about five minutes. But I always remember when I was probably nine or ten, my uh, parents would have bought the window at uh, Sears. That's the store that they would have shopped at at the time in Sydney, Nova Scotia, and bought uh, me a complete set of Montreal Canadiens equipment. I uh, couldn't get it on fast enough and got out to one of the backyard rinks and had it on all day. And I guess, you know, it doesn't take much to to uh, make a fan out of uh, out of somebody that age. And so that ensured that I would have been a Montreal Canadiens fan when I was growing up. And I became a, a diehard one and loved those teams of the, uh, of the early 60s. And who was your favorite player, just out of curiosity? Uh, I probably had two. Boom, boom, number five. And, uh, and uh, the pocket rocket, Henri Richard, number 16. Two excellent players. Hey, Scott, um, what is your, enough of hockey. What is your favorite non-hockey sport to cover? I mean, you're not just an exclusive hockey guy. What's your favorite non-hockey sport? I did a lot of uh, World Cup skiing over the years when I was uh, at CBC, and I loved it. Got the chance to call Karen Lee Gartner's Olympic gold medal win in Albertville, and uh, later she joined us as an analyst, and uh, she and and, uh, Max became very, very good friends of mine. I love that sport because it was probably the most uh, danger-filled sport that women compete in because they can reach speeds of you know hundred um, k an hour tearing down the hill. Mm-hmm. And uh, Karen, Karen was a great skier, great commentator, and I uh, loved working with her. And I uh, I kind of became attached to that sport for a long time. That's awesome. Hey, listen, uh, thanks as always for stopping by. Uh, I do miss hearing the birds. Uh, when I talk to you at your house, but uh, <laughs> listen, uh, wishing you and your family all the best uh, at Christmas, this holiday season. Uh, be well. Hope to see you on the uh, the Magic Eyeball when we get back. Uh, Jeff and Elliot, best to uh, you and your families. And I just have one request. Can you edit this to make me sound intelligent? <laughs> Scott, Amel does that with me and Elliot every single week. You want to talk about magicians? Seriously, you're the third option here. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of respect for the uh, the magic that Darcy does, but the magic that Amel does every week on this podcast, I'll put him in there against Darcy any day of the week. Thanks for that, Scott. Perfect. Thank you, boys. This year was a bastard. What else can you say? It feels like these 12 months just got in the way. But I gotta believe that we'll all be okay if we hold on to Christmas Day. Elliot, look who's dropped by. I think I know the answer uh, to one of my first questions. And two, you're going to get really annoyed with me quickly here as John and I kind of have a tradition uh, when we're speaking publicly to one another. John Bartlett joins us, Bates Battaglia. Uh, How is Brad Lieb and uh, Jeremy Williams, how is John Bartlett this Christmas season? Oh, probably as well as uh, Alex Foster, Jeff Corey, and Chris Saint-Jacques would be doing there, uh, Jeffy. So uh, <laughs> happy that we'll be getting back at it in the new year. But in the meantime, just uh, enjoying the holiday season. So uh, take it in while we have the time, which is unusual for us to do. So uh, enjoy it and uh, looking forward to getting back at it. Brett Englehart, Colin Murphy. That sounds fantastic, John Barla. Now, for all of our listeners right now, they should know that whenever John and I are together, since we did Marley's games together for radio when the Marley's first uh, came to Toronto from St. John's, John was the original play-by-play voice uh, coming in from the very Colts of the OHL, and I did color with him. And whenever we get together, we just randomly, Elliot, and this will annoy you to no end, and we'll stop 
throw names like Ben Andres and Roman Kuchenberg and Mark Morrow and Todd Ford and Robbie Earle at each other, some of the original Marleys from 0506. Yes, Elliot, this is what we spend our time doing. <laughs> I already find this conversation really annoying. I regret inviting Bartlett here. <laughs> One of these days, Jeff, you and I should just do a whole sort of uh, history of the beginning of the Marley's little I'd thing where it. we can we can get in. Some of the stories that now I could probably tell would, would be great. I would just want to talk about the noodles at Rico Coliseum. That was before the uh, before the press meal day where you had the coupon and you had to eat, so you'd wait for the noodles to be cooked. That's That was a steady diet there. So good. <laughs> so good. Okay, this story I want to hear. Okay, tell me this story. When the Marlies started for the first, oh, I don't know how many years we had, we never had a, a press room or a press meal. Uh, what we did is we, we gave out coupons to the media for the concession stands. So there was one noodle stand that was there in the concession and it would, it would open early enough that you'd be able to grab the bite, but you'd be eating it in the booth. And they made the fresh noodles right there. What would you call it, Jeffy? Was it like a stir fry noodle kind of yeah, thing? I stir guess? Noodles. Yeah, stir fry noodles. Yeah, it was uh, vegetables uh, in there as well and just dump soy sauce on Like this was a staple before the pregame. Bart's would be like, it's time for the noodles. I'm like, all right. Time man. for the noodles. You go down and throw in about 4,000 milligrams of sodium in India before you start <laughs> the game. And uh, <laughs> then you'd be going through 17 bottles of water through the game just trying to flush it all out. But, but it tasted what? good. <laughs> it was good. Look at Bart's through the game. Why is his tongue hanging out? What is <laughs> What's going, exactly. what's going on with Bartlett up there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that was something, especially in the American Hockey League, you had to be very conscious of in the buildings is how close you were to the bathroom for the intermission. Because if you're chugging a lot of water, you had to know. And some buildings, you had to go down to the concourse. And uh, and that created a whole other uh, job for you. you. had to plan your intermissions ahead of time if you knew you had to go line up uh, in the public lines and I remember Grand Rapids was a terrible one for that, especially if you were on dollar beer night on a Friday game because the, the lineup for the uh, men's room in the second intermission wrapped around the building twice. So, uh, yeah, you had to plan ahead for that stuff. I got to tell you, I thought this story was going in a different direction and that that direction involved not the lineup for the bathroom for that reason, but for another reason. And I've got one of those stories, but I am saving it for my book. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good because that's probably a good spot to read it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a good part, it'll be flagged. The book's been flagged. <laughs> Why can't you be this funny on air? Uh, that's uh, that's good. Um, you know, I, I wanted to say there's something you've been doing during this. If you ever saw the 1999 movie Mystery Men, one of the Mystery Men was known as the shoveler played by william h macy yes and i understand mr bartlett that during the pandemic you've been the shoveler on your street well it's really a necessity of uh i had a lot of time on my hands and needed something to do and it's a good way to burn a few hours so i got out a routine there with a snowstorm we had a little while ago it was heavy wet snow i started a mine helped the neighbor then went across the street then it kind of started, for a bad pun here, snowballed into going driveway to driveway in a way, and you were just chatting with the neighbors. And uh, so, yeah, I think I ended up doing about 17 driveways one day just because I just kept going house to house. Hey, how you going? How you doing? I got nothing else to do right now. So <laughs> so it ended up being a pretty good uh, a good day of getting a little uh, little exercise in and chatting with the neighbors. So, well, That's great stuff, Johnny. Good, good on you. 
Yeah, it'll help if I end up running for council or something for mayor. You know, <laughs> you're too smart to be a politician. Don't That's you? right. Yeah, don't don't ask Elliot about politicians. Um, best holiday hockey Christmas story. Yeah. Okay. So I've got two for you here, and this is great. So anytime I think of holiday hockey stories, I always go back to uh, my teenage years, and and this is junior hockey stories I have, which are great. So growing up in Newmarket, I was the PA announcer for the the local junior team, the Newmarket 87s, which later became the Hurricanes. And back in the mid-1990s, the 87s hosted an annual Junior A Showcase tournament every Christmas holiday, ran from the 27th to the 30th every year. There were 24, 26, 28 teams in it, two rinks going, games starting every day at 9 a.m. They went all the way through to 9 o'clock starts at night. So because I was a PA announcer, I'd spend every day, every game at the complex in the booth doing the PA and music, uh, living off of cold pizza and donuts and soda, you know, (laughs) breakfast a champion back then. But anyways, I had a blast. I loved it. It was it was always a highlight of the holidays doing the tournament and and uh, the hockey was great, but it, it was long days. It was, you know, 14 hour days in the rink during the holidays. But the tournament became a, a really big thing for scouts and and it was a really fantastically run tournament. But it always kicked off with an annual game on Boxing Day between the 87s and the Russians. And they had a touring Russian team. So two great stories come out of out of these particular Boxing Day games. In 1994, uh, the Russian Central Red Army team had been touring around Ontario playing Junior A teams, and they were steamrolling everyone, and they hadn't lost a game yet coming into this Boxing Day game to face Newmarket that year. And they featured a young star by the name of Sergei Samsonov. Oh, I remember that tour. I packed into Centennial Arena, now yeah. Herb Carnegie Arena for that game. That's right. That, that was the same tour, right? Yep. So the complex, it's sold out. It's the largest crowd in Newmarket history at the time to, to ever watch a hockey game. There's over 4,000 in there. It's jammed to the rafters. The standing room is like three, four rows deep. Uh, they're coming and sneaking in the side doors. Yeah, I think it was the year of the lockout, too. So everyone really wanted to, to get in on this hockey game. I don't ask the fire marshal if we were over the fire code. I'm sure we were. But And the 87s are coached by Wes Jarvis, former Maple Leaf and Washington Capitol, who now runs the National Training Rink in Newmarket, along with Mike Gartner. So the crowd's going nuts. It's an amazing game. Just turns out to be an amazing game. Newmarket had a good team that year. And Timmy Moran, never forget this highlight of his career, Timmy Moran of Chapleau, Ontario. He scores what would be the game winner on a breakaway in the second period. Goes bar down. Beautiful goal. 87s, they hang on all third period. And battle on to win. So the crowd's going crazy. It's the first time the Russians have lost in this tour. They beat the Russians and shut down Samson off. It's huge. You can't hear a thing in the building. And the buzzer goes, game over. Huge deal. Crowd's going nuts. But as you guys know, an important part of junior hockey fundraising is the 50-50 draw. So they're selling a ton of tickets all through the game because of this crowd. But it's the old day of tearing off the tickets and it takes forever to count them up and count the money. So it took them all game to do it. So the game ends, crowd going crazy. I've got the sound system, that old octagon speaker thing, cranked full bore because they're calling to me saying, you have to give the winning number of the 50-50 right at the end of the game. And nobody can hear anything. And it, I should be saying the final score, new market three. And I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, check your 50-50 tickets. We have the winning number. And anyone can barely hear me. I'm trying to get it out. It's a couple thousand bucks. So there's some old video somebody posted on YouTube of the game that's, 
Uh, and it's hilarious at the end. There it is. Everyone's going nuts. And you can hear me in the back. Check your 50-50. So, but, but, so yeah. And I, to this day, I'm not even sure if the winning person heard their number to get, get their money or not. What, what, a, what a great Canadian broadcasting moment, though, for a sports broadcaster, for a, for a play caller. Like, screaming out the 50-50s as, as the place is coming unglued in the background. Oh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it was going nuts. So, so that's the first one. They beat Samson off. So now this becomes the annual tradition uh the tournament kicks off on boxing day every year and Newmarket will play the russians so fast forward a few years ahead to boxing day 1999 when this time uh the russians feature another young star by the name of Ilya kovalchuk and this game had a much different tone to it and kovalchuk made a name for himself not many people really knew about kovalchuk too much before this Boxing Day game. It was a tune-up game the Russian team had had. They were going up to Timmins for the World Under-17 Challenge. So this game gets a little rough and then gets completely out of hand. There's all kinds of fights. Eventually all heck breaks loose and a brawl breaks out in the second period. 18 players get ejected. 11 of them are Russians. But this is where it starts to get funny. You get 11 Russians thrown out of the game and somehow the bench didn't lighten up that much. So at one point, Kovalchuk's in the penalty box. He's trying to climb the glass. Then he hides on the Russian bench at the feet of his players so the referees can't see him to see who's thrown out. Because back then, they just had the numbers on the sweaters. Nobody knew who these Russian kids were. So he dives under the bench so the referees can't find him to throw him out of the game. He's trying to hide. So that's not the end of it, though. So he gets tossed, and his teammates get tossed. They come back out wearing different sweaters. And they're playing in the game again. And Kovalchuk comes back. And finally, they figure out, hey, it's the same guy. He's wearing a different uniform. They kick him out again. He comes back awesome. a third time. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> because nobody, like, you, you didn't know. And the yeah. Russians were kind of, there was sort of some idea over the years that, you know, it was funny. You, the intermission would happen. And the next thing you know, someone would come out wearing the same number and look an inch or two taller. And then there'd be a fresh showered face up in the stands. So there was always kind of suspicion. They were rolling through more than their roster anyways in these games. But Kovalchuk makes a name for himself in this game, uh, just being a complete circus sideshow and coming back into the game wearing different numbers a few times. So after the game, Charlie McCowan goes down to the Russian room and, and he's fuming about this. He's he's losing it. So he starts giving it to the coach. And it's funny because Charlie always said, the Russian coach could not speak a word in English until I told him they'll never play another game in this ring. Then all of a sudden he had some English in him, right? So <laughs> what was the answer? See ya, good? Like, I don't even want to come back here. It became a big deal for the Russians too to play the annual game and do this Ontario tour. It was, it became a tune up for them, as I said, for, you know, whatever program they were going to, usually the under 17. So, uh, after a few years, it had built up to be quite a thing for them to come around and, and do the tour as well. So, but after this one, uh, yeah, that was it. That ended the annual Russian day boxing day game. The next year, the boxing day game featured a, a team from the Czech Republic. So <laughs> but Ch Charlie always joked. He said, the one mistake maybe I did is that we didn't have them back. Cause if they had played the next game, they would have been sold out to the rafters again after that whole fiasco. And, <laughs> and so, yeah. So when I think holiday hockey, I always think of the, the tournament, all the hours I spend in the rink and then the annual boxing day games and those two stories to think Samsonov and Kovalchuk both played in those games and, and to have the crazy stories that uh, that came out of them, they're they're classic. Bart's have a great <laughs> Christmas, buddy, uh, and good on you for uh, for shoveling those driveways. We'll we'll check in soon. Yeah, uh, you bet. And uh, have a safe and happy holidays, everyone. And we're looking forward to getting back at it in New Year. 
Christine Simpson, hello. Welcome to the uh, 31 Thoughts Holiday Party. Uh, first question, standard fare, what is in your cup? <laughs> How about rum and eggnog? Is that the standard for you? Is that, a bit, has that always been your staple? Well, I was going to say it is sort of the one indulgence I allow myself. And somehow at Christmas, it seems to be. I mean, it's just so rich. And I got to say, I can only probably have one. But yes, I do allow myself that. I cannot hear eggnog without thinking about Becker's. Are you the same? Yes, I am definitely the same. <laughs> we are the same. Similar vintage anyway, yes, right? Yes, we, we, uh, we're pretty much the same age. We grew up watching the same shows and watching the same commercials. And apparently, Elliot, buying the same eggnog uh, from Becker's. That's the, the symmetry with me and Simmer. I think eggnog is disgusting. <laughs> oh, I cannot stand it. Oh. Good, because I'm not sharing. Yeah, because I'm not sharing. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Simmer, one of the things we've been... Um, uh, we've been talking to lots of people about is, you know, we all have gripes and complaints and it's sort of industry fair to be grumpy uh, when you're on this side of uh, of the camera. We all are. We all have our moments. That's why we end up getting called poodles uh, all the time. But given what we've been through going back to last March, what's the one thing or maybe a couple of things that you realize, I really miss this and I'm never going to complain about it again. Hmm. Well, believe it or not, for me, it's travel. I, it, you know, And we all know there's a lot to complain about with travel, the lineups, the delays, the, you know, all of that. But <laughs> this is probably the longest I have gone in my adult life without getting on a plane and mm. I do look forward to the day that I'll be able to do that again partly too because whether it's for work or vacation it means I'm going somewhere cool and going to be around people so that might be part of it too is is actually seeing other people uh, but no I expect it will even be longer lineups and there'll be more that we need to go through at the airport to get on a plane again but I look forward to that very much. You know, you, a lot of the things that when you traveled, like if you take a look at some of the big interviews you did over the past couple of years, there was Nathan McKinnon. That one I remember was was very good. Right after he had the blow up on the bench with Jared Bednar. That was fun. That was fun. You had a good one with Eric Carlson right after he was traded to San Jose. You yeah. had one with Max Pacioretty in his first trip back to Montreal. Um, you've had a lot of big time interviews throughout your career. So I'm curious, Christine, when you get into that line and you have to show your vaccination card or take your rapid test or whatever you're going to have to do, who is to be the person you would say, I hope that this is the kind of person I'm interviewing when I next get back onto a plane? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Because you know what, the ones that you mentioned were absolute highlights for me as well. I'm, I'm glad for the people watching them, they were. You want to find someone in a moment where everybody wants to know how they're feeling and what they're saying. You know, Max Pacioretty, a great example, you know, his, his departure from Montreal had some question marks. And so to, to be able to give the fans there what he was feeling coming back, but I will also say the one that stuck with me last year that I did too was sitting down with, with Nate Thompson and his wife, Sydney. Quite often to me, mm -hmm. my favorite interviews are, are the ones that actually have nothing to do with hockey. They have to do with that person. They have to do with something that 
you know, they overcame and Nate Thompson, I mean, I'm, I'm still to this day, just so grateful that he decided that it was time uh, for him to share his story, obviously because he wanted it to help other people. Uh, and I think it did. I mean, the reaction that I not only got after doing that interview, but I know that he got from those in the hockey world and beyond. So it's interesting because I, I haven't wrapped my head around yet what hockey will be like when we come back. And I, I wonder what stories, personal stories, human stories are out there as we've all gone through this crazy, you know, nine, 10 months now. That's what I'll hope to uncover. So I don't know who it is and I'm not sure what the story will be. But those are the ones that uh, I will hope to uncover when we are back in hockey world again. One thing I wanted to ask you about that is I had a friend who was asking me, and it's kind of an interesting philosophical question. And he said, are you guys going to want to do those kinds of stories? And he said, honestly, is the audience going to want to hear those kinds of stories? Because we're going to be so COVID fatigued when life returns back to quote unquote normal, whatever that's going to be. And are people really going to want to hear those stories? And I said, you know, it's a good question, but I think people want to hear a story well told. That's always my response to that kind of thing. I agree. And I think you, you do want the combination like, absolutely. I, I am, believe it or not, I'm thinking of Ken Reed as I'm saying that. I'm also looking forward to the guys saying, yeah, we need to get pucks in deep. We need to do all of the cliches <laughs> Yes, just because we haven't heard them say that for so long. And it will signal that there is some normalcy back, hmm. you know, hearing a player give his cliche answers because it will mean hockey's back and, and uh, life is somewhat back to normal. But I still say no matter what, kind of what you said, a good story is a good story, whether it makes you laugh or it makes you cry. I agree. Hockey player personalities. Um, Elliot and I talk a lot about this on the podcast and how there's almost a, I don't know, a sea change going on right now. Like there's still plenty of, you know, yes, coach, no coach, pucks in deep. All the answers are in that room. That type of answer you're going to get from a lot of players. But it seems as if more and more, specifically with the younger players, that they're more open to show their personalities, um, more comfortable being themselves than ever before. Do you find that, Simmer? I do. And, you know, when I'm getting ready to do a game and doing my research to find little in-game stories to be able to talk about, you know, unlike before, I'm now searching through their Twitter feeds, their Instagram feeds, and being able to see more of their personality in a way that we we never could see before. And so I think that you're right. It is part of the new generation. They don't always need us to tell their stories. They can tell their own stories because they have the platforms to be able to do that. And I think when you see some of those younger guys, you know, tearing down the walls and the facades and letting people into their world, uh, it does encourage other players to, to do that as well. And in a similar but different vein, you know, you look at the guys who brought together the Hockey Diversity Alliance and speaking out, again, speaking out of the good and the bad of the hockey but hockey world, but wanting to change it for the better. And so Matt Dumba, that, that's one of the highlights of the, of the playoffs for me, you know, his speech at center ice. You, you look at that and you think, man, good for him to do it, good for his teammates to support him and the hockey world to support him. And obviously, I hope we see a lot more of that as well. 
Well, Christine, before we let you go, we're asking for favorite Christmas or holiday memories. So we're curious, what would yours be? Okay. So you would think with two hockey playing brothers that I grew up with, it would probably be like an NHL game or, you know, a London Knights game when brother Dave was the captain of the team or when Craig was in the NHL. But no, my favorite hockey Christmas memory is the floor hockey games that we used to have. Now, quick background. And Elliot went to Western as well. I grew up in London, Ontario. You might be familiar with Althouse College that is on the campus at Western. Teachers College, yep. Back in the day, my dad, Don, was uh, part of the faculty at Althouse College. So it meant that he had keys to the building. Well, Althouse College, of course, has classrooms and everything that a college would, but it also has a big gym. So on Christmas Day, Dad used to take us all up, myself, our cousins, family, friends, unlock the gym at Althouse College, and we had the run of the place. And we would have epic floor hockey games, basketball games. We'd get the trampoline out. And I was thinking, like, not only our family, our cousins, family, friends, we'd have upwards of, I'd say, like 40 people there on Christmas day and we would just go to town. And as you can imagine, the competition would get pretty stiff when you consider uh, the brothers being involved. But that to me was what Christmas was all about. And you sort of worked up a sweat and earned your turkey dinner later that <laughs> night. Man, you mentioned that and all I can think about Simmer is all the floor hockey games in various hotels at Christmas tournaments growing Absolutely. up. The mini sticks in the hallway, right? I remember those much more than the games on the ice. Like just with all, Simmer, you're you're 100% right. Man, I'm glad I'm glad you use that one uh, as your memory cuz now all those are, are flooding back to me. Uh, listen, uh, you know, before I, I got I got to ask you one more before I let you go. Yep. Who's the most competitive Simpson? Uh, I would say Craig, probably because being the youngest, he always had to fight for everything. Mm. And I would also say he would sometimes cheat if it meant he had to, <laughs> to, to win anything to win. Oh, I can't wait till he's coming on. I cannot wait to hear that. I, you just gave us ammunition. This is that's what big sisters do, right? First question, Craig, your sister says you you cheat. You cheated at mini sticks. Um, thanks so much for this, Simmer. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Best to you and your family. Thank you, boys. And right back at you. Happy holidays. Pleased to be joined now by someone who's going to take us down memory lane as I selfishly ask him questions about his career. He is uh, Gene Principe, and he joins us on uh, 31 Thoughts Holiday Special. Uh, Gene, thanks so much for stopping by the party today. Before we get going, uh, what do I see in your glass? What is your drink of choice? Uh, you know what? I have kind of started to enjoy eggnog. Uh, my wife likes it. Uh, my, now my kids, two of my three kids are old enough to drink. So they've kind of liked it. And it used to be just kind of the eggnog that you would get at the local grocery store. But now you can you can buy, a, I guess we, we used to call it spiked, yeah. uh, like the parties, eggnog. So a combination of that. I'm not much of a not much of a drinker, but I, I kind of like the taste of it as long as I can eggnog it down with a little bit of the stuff that doesn't have booze in it how about that elliot back-to-back eggnog first simmer now gene <laughs> you like the taste of eggnog now i will say this elliot it's a a small acquired window of the year <laughs> and i don't have it all the time so i think if eggnog was something that was on the shelves like for 12 months i would hate it 
but just that that little bit kind of around Christmas, it just kind of feels like it's a part of Christmas. So I, I've I've indulged in it, you know, a little bit, and so I I kind of have uh, started to enjoy it a bit more on a limited basis. So I got to tell you, like Gene, of all the people at Sportsnet and Rogers social media presence i think yours is amazing so yesterday there's somebody who tweets out that they're happy they don't have to watch their soccer on sportsnet and you know you we all get these things all the time right i just ignore it it's just blah, who cares <laughs> and i just love the way that you respond doesn't mean you have to trash us seems harsh my friend and not very nice especially during the holiday season However, still enjoy the soccer. How can you be this nice to people? I don't understand. Uh, you know what, Elliot? I, I think one of the things I do is uh, oftentimes I pick, you know, I don't even know why I pick some of them. They just, there's some people who work pretty hard on, yes. on doing the soccer stuff. And I just kind of felt like, you know, that's not really nice, but we are allowed our own opinions. And so I always try and finish it with something you know, positive. I don't want to add to the stuff that we see on social media by being mean to this individual. That's just kind of like, am I any better than him then uh, by doing that? So, you know, you try and make a point, but try and be nice about it. You know, sometimes I write my mean tweet and then delete it just so I get it out of my system and then write my nice tweet, which I send out. So I always feel better because I, I, I would hate to send that out and 30 seconds later go, man, I, I don't feel good about that. So I, I'd rather send it out and, and, and be more kind than mean to somebody. What does a Gene Principe mean tweet sound like? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's funny. My wife says, you've got everybody fooled. You're not as nice as everyone thinks. And I said, well, I, I said, you know, true. I mean, I've been married almost 24 years. And so probably with your wife and kids, you're, you're most, you know, honest, but yeah, I don't. I don't know. I try not to take things too seriously. It does take a fair amount to get me mad. I guess I I can get there, but I don't know. I I just want to try and be nice. I guess and hmm. nice can be you know, sometimes kind of boring, but I like it that way. I, I'm the kind of person that, like many, I I want to make friends, not enemies. And if I do something that I regret, I really carry it, and so I I want to have as few of those regrets and as few of those hours or days of carrying that feeling as possible you know here's the That's thing he, yeah it is great but here's the thing like i think it's harder this is the thing i give you credit for gino i think it's harder to be nice than it is to be mean of course because being mean is easy you just have to dismiss someone you can make one snide offhand comment that ends a conversation or anything like that being nice it takes more time you engage you try to think of something thoughtful to say Sometimes I think that, especially on social media, being nice is work. And uh, that's why I think it's a great credit, because I do think it is harder to be nice than it is to be mean. And that's why I think too often I try to stop myself from taking the easy way out. Yeah, and I, I would say this too. I, I would say most, if I get, let's say, 10 mean tweets, let's say, and I respond to those 10, I would say eight or nine almost always sort of come back and go, well, you know didn't really mean that or you know sorry about that i was just kind of uh, letting off some steam or they, they usually kind of take a step back or two they don't have to but normally they they kind of come back with something much softer and more pleasant than their original tweet or 
post that they sent. All right. This time of year, we all sort of get wrapped up in memories and history and nostalgia. When I think Jean Principe, one of the first things that pops into my mind, just because I loved it so much, is Sportsline. Yes. I remember when you got that job. Yes, guy. Oh, honestly, Gene, I loved Sportsline. Global Sports was fantastic. What are your memories of Sportsline? What comes to your mind when you hear that? Uh, yes, guy. Um, <laughs> for sure, that comes to mind. You know, I think that was my, you know, when I was a kid, kind of in my mid to late teens and got into broadcasting, I'd always kind of set, I wanted to work in Toronto by the age of 25. It, you know, I, I just kind of set that city and that timeline. As it turns out, I, I did get to Toronto. I was I was 28, which, you know, I was still happy with. You set goals and you try and achieve them. It was really, you know what, that, that job pretty much set me up, not for the rest of my career, because I still hopefully have a few more years to go, but it really, you know, it's like going to an Ivy League school, I think. Like, it just gives you a certain amount of prestige. It gives you a certain amount of following. It gives you a certain amount of respect. And I was on there with, you know, Jim Taddy for three years and, and the gentleman I replaced, Mark Hebsher, uh, who was, you know, legendary for the work that he did. I'll never forget my first day he called and, uh, you know, he wished me luck and kind of the old break a leg, uh, do what you've done, be yourself. And I always appreciated that from Mark. He didn't, uh, you know, he could have went, who's this guy? And, you know, he can't hold a candle to me, which was likely true. But instead, he took the nice approach and gave me a nice warm feeling to kind of start things off. I made lifelong friends out of there. Uh, not only did it help my career, but it, it kind of helped me, you know, as a person. And it was a, a great, you know, Toronto and area is a great city to live in and to experience. And so it was just wonderful. It, it really, it really set me up uh, not only for the rest of my career to this point, but kind of for the rest of my life. Christmas memories, like what's Christmas mean to you? Wow, Christmas means to me on Christmas Eve, uh, not eating meat and uh, going to church, midnight mass. I was an altar boy from grade four to grade nine. Mm. So that was very important for us. Uh, we'd go and, and that was always my, you know, my favorite mass because of all the singing and, you know, all the joy there is. And not to mention you get to open Christmas presents when you got home. So that was pretty exciting. And oftentimes Christmas Day was spent with family, uh, with some of my friends. You know, we'd slide our uh, our skates on our stick and try and head off to the local rink. We'd kind of plan for a time. And if you could make it, you could make it. You'd hop the boards, you'd put on your skates and, and you would just skate. And, and listen, it's it, now as kids who go out, uh, to bars, it's great that they have phones because I can keep track of them. But back then, you couldn't. You know, <laughs> you, you went out and you were out for hours at a time, and your parents, you know, kind of felt safe that you were with people that were good, and you were in an area that was uh, fine for playing and skating. And I think the other thing I remember, you know, I'm, I'm, I've never bought anything online. I don't know how to online shop, but I did know how to catalog shop. What? I know. Sorry, my wife does all that. I, I don't know how to buy online, and I'm I'm just holding off. But I do remember the consumers distributing catalogs and the oh, Sears catalogs yeah. and the Zellers catalogs. And, you know, we were we were a middle class to lower class family. We didn't have a lot, but we certainly had enough. And I would always pick up, you know, whether it be a pair of elbow pads, you know, a Sherwood PMP stick or one kind of brand new item. And, you know, you get the catalog number and I'd pass it on to my to my parents. And so it was always exciting getting those catalogs and shopping out of there. I, I know online is, is convenient and fast, but I love looking through those catalogs that, 
pretty much anything in the sports section to enjoy and to sometimes get. You know, Gene, that since we started this interview with you, Elliot Online has already bought two <laughs> shirts and I think a new watch. I don't know how to do it. You know, I, I hate to admit this, but the other day when we were taping some interviews, I did do some online shopping. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. But you know what that makes you, Gene? Smarter than the rest of us, that you don't do this. You are going back to the sports line days, certainly. Hey, listen, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Merry Christmas, Gene, to you and your family. Best of the holidays. Look forward to, to seeing you on television again soon. You know what? Right back at you guys and uh, keep up the great work. It's uh, two thumbs up all across the country and elsewhere when it comes to what you two are doing. Thanks very much, Gino. Elliot, let me ask you a question. Hit me. What kind of person moves house during a pandemic? <laughs> Colby Armstrong does. How you doing, Colbs? How was the move, yeah. buddy? Oh, my goodness. It's, I'll never move again. I'll yeah, never yeah, yeah. move yeah, again. Yeah, 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 yeah. We all say that. Bury me in this house. I'm never moving again. It's over. This is it. <laughs> I'm done with it. It's It was the worst ever. It was terrible. And even just buying the new house is just an all-around tough, brutal process. So, But we're in. We're here. We're happy. We're going to have our first Christmas in here. I got to tell you, two or three years ago, I can't remember how many years it was, we moved during the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Oh. I thought that was stupid and dumb. Like, I have to just tell you, you beat me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we, uh, yeah, we, well, we wanted to sell our house. We were going to build a house. So that was going to happen regardless up until this. And then we got a, got out of the build and we found a house that we could just move into right away. So it actually saved us a little bit of hassle, but I don't know. Here we are. We're, we're making it work. The old place sounded great. And it looked fantastic, too. Like, I always wonder about things that you miss from your old place. Like, there's always one or two things. Like, I used to always talk to you, and you'd say, hey, yeah, I just saw Mario and Pierre LaRouche because you were back onto a golf course. Yeah, yeah, I just went into Mario and Pierre LaRouche. You know, they're they're playing this morning. What do you miss from the old place? I guess I do kind of miss that. Like, we were right on a tee box in a golf course community type of thing. And, you know, I bought the house when I initially was playing for the Penguins. So this is in 08. Like when I got traded, the year I got traded, I bought that house. Hmm. Uh, Craig Adams rented it for years, which is really cool, really nice of him and his family until he retired. Then we moved back when I was done and moved back into our old house, which was, you know, I had the house when Mel and I were dating and now we come back in there. We have three kids, one on the way. It was just <laughs> totally different <laughs> place. But I do miss the golf course kind of thing a little bit, although I don't necessarily totally miss everyone stopping in my backyard on the tee box and you know my kids are running around in their diapers in the yard and there's toys everywhere and I got to tell them to be quiet while they're teeing off you know it's kind of a whole thing I'd much rather the house we're in right now beautiful place great neighborhood lots of young families and kids everywhere it's awesome I think the thing that I'm curious about now is you know Christmas unfortunately for people it's not going to be the normal Christmas this year but a newly expanded family a new house. What's it going to be like for you these this time? Yeah, it'll just be us. It'll just be us in here doing our Christmas. And trust me, guys, we have more than enough people. Four kids. Um, <laughs> Christmas morning is a huge gong show. It is a gong show. So I'm looking forward to it. Our three-year-old is at a great age where she's super excited about everything. Our five-year-old is going bonkers for it. Our seven-year-old is super... We have three young girls and Cruz, my oldest boy. So if all fails, I mean, me and my... Me and my boy will just scurry to the basement to watch TV together and hide out. From 
the craziness. I'm curious about, about Cruz. I know he's a big hockey kid. What is he looking forward to at, at Christmas? And does he, uh, my kids are still, you know, they're all, they're gaga for hockey still, obviously. And I, I think Cruiser is too. Uh, what kind of stuff is he into? Like, what does he ask you for Christmas? Yeah, it's interesting because I've kind of been waiting for him to like really like take on, like he wants to play hockey. He tells me I want to be an NHL hockey player. I'm like, oh, that's great. That's great. You know, it takes like a lot. Like you really got to want it. You know, you really got to love hockey. Like you have to love it, man. So I just kind of like let him, let him do his own thing. And, and he's kind of getting more interest now and just like really jumping into it. So everything he kind of wants for Christmas right now, I asked him what he wants and he just says a new hockey stick. Hopefully Santa brings him a new stick. And believe it or not, the craziest thing about him is, and I, I'm going to say this on here, so it's going to get lots of play because you guys are big dogs and this this is big time. He loves McDavid. He loves Connor McDavid. And we live in Pittsburgh and Sidney Crosby's here. And I'm going, what are you doing? Like, crowd, what crowd? He loves McDavid. So, and I think all most of the kids on his team, like, love McDavid as well. So, he wants all this McDavid stuff. McDavid poster. He wants a McDavid stick. He wants all this McDavid stuff. So, his stick has to have the P28 curve? Yeah, that big toe curve with the it, it, yep. it's, I don't like I don't like the toe of the curve. If you know people look at it, it yeah, it's got like a rounded, weird. I don't know. It's hard. I think it's tough for younger kids to get used to using. So when Crosby comes over to your house, does your son say, "Hey, do you know Connor McDavid"? <laughs> I know he hasn't done that yet. I remember like a funny story. Like I don't think I don't think uh, my son knew like Sid on the ice was Sid off the ice. Yeah. So like a number of years ago, we were, we were over at his place and that it was just like, Sid was just a guy, but I don't think it clicked home that it was like, that was the same Sid that he, that is like the penguin Sid. Hmm. It was just like a guy. Ah, that's pretty funny. I kind of got the impression that that's where he was. That's what it was at. Cause it wasn't like, he didn't kind of <laughs> like, you know, it wasn't like the usual kid thing, you know, it was kind of different. Just dad's friend. So <laughs> Uh, Dad's friend Sid's here again. Oh, this guy. <laughs> Every day with this guy. Now, by the way, Jeff, did we ask Colby what we were serving him? I don't think we did. No. What's in your glass for Christmas, Colbs? Rum and eggnog. Oh, my God. Can I just say, like, I used to hate it. I never thought I would like it. I Eggnog, nothing, but I, I love it. This is torture for Elliot right now. Oh, I can't believe all the eggnog people. Third, you're the third person in a row. To say eggnog, Christine Simpson, Jean Principe, and now you. I never had it before. I can honestly say, and and um, I feel bad about this. I forget the guys. Uh, you guys probably know them. That uh, the Roots guys at the Roots store. Oh yeah, yeah. Great guys, and they had a uh, Leafs Christmas party at their store, which was awesome. Like you know, wives, girlfriends. It was it was fantastic party, and they had a eggnog station there, rum and eggnog station. You get a drink. I never had really a rum and eggnog before. It kind of looked gross to me. Mm -hmm. And I had it there, the nutmeg, everything on top of it. It was really cool. I tried it. I was just amazed. And ever since then, so this was like in 2011 or something like that, I loved it. I loved it. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like I can't wait for eggnog season at the store when they start cracking out the jugs of eggnog. I just go to town. I just go to town, boys. Hey, Elliot. <laughs> what is going on? Does does <laughs> Melissa like, like eggnog? She does, yes, yes. But you like... I'm surprised at how many people really haven't liked eggnog or don't like the look of it or never even tried it, right? Like, I think that's a real thing. So I say try it. I say give it a shot. Hey, if you don't like it, you don't like it. But you got to put some decent rum in there too. I like Appleton's rum. See, I don't. I have about zero time for eggnog right now in my life. Like zero. <laughs> zero time for eggnog. But when I was a kid, and we talked to Christine Simpson about this, 
every year when Beckers would come out with their eggnog, look out. Like after hockey games, like this was the biggest treat when we got home. Speaking of, of, of Christmas time and being a kid, give us a snapshot of Saskatchewan Christmas for Colby Armstrong and Riley for that matter. Yeah, it was awesome. It was great. It was like we are like I just remember my childhood. Like honestly, if I wasn't skating at the rink my dad built me in the backyard, or once we got a little older, if he didn't build it, we had a park just down the street where we'd skate at the outdoor rink at the park. Or we were playing, you know, street hockey outside with all the kids. So that was kind of like, you know, just general my childhood. But just around Christmas, family was over. Uh, we got to open up one present the night before Christmas. And it always was like a pair of like pleated khakis with like a, a floral <laughs> button up that we could wear to church that night. You know, like something that you had just like, you know, part your, your mom would like part your hair at the side and like lick it, her finger and rub your hair down. <laughs> it was like that whole operation was happening. And we go to church, come home, wake up. And the next day, my dad was just getting the food rolling, which I loved, which was the best part. You know what, Colby? I, the, the one thing I wanted to, to just close on is... um. It's a bit of a heavier topic if you're okay talking about it. I know that you've kept close with some of the kids from Humboldt. Um, just how much at this time of year and during COVID have you spoken to them? Yeah, we've spoken to a few of them. A few have reached out to me. A few that I, I got to know, you know, I would say immediately after it, but it wasn't really immediate. It was just kind of getting to know them and going back home and being a part of it. I, You know, Tyler Smith is a guy I'm fairly close with, Nick Shumlansky. Um, a few just reach out to say hello. I reach out to say hello back to them, and it's just kind of like that. But um, it's great to follow them, right? Like I've enjoyed following uh, with social media. You can see, you know, the successes they have. A lot of them are doing a lot of speeches and, and uh, you know, really into, you know, the helping others right now through what they went through. So I've loved staying in touch with Nick Shemlansky and, and Tyler Smith and just seeing what they've been up to and, and the stuff that they've been able to do in the last few years. So that's pretty much it here and all the way here in Pittsburgh. I always kind of let them know, like, listen, I know it's different right now, but leading up to the pandemic, as you know, the door's always open, come down, come to a Penguins game, come hang out, come check it out. And it just works out. Also, Tyler Smith is a massive Penguins fan. So that's handy. Yeah. He's been down and he sent me like a picked a video the other day of him with like his new retro, like uh, Penguins winter coat, which is like the old starter coat that we all used to wear yes. when I was a kid. Which yes, yeah, and he he was all pumped to get it, so he sent me this video. He's like, "Check this out!" So he's all <laughs> Christmas came early for Smitty. Yeah, it was it was it's nice to see. It's nice to see. I mean, he's doing really well with the talks that he's been doing and helping out in mental health, and you know, he's he's kind of finding his way in that space right now. It's nice to see. That's awesome. Well, you and Melissa are great people. Great yes. Anya. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, guys. You and Mel and the kids. Have a great Christmas, Colbs. Thanks for popping by. All right. I hope everyone gets everything they're hoping for this year. I know it's strange, but, uh, and thanks for all you guys do. I, I love listening to you guys always, and I can't wait till I can see you guys. <laughs> we haven't gotten any prettier, Colbs. Like, we're still a like, couple <laughs> couple ugly dudes. But we've got we've got Hillary with the makeup. That alleviates that a lot of the key. problems. Hillary so. is the secret weapon. Oh, Hillary Whitebread. God bless you. Oh, man. All right. Thanks, Colbs. Be well. Thanks, Colby. All right. Take care, guys. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Everything. All right. Elliot, it's always a good day when Cassie Campbell's part of the party, and she is again today. Now, Cassie, I'm not sure if it's a glass or it's a goblet. Uh, but your royalty around here, what is in your container? 
Well, it'd be the largest container that is at the venue that I'm at. I always would ask for a large beer or a large drink. But I think around this time of year, I would say it is a spiced rum and eggnog with cinnamon (laughs) on top. Yeah, That's forward. Hang on. The reason I'm laughing, Cassie, is because you're the fourth person in a row to mention eggnog, which which Elliot thinks is disgusting (laughs) and has no time for... And I think he's just throwing up a little bit in his mouth, even just hearing oh, a reference to eggnog. So Gene Principe mentioned it. Uh, Christine Simpson mentioned it. Colby Armstrong. And you make it for Cassie. Now, we had no eggnog, and now it's all over the place. My husband makes in the best because, like, the rum just sort of sits on top a little bit. And then so your first sip, it's like, whoo, it's like lights out almost. And then, uh, yeah, it's just pure goodness, pure goodness. Now, were you a Becker's eggnog person? I asked Simmer oh, the same gosh, thing. Becker's, yes. Right? Yes, because you'd run out and you'd run to Becker's, right? Oh, my gosh, they have eggnog at Becker's. Yes. And you'd go and, um, yeah. <laughs> we don't have Becker's out here in the West, I don't think. But that when I was growing up in Ontario, that was key. Elliot, you enjoying this conversation? <laughs> I'm going to pretend it never happened. I'm going to make you one one of these days and change your opinion. I will try Brad's famous eggnog and see if it makes me change my opinion. However, I expect it will validate the truth. Give us your example of your drink. I'm on a peaty scotch. I'm on Lagavulin. So that's what I'm doing. That's fancy. Especially at this time of year. And in a special party, you got to go with the good stuff. Cassie, what I say, I asked them, I asked Louis DeBrus this as well, both of him and his son, Jake. But I would imagine you'd be the same way. Like when you think of growing up around Christmas time, is it more about Santa or more about hockey tournaments? I think it's the hockey tournaments. And it's in particular for me was getting my own hockey equipment. You know, for years I, you know, I had an older brother. So of course I'm going to get the hand-me-downs as the younger sibling. And I'll never forget. It was like second year Bantam and Cooperalls came out and I finally got my very <laughs> own set of Cooperalls. And then oh, I remember my very own set of shoulder pads, like new, brand new out of the package, which never happened to me. Uh, so I, I think it is a little bit of both. Like it centers all around hockey, but getting your own equipment as the youngest sibling that's brand new out of the package, there's like nothing like it. You know, your first pair of skates, they're actually the first person yeah. who's actually worn them. But you know, hockey's expensive, so it was it's tough on parents. But that that was big. It was like my second year bantam. Let's go back to Cooperalls there for a second. Because I was like <laughs> you. I was really excited the first time I put on Cooperalls. And I was less excited the first time I went down on the ice in Cooperalls and realized, wow, these things slide. It's hard to get back up. Do you want to know the cool thing? My mom was my coach growing up uh, for part of my minor hockey, and she got me the Cooperalls, Jeff, that you could unzip the legs so they could be pants, short pants or long no pants. Way. Yes. And it was like, oh. I felt like a legend, you know, I felt like <laughs> such a huge deal. And I, same thing, you fall down on your long Cooperall pants and you'd keep going, right? You just slide forever. Yeah. And then I remember unzipping them, right? And they became just the short hockey pants and there was nothing like those. Like, I wish I still had them, you know, just kind of wrapped up and saran wrap or something to keep them, you know, so they're good historically, I guess. But I, those were the best, the ones that unzipped. And my mom got them. She was bang on. It was so good. That's elite, Cassie. That is very elite. She was good. Now, I look at your situation. Obviously, you were a heck of a player, Cassie. And when we think of 
Christmas and hockey, it's World Juniors. Mm-hmm. Was there anything for you growing up that you played at this time of year? Any tournaments, any Christmas events you ever played in? Yeah, we had the Mississauga Girls Hockey Tournament. I played for the Brampton Canadettes, and we were in that tournament every year. Boxing Day, it started in the four rinks, Meadowvale four rinks. That's where we played. And, and uh, Oh, Meadowvale four rinks. Oh, you know, as a, as a young girl, you'd show up, you got all your new Christmas clothes on for Boxing Day. You're feeling good about yourself. You got your brand new hockey equipment. I mean, you played your best at that tournament, right? Like, you just felt like the cat's meow. And that was our thing. We, you know, we, we didn't often do much else. I, I was at the Mississauga girls hockey tournament. My brother was probably at some other tournament and yeah. So it was a fun time. We're going to get hyper local right now. Cause you mentioned Meadowvale. What were some of the, the other ranks? This is like, I'm totally excluding everybody outside of the GTA here, Elliot on the podcast, but Cassie, what were your favorite ranks? And did you ever play at Dixie arena? I did. I played at Dixie arena and that was that was a big deal for us in women's hockey to play at Dixie Arena, if you can believe that. Why? Well, it was just kind of considered the boys' arena a little bit, you know? And yeah. and so when you got to play there, it was pretty neat. But, you know, two rinks that stand out for me, Rosalie Arena in Brampton, which is now was has now been since condemned and torn down. It was the coldest, <laughs> the most run-down arena, but they had the best uh, slush puppies, right? They had the slush puppy machine. Oh. But I used to practice or play every Sunday morning at 7.15. Can you imagine like being a parent sitting in at the uh. coldest rink possible? You know, you're getting up so early to bring your kid to hockey. And then another one for me is the Brampton Memorial Arena because that was my brother's arena. That's where the Brampton, the boys association played. And we never, ever got to play there. In fact, I never actually got to play there until I was an elite player playing for the Toronto Arrows. And, um, I'll never forget my first experience playing there. It was just unbelievable. And that rink is legendary. Just, you know, the curved ceiling and just the oldness to the rink. And that was pretty special. Who was the toughest, the toughest player you either played with, played against, or saw? Well, I think Angela James. Uh, I, I was a teammate of hers, but I also played against her. And, and I remember being a defenseman and having her come down the wing and she'd just wind up with some kind of howitzer and, she was just tough as nails and, you know, she dominated the 1990 World Championship and I remember watching that and who I played against was Angela Ruggiero, Hockey Hall of Famer. Well, both of them are Hockey Hall of Famers and, you know, I played on the top line for Team Canada with Wick and Goyette and and my job was to go in and, you know, she was always paired up against them as the top defenseman and, and she was a big physical player and, you know, just a great, great player. And uh, my job was to get in on the forecheck, you know, and, and she was my job. So, like she was the one I had to kind of attack and get the puck and, you know, give some space to Gwen and Wick to do their thing. And, and it was tough. And, you know, there were moments where we stood toe to toe and we said a lot of things to each other. But um, I have a ton of respect for what she does for the game. And even though she's, she played for the U.S., I think it's fair to say I could call her a friend today. Yeah. Can we rewind to Angela James there for one second? How many times did you see her fight? I only saw her fight once. Uh, I don't know how many other times it would have happened, but she fought arguably the other toughest player I've ever seen in Donalyn Rosa. And I remember the benches cleared and we, we formed like a boxing ring, kind of all of us, you know, we just, we were so excited to see this, you know, especially in women's hockey where you, you get suspended for 10 games, which was like a quarter of your season. Right. But it was like the legendary fight. And um, the best thing though about Angela James is that, she was mean and fierce on the ice, but she's like the greatest person off of it. And isn't that always the way? Totally. No one else has done what she's done for the game, like as far as coaching, playing, refing. 
building aspect of it. I mean, uh, there really should be a movie about Angela James in our country, for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you're right, like one of the toughest ever. And then off like every conversation I've ever had, and you've had more, like could not be sweeter, could not be nicer. Yeah. And then I always think back, like, because I never saw her scrap, but I've heard the stories and you've told me some too. And I think to myself, man, like this doesn't seem like this person that I'm talking to right now. Like that's how different they seem. I remember I was, she played for the Arrows, I believe at this time. And I was playing for Mississauga and she was coming down the wing and I was a defenseman. And I, I remember I was probably like 17 years old. I was scared. Like it was one of the only times where I was scared because I, I knew I had to have a good gap, but I didn't want to get too close of a gap because she could just bully over. And I knew she had a good shot. So if my gap was way too big, she'd just use it. And, and yet I wanted nothing to do with her. I was a 17 year old kid just hoping this moment was going to be over. And, uh, I'm proud to say she didn't score, but I'll never forget the one, the first time I ever faced her one on one. It was more of a mental game than a physical game for sure. Like I just wanted that moment to be over as soon as possible without too much damage. So last one for me, um, you know, Christmas, unfortunately for a lot of people this year, we're not going to be able to see as many people as we'd like to, but I'm betting the holiday has changed in a good way for you. Um, your husband, Brad, used to work for Hockey Canada, so he'd be traveling a lot at this time of year for World Juniors. Now he's in the Calgary organization. I guess you guys get a chance to spend with your daughter more time together over the holiday. It must be a, a really good bonus for the Campbell Pascal family. Yeah, I think it is. You know, usually this time of year, we've got this little break like you guys, right? And, and you're rushed and you're trying to cram everything in and, so in that sense, it's going to be nice to be able to just kind of sit down and watch and, and just, well, just spend time together. We've got, we've got some fun plans. We're going to go into the mountains and stuff, but really we're just having dinner with the three of us. And, you know, the world juniors, I remember my very first one, I'd go, I'd finish my training. We'd have a Christmas break and I'd go and meet up with Brad, you know, when we were dating at the time it was in 1999, Winnipeg, Roberto Luongo was the goaltender for Canada. And, and I remember being in that building and that was the old Winnipeg building, you know, with the picture of the queen and mm -hmm. it, like, it was just, you know, I got to go to the world juniors every time they were in Canada because of my husband's role and then boyfriend's role. And it, it became kind of this tradition for me to go to the world juniors in Canada every year. And, and then when he left hockey Canada and, you know, left that side of the, the business, if you will, you know, it's still something we support. Like, you know, I remember 95 and red deer and, and, you know, just all those players and like, there's so many highlights from that tournament that stand out for me. So I'm looking forward to watching it and cheering on Canada and, and then being back with Hockey Canada part-time now with our women's program, like you kind of feel part of it again, like you kind of feel part of the team. And I haven't had that feeling in a while. So, you know, it, it makes you remember what it feels like to wear the maple leaf. So I'm, I'm going to be cheering hard for Canada like everybody else and, and looking forward to just spending more quality time with family. You're one of the good ones, Cass. Uh, we love you. Thanks so much for stopping by. Uh, to you, Brad, Brooke, the entire family, uh, Merry Christmas. Have a great holidays, and we'll catch up on the other side of the new year. Well, thanks to you both for including me on this list of, of many people you know, and all the best for the holiday <laughs> season, and, uh, and love you both. You know that, so take care. I'm going to put that Cassie Campbell Pascal on the list of people we know. <laughs> I'm so lucky. I'm so yeah. lucky. Thanks, Cassie. All right, Cassie. Thanks a lot. Bye. Elliot, a big star is coming on the program now and joining us here at a holiday party. It is Anthony Stewart. And uh, Stewie, now that you're a superstar of radio, television, Hockey Night in Canada, Battle of the Blades, have your own hockey company, training, and a minor hockey coach, etc., 
whether you're at the um, at Captain Jack's in the beaches or whether you're at uh, the 31 Thoughts podcast Christmas party or holiday extravaganza, what are you drinking? <laughs> well, I'll start off by saying that uh, Captain Jack's, they actually sell the most beer per capita in all of Ontario. So if you have a chance to uh, check it out in the beaches, be sure to, <laughs> or don't. But, uh, you know, now that I'm more sophisticated now, I'm uh, more of a red wine guy. So... I'm not drinking really? the bottles of Chemis anymore. I'm more so the uh, Chateau St. Michel or the, the $25 bottles as opposed to the $200 bottles. I never thought I would see Anthony Stewart, bourgeoisie. I never thought that was going to happen, <laughs> Stewie. <laughs> That's funny. Um, you know, I got, I got to wonder, like Christmas in the Stewart household, you know, you come from a big family. I've seen you play. I've seen Chris play. I can only imagine how tough it was to handle the two of you. How were your parents able to handle everybody? Well, there was uh, a family of seven. So we had five sisters growing up. And again, they were rough and rowdy. You know, my sisters are all, you know, five eleven, six feet. Uh, so when things got out of hand, they really got out of hand. But uh, during the holidays, you know, regardless of where we were, we tried to always come together and have a big, big party. Uh, our family house used to be on a street called Catalina. So we'd have a big Christmas party called the Catalina wine mixer where, you know, there'd mm. probably be a hundred, 150 people there. Some people, you know, that you didn't even know would wake up the next morning on Christmas day, you know, you know, watching us open presents on waiting as if they're getting a present. No, it's time to go home, buddy. But that just shows um, <laughs> how family oriented we were, where there was people that, you know, didn't really have anywhere to go, but they knew on Christmas during the holidays that the Stewart household was a place to be. The Stewart household is a great place to be. And I'll tell you what, last Christmas, Elliot, Stewie sends me a picture of the buffet table. Okay, so the, the, the Christmas spread, I go, oh, Stewie, that looks great. And he sends back, look closely, lasagna, every single big event. So whether it's Christmas or birthdays or anniversaries, we know there's a lasagna there. So who makes it? Take us back. Who makes the lasagna? And as a follow-up question, Stewie, yeah. the big hard-hanging question of the day for you as a lasagna gourmet and connoisseur, is lasagna a cake? Uh, a pasta cake, I guess, of some sort. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. But it's delicious. And my sister, I would say I'm a lasagna, more so a lasagna connoisseur than a, than a wine connoisseur. But uh, my sister bakes the best lasagna and uh, people ask me, well, how good it is? And I say, it's better than Italy. So if that's a compliment, <laughs> where, um, I don't know what she puts in it, what the magic ingredient is, but I literally, when I say I can crush a whole lasagna made by my sister, I can crush a whole lasagna. It may take me a couple days. And, you know, after two or three days, you don't really want to be eating lasagna, but it is that good that mm. it can be two weeks later. If there's still some lasagna left, I'm firing in the microwave and eating it. So it's that great. So I say it's better than Italy. I got to tell you, in the 17th century, Anthony, a thousand ships would be launched at this sentence. Now, <laughs> there were no podcasts back then, so maybe we would have been safe. But I, I think wars would start over comments like that one. Now, I know, and she's not Italian. We have a little bit of a, a Malta background. Our great-grandparents were from Malta, but uh, we don't really have that. Uh, we're not really Italian. So those are fighting words, and I'm sure there's some hmm. uh, Italian people listening to that uh, that comment, and they're probably going to want to... Uh, you know, fight me when they see me in Woodbridge next time. Well, I think I think what we're going to have to have here is the great 31 Thoughts Lasagna Bake Off. I'm in. I'll send in a sample just for fun. I, I don't even need to have the competition because I know that she would win the uh, the giant ribbon for sure. That's how good it is. It's a fact. 
Now, this Christmas is special for you guys. The Stewart family is uh, is one bigger. You know, how's everybody doing? Uh, baby Dylan is doing well. She was born uh, three weeks ago on the uh, the 16th, and uh, she's finally sleeping almost through the night, only waking up once, maybe twice, where uh, before it was uh, four, uh, four times during the night. But I'm sleeping well. I'm sure you're asking how I'm feeling. I'm feeling great. I'm sleeping well. Uh, my wife, uh, not so much, but she's starting to get back into the routine of things. But uh, like we said, we're family oriented. My sister's been over and cooking, cleaning, basically living with us for the last uh, two months. So it uh, definitely takes a village. And it's great that we have a, a close knit family helping out with everything. Have you had anyone ask you the Canadian question about Dylan yet? And you know what the Canadian question is, right? Uh, is this a 90210 reference? I'm trying to think. No, the Canadian question, left shot or right shot? <laughs> I don't know. I think she's going to be a right shot just so I can save some money on uh, sticks here. I got all my, 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 my sticks cut down from when I was a player and uh, my son and daughter are both using them. But my daughter, my other daughter who plays uh, house league with the Markham Waxers, she's a left shot. So she's sort of veering away from the family tradition because when you're not right, you're wrong, as they say. <laughs> at least you can use those as hand-me-downs right yeah like that's yeah. that's the good news okay so you don't have to buy a whole bunch of new ones well you know anthony i, I wanted to ask you like this past year was uh was a big one for you your role grew here at sportsnet you were on battle of the blades just when you look back at your your media career starting to take off and what the 2020 year was like i mean it was a huge challenge for a lot of people i, th- I thought you really made the best of it and um you know what were some of the highlights for this past year as your media career starts to take off uh it was definitely a, a great experience and just seeing the opportunities i've been getting especially during the pandemic it's it's been definitely amazing and the one thing i can say and i want to thank uh you know you jeff and elliot as well is that uh, everyone's been great. Everyone says show business is cutthroat. Everyone's out it for themselves, but everyone has been, you know, welcoming. Everyone's been helping. Jeff, you've helped me, you know, on the side. Elliot, you've uh, given me some pointers over the year. So it's great that everyone's in that, you know, that close knit community as well, you know, in the in the media side. So for me, I think the highlight would be probably calling my first Leaf game and, uh, and you know, being a player and, and and going on hockey night in Canada and, and being a part of that. So to be a part of that on the broadcast side has definitely been a great experience. But the one thing I can say is I don't uh, try not to be in the moment because when you think about it, that's when you mess up. So I think I've only messed up once where I've uh, had the uh, the Ricky Bobby where I don't know what to do with my hands and I sort of lose my train of thought. That's only happened once. And I thank everybody except for uh, BXA who laughed at me. Everyone else uh, <laughs> felt my pain, but BXA was the only one that laughed. But You know, Stewie, if that's the worst thing that happens to you, you are so far ahead of the game. You know, it's funny, like, my buddies still make fun of me because that one night we did that game in the playoffs, Toronto-Columbus, where Toronto had that big comeback, and Matthews passed to Hyman, and yeah. we and I said, who thought Matthews was going to pass the puck there? <laughs> and you raised your hand. I go, Anthony, how did you know? He goes, and you go, because I know hockey. And my buddies were like, ah, he was saying that he knows hockey and you don't, you idiot. Like, oh, it was awesome. It was so funny. <laughs> that wasn't the case. I wasn't trying to put you on the spot there. But no. the funniest moment, the most fun moment, Elliot, was uh, when we were both wearing the same color jacket. <laughs> and uh, Twitter had a heyday on that. And actually, somebody Photoshopped my beard, your beard, actually, onto my face. And so that was a funny day where I remember everybody in the lounge there uh, laughing. <laughs> oh, those are the best days. Those are the best days. Speaking of social media, I mean, you've become the the hockey gift king and your social media presence is one to behold. Uh, I was a big fan of, as you referred to it, the Battle of Nylandaria, 
What's been your favorite social media battle so far, Stewie? Uh, the Nylandaria one was pretty crazy just based on the fact that there's a faction of Leaf fans, obviously, in the city, but there's a faction of Nylander fans. When they're actually on Twitter looking to see his name and any negative thing that's said about him, it's full-on attack mode. So <laughs> I know why Berkey says he not, he's not on Twitter. It's because the Nylander fans, I think, would be after him every single day, all day. So I think that was probably uh, the peak one. But I loved watching the comments on Justin Bourne when he was trying to tell Canada that Carey Price was the fourth best-ranked goaltender in Canada in the Canadian division, and they gave it to him pretty, pretty hard. So, again, I don't try to get the fans riling, uh, riled up on purpose. It's my honest opinion. I'm not hot take Tuesday guy, as Jeff says, but it's good to have a little bit of fun, uh, especially on Twitter. Nice. Great year. Great to have you on board, buddy. Have a great holiday. Yeah, thanks a lot. And I just want to say, Jeff and Elliot, you guys have been great to me, and I appreciate all the help that you guys done behind the scenes. And, again, I'm very grateful for everything, and keep up the great work, guys. You too, my man. We haven't fooled, Elliot. We got him fooled. <laughs> Stewie, you're the best, man. Continued success, pal. Best to you and the family. Thanks, guys. It would not be a party, Elliot, without Kelly Rudy, and thankfully he is here. And the first question, Kelly, we must ask is, what can we pour into that empty cup of yours that would make you happy? Oh, boy. I think anybody that knows me, that's a pretty simple answer, Jeff and Elliot. It's a nice glass of red wine, chilled preferably, mm. and uh, that would make my my day in my holiday season on saturday nights after we're done with hockey night kelly and i will often go have a glass of wine together and where we go they know have the red wine ready with a cup of ice because they know that's what kelly likes and you know what guys it's kind of funny because uh, as you know over the years i posted some of my dinner photos from uh, the road trips and uh, oftentimes uh, there's a glass of ice exactly right beside my glass, Elliot, and there's a few cubes in the glass. And people started to quiz me on that, like, what is that? How in the world can you put <laughs> ice in red wine? And over the years, I've gotten some feedback that, hey, they've been trying it. They like it. And uh, not only that, but when they, they're home, they put their wine in the fridge or at least chill it a little bit. And it makes all the difference in the world. I do actually put my red wine in the fridge. Now, hang on here. There's a difference. This is my table wine. It's, if somebody's coming over and we're celebrating something and uh, we're going to have a little nicer bottle of wine, mm-hmm. of course I wouldn't put it uh, in the fridge and ruin the, the beauty of that bottle. But uh, I'm just talking about table wine and something that, uh, gotcha. you know what, if you chill it too much or put a little bit of ice cubes in, it's not going to affect the wine. Trust me. I was going to say, because for a second there, Kelly, I'm sure people started looking at whatever they're using to run this podcast, their phone, their iPad, their tablet, their laptop, and we're about to maybe just drive off the road and listen to you talk about red wine in the fridge. (laughs) (laughs) I still get that. I get a lot of red wine snobs that are, how dare you? You're ruining it. You can't do it. But Yeah, I don't care. That's how I prefer it, and it uh, goes down the hatch just perfectly. (laughs) Well, let me ask you about about food then as we dovetail from wine. We just talked to Anthony Stewart a second ago, and one of the staples for his uh, Christmas meal is his sister's lasagna, which, as we find out, is world-class. Is there a must-have Rudy staple uh, at the Christmas buffet table every year for you? 
Oh, boy, that's a tough one because I grew up, uh, as you guys know, I'm Ukrainian, so we mm -hmm. would have the traditional turkey dinner with mashed potatoes, but we'd also have uh, pierogies and cabbage rolls and the traditional Ukrainian dishes. And to this day, I guess we have like the turkey and the mashed potatoes, but the one item, uh, traditional Ukrainian item, we still have cabbage rolls, but you have to hang on here. They're not the cabbage rolls that most people would think of. They're not covered in the tomato sauce. They don't have meat. They're with sour cabbage. Not the Schmenke brothers uh, cabbage rolls. <laughs> SCTV. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. These are traditional Ukrainian cabbage rolls. I don't know if they're for everybody because they're like a sour sweet taste to them. But, mm -hmm. uh, oh, man, they are so delicious. And uh, we're lucky because my mom has come down a number of times and visited and she's made the uh, traditional Ukrainian food and our kids love it, too. So it's great. So, Kelly, earlier on today was uh, was flooding the rink in the backyard, and it looks like we'll meet. We might even be able to skate because we've had some uh, some really cold temperatures the past couple of days. Might even be able to skate this weekend. And I always think of how soft we are in southwestern Ontario when we compare ourselves to uh, Albertans and Manitobans. I mean, people from Montreal always give it to me. I wonder. What's the coldest, like from playing outside, Kelly, what's the coldest you've ever been playing hockey? Oh, man. Well, going back in the 60s, uh, growing up in Edmonton, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing about climate change and the debate and all that, but it was much colder back then. And I must tell mm -hmm. you that it was often that we were playing uh, minus 20 and, and colder. That was a way of life back then. But uh, having said that, we didn't know any different, right? That's, that's what I grew up yeah. with. And uh, that's what the weather conditions were. And keep in mind, guys, because I was not a, a high-level goalie. So when I started playing hockey at 12, my only experiences of playing hockey were out on outdoor rinks. Only during minor hockey week, uh, and it would only be a game or two for our teams, would I ever have a chance to play indoors until um, I was uh, 16 going on 17 years old when I finally made a rep team. Now, you know, that skewed a little bit. We had these things called shells. I don't know if you have those in Ontario, but uh, they were still freezing cold. They were covered, but they were freezing cold still. And uh, mm -hmm. that was sort of my version of playing indoors. But man alive, it was absolutely freezing. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm glad to say kids don't have to go through that extreme weather anymore. Let's take it a bit further. Maybe your favorite Christmas memory. I'm going to go to uh, one Jeff that, uh, and Elliot, you both know my love for Al Arbor and the impact he had on oh, my yeah, life. But, yeah. man, did I make him mad one year. It was my second year in the league, and so it's 84-85. Uh, and so Christmas 1984, I believe we played uh, on December 22nd. Then we had the 23rd, 24th, and 25th off, but we played – the 26th in Pittsburgh, and uh, I was always, throughout my whole life, I was horrible right after the holidays because I loved the holidays, Christmas, more than any other time of the year, and it was really t tough for me to focus. So we went out caroling. There's five, uh, five couples. There's Dwayne and Cindy Sutter, Brent and Connie Sutter, Greg and Tammy Gilbert, Thomas and Christina Janssen, and Donna and I. And we went to some of the veterans' homes, and we had Christmas cheer on the night of the 23rd. So we went to Clark and Pam Gillies. We went to Bob and Janice Bournes. We went to, I can't recall, a couple other guys. 
And then we finally made it. Our last stop on the night was uh, assistant coach Brian Kilray. And uh, Brian and Judy Kilray, we, we had a number of drinks there. We stayed out way too late. And uh, Al got word of this after. And he didn't say anything to me. Uh, I started in Pittsburgh on the 26th. I was horrible. Not because of the, not because of the cheer. That was two or three nights before, but I just couldn't focus. Mike Bullard had a hat trick for Pittsburgh that night, and Al was furious with me. I'm getting on the bus leaving the Pittsburgh arena, and he called me Santa Claus. He goes, "Oh, you like giving gifts to everybody, huh, Santa Claus?" And he was just ripping into me. He tore into me for about five days, and he never let me forget it. And I can tell you what, I never went Christmas caroling again. In my NHL career, I was too afraid to. <laughs> you know, Kelly, there's um, I've had so many different conversations about goaltenders with you, and one of the ones, a lot of them have stuck with me, and and one of them was, I remember you and I talking about that first wave of European goaltender that came in. Like, what do you recall from that era where it was? You know, pretty much every team had, you know, whether it was their NHL goalies and their minor league goalies as well, we're all North American, generally all Canadian. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was Marcus Matson, it was Yuri Sira, it was Hardy Astrom. Well, what did the goaltending fraternity back then do with this, this first wave of European goaltenders? Yeah, so there's kind of different stages. So the guys that you mentioned... Uh, now, I'm just going to generalize, but for the most part, sure. a, lo a lot of us North American goalies didn't feel as though they could make the transition to the smaller ice. Uh, and one of the reasons why we kind of thought they didn't challenge enough. So they played a little bit deeper in the net. And those guys that you mentioned had some success, but it, the first guy that really came onto the scene that I knew was going to be great was Dominic Hoshik. And it wasn't when I saw him in North America, it was my first experience playing against Dominic Hoshik was in the 86 uh, World Championships in Moscow. And, uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, is this guy any good? And uh, then the next year, uh, we played against him when he was playing for Czechoslovakia again in the 87 Canada Cup. And I remember talking to some team official uh, with Czechoslovakia outside the dressing room in Hamilton where some of the games were played. And the guy said to me something like, well, Dom isn't having the best uh, tournament here, but trust me, he's the best goalie in the world. And I thought, okay, uh, I don't know about that, but I, I do think that he's a really tremendous goalie. Well, as it turns out, you guys know his development and what he turned into, but it was in the summer, it would have been a couple of years later. Remember when he was first part of the Chicago Blackhawks organization? Of course. Yeah, and so he was training. I think his agent might have been Rich Winter, who's based out of Edmonton. And so Dominic was skating with, there was a conditioning camp there that uh, a lot of NHLers would go to. And uh, it was run by Kevin Primo, who was an assistant coach for the Oilers. The three goalies in that conditioning camp, where Grant Fear, myself, and Dominic Hoshik. And so Grant and I are watching Hoshik, and we thought, you know what? He just plays too deep. He just can't get away with it here in North America. What we were to find out later is how what he taught us with the infusion of all the European skaters and how they like to pass the puck around the crease and not just come down the conventional way, the North American way, and, and rip a shot coming down the wing. These guys had more thought to their game, and they held on longer, 
and then curl back and, you know, find a guy maybe back door. And so what all of us eventually learned from Dominic Hoshik, that indeed you had to play deeper in your net. And uh, because of all that and all the changes with the, the game itself, uh, I thought Dominic did, in fact, become the best goalie in the game. In fact, I'm on record many, many times, and Jeff, you know this, I've said Dominic Hoshik is the best to ever play the position. But uh, with you. that was the evolution to me. I'm I'm with you, Kelly. I think he's he's the best goaltender that's ever put on pads. Just re- remarkable. Sorry, Fridge. I'm, I'm hogging all this with goalie questions. No, for no. Kelly. I just have to say, as we because I was looking this up, I looked up this game, Boxing Day, 1984, Pittsburgh six five over the Islanders, and you're right, Mike Bullard hat trick, uh, Mario Mario Lemieux had four points. He had two goals and two assists. And I have to tell you, Kelly, the most impressive thing about this yeah. is that it was your first full year as a starter. Oh, yeah. For you to do this to Al Arbor in your first full year as a starter, that's big brass ones, man. That's pretty impressive. Well, no, that's being naive. That's dumb and naive. And, you know, I'll tell you this. The, the part about Mario having four points against me would surprise nobody, and that didn't bother Al even. You know, Al recognized, you know, when a great player had a great game. But Al, for whatever reason, this is the backstory that I wasn't going to share, but I might as well. <laughs> Al, for whatever reason, didn't really like Mike Bullard. And I don't know why, and I never found <laughs> out, but Mike Bullard scored the hat trick on me. That really got under Al's skin, and so – that was the part that I learned that uh, every single time that we played Pittsburgh after that, you know, Mario is going to have his nights, but I had to make sure that I was uh, rock solid against Bullard because I didn't want that experience again. <laughs> uh, Kelly, that's awesome. Listen, uh, it's always a delight catching up. You're one of the all round great people of the game and great, you know, just wonderful human beings. Uh, and really inspirational and positive, and that's one of the reasons I think people love you. Uh, thanks so much for this. Best of luck to your ever-growing family. Uh, have a wonderful Christmas, and we'll see you on the other side of the calendar. Yeah, Jeff and Elliot, same to you. Uh, happy holidays. Have a great uh, uh, holiday season, and sending our love. Ron McLean joins the festivities, and uh, Ron, uh, your cup is empty. Your tongue is hanging out. What should we do to remedy this situation? Well, you've seen this act, Jeff, and so have you, Elliot. Uh, <laughs> the answer is beer. Uh, although I got a nice uh, bottle of uh, tequila from Mark McMorris back when we did in conversation, so I, I could have a shot of tequila and then chase it with a beer. How's that? Uh, well, that'll warm you up, but I want to talk, Ron, about being cold. And uh, you've lived in a lot of cold places. Uh, you've hosted Hockey Day in Canada from a lot of cold places. What is, because we look at you, Ron, and we say, this guy never freezes. Uh, what is the coldest you've ever been? Uh, probably Winkler. Uh, well, it's a tough question, Jeff, because we had a real problem up in Iqaluit, uh, in Nunavut. We had about five minutes on the air, all the cabling and the cameras contracted and snapped. Ooh. So we ended up moving indoors. We had such a beautiful uh, landscape and setting with dog sled and ravens and the whole bit, and, and then we had to move indoors. Um, but Winkler was, uh, and this might have had to do with the beer the night before, uh, I remember I, I went past my quota uh, on the Friday <laughs> night, and you know we have a long day in front of us on the Saturday, and I I was scraping the frost off the window of the hotel I was staying at at Winkler. I blame the firefighters in Morden. They heard, because Winkler was supposed to be a dry town. Yeah. And they heard that we were complaining about that, and they were kind enough to bring some <laughs> uh, beverages over. Anyway, uh, that was a toughie, a combination of a uh, little jagged and uh, wind chill. <laughs> 
You know, I have to tell you, last year, I, I was wondering if you were going to say, uh, was it White Horse last year? Was that was that last year? Yellowknife, and it was cool. Yeah, you're right. It was Yellowknife. That's right, Yellowknife, because I remember seeing Dee Hamley, one of the producers on television, mm-hmm. and she just looked like she was frozen to the spot she was standing on. And I was thinking to myself, boy, it must be freezing up there. It truly was. Uh, that, that was a toughie, but I was able to get in and out a couple of times to warm up. And I remember also when we did Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, Elliot, it was snowing like crazy. And I had to be on Vancouver Island for Rogers Hometown Hockey uh, in Duncan the next day. And I was thinking, how in the world am I even going to get to Deer Lake, let alone <laughs> to Toronto, to Vancouver, to Nanaimo and into Duncan? Uh, and, and poor D. Hambly was with me the only other uh, funny it's a flip argument but i remember kamloops was beautiful mm-hmm. really sunny and warm tom gallardi owned the hotel there the sandman and the shark club and uh we did the broadcast on uh, on the saturday in what had to be plus 15 degrees and gorgeous sunshine so we've had the best and the worst best ice you've ever skated on that's a great one or most favorite i shouldn't say best your favorite sheet yeah, that has to be the one I started on, Jeff Whitehorse. Uh, my father was stationed at CFS uh, Hillcrest uh, in, in the armed forces, and we had a little backyard rink across the street. Uh, Alphonse and Pauline Clement, their son Bill, uh, invited me across the street, and that's how it all started for me. My parents were political science buffs, artistic music buffs, nothing to do with sports. But once I got on that little rink, uh, and it was so cool because it had uh, it was surrounded by evergreens, and we used to pause and pull the sap off of the trees to chew. It was like bubble gum. And it was just an unbelievable backyard rink. And that would be number one. But I, I was just at Port Credit Arena, Port Credit Memorial Arena yesterday. It's a great one. And I'll tell you, Bill and Brian uh, have that ice in tip-top shape. I was, uh, I was so wishing that I could have gone on my skates, but uh, we were just shooting for Chevrolet Good Deeds Cup. Anyway, that's, I would recommend that as what seems to be a perfect sheet of ice. Mm-hmm. So, Ron, when you think about Christmas memories, holiday memories, you know, what kinds of things uh, stand out for you? Well, it's a big one. Uh, Whitehorse, I remember. I always got table hockey games, Elliot. So I remember mm-hmm. being about eight years old and lying in my bed in Whitehorse, maybe even seven or six. Uh, and I heard footsteps coming down the hall and I figured it was Santa. Uh, and it was either mom or dad. I wouldn't dare open my eyes for fear I'd jinx Christmas. Uh, mm-hmm. But they placed uh, the little replica Stanley Cup that came with a Coleco table hockey game. Mm-hmm. They placed that Stanley Cup on my night table. And that's what the footsteps were all about. So that's a very fond memory. I remember in Milk Cove, my father stationed there in Nova Scotia, and I received a pair of DR goalie gloves. Oh, wow. Yeah, the DRs. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the, eventually, Grant Fuhr wore them, but that's even before his time. And then I read your, I, I always fondly remember, I, I say this, 1971, my mom and dad gave me the Hockey Night in Canada double album, History of the Show uh, set. And I listened to that album and evidently it planted a seed. I had no idea, no ambition to get into it, but that Hockey Night in Canada disc uh, when I was 11 years old in Red Deer seemed to make a difference. The one thing that amazes me about you is, you know, you you keep a lot of stuff. And I wonder how many of these things that you got when you were young do you still have? A lot. And ironically, I have nothing in the way of memorabilia. Uh, Like I wasn't in... Uh, seven, 42 variety in Brantford. Uh, I wish I had a few more things from NHL superstars. Uh, I don't, but I have a lot from my childhood. I'm very grateful to have photographs of that backyard rink in Whitehorse. Uh, the only thing I really regret is I lost my Gretzky rookie card. I used to pack all, a lot of my rookie cards were in a box for safekeeping 
when we lived in Ancaster. Mm-hmm. And I also had a letter from Jacques Plante. I had written to the great Jacques Plante and he responded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I lost my rookie cards. I had Iserman, Lemieux, Gretzky, a number of them in pretty mint condition. And I lost this letter from Jacques Plante, uh, which I really regret. But yeah, most of the stuff, Elliot, as you've seen, like I'm yeah. just sitting here looking at uh, the game sheets from when Steve Walkham and I refereed a preseason game and looking at the starting lineups. It's just hilarious to go through your files looking for one thing and ending up in a rabbit hole that takes you to another. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that Colonial League where you guys ref together? This was an NHL preseason game. It was oh, Buffalo the NHL Pitt. preseason yeah. game. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I always because you're such a you know guy for these kinds of things, Jeff. But we we saw so the starting lineups. We had uh, Mark Recchi, John Leclaire, and Ryan Malone for Pittsburgh. Ryan Whitney, funny enough, was on defense. I didn't remember that with Brooks Orpik. Yeah. And the Buffalo starting lineup defense was Kalinin and Newmanen. And up front, they started their tough line: uh, Adam Mayer, well, not tough, Thomas Vanek, I guess, uh, and Kodalik. Uh, but lots of, you know, Briere was in that game. So people, and Crosby is in that game. So people always ask me, who was the best skater? And I always tell them John LeClaire was the one who blew me away. Despite Maxima Finaganoff, Briere, Crosby, I was so surprised at LeClaire. And the next day we were doing Think Hockey back in Toronto and Craig McTavish was our guest. And I said, geez, Craig, I was so amazed at John LeClaire because they were together in Philadelphia. And he said, yeah, Ron, the problem is he had a wonky back. So he could only bring that, you know, once every nine or 10 games. But when he got up to speed, no one liked him. It's funny you mentioned Think Hockey. Uh, a while ago, I was thinking about, you know, uh, Hockey Night in Canada features, and you think about, I mean, Showdown was a was a classic yes. one. And I always come back to Think Hockey, and, and one in specific always stuck with me, and it may seem like a tiny little thing, although I know that Scotty Bowman would, would train his team with this uh, on a regular basis. The one you did with Paul Maurice on line changes. Yeah, one foot-itis. Wasn't that fantastic? Yes. Like, like that, 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 I love that feature because you would learn something every week. But what was the one thing you took away from Think Hockey? Well, I loved Maurice as a, a teacher on that segment. So he talked about one footitis is where you start to head to the bench and then you glide on one skate yeah. for 15 to 20 feet. And he illustrated it. And, it, you know, you see it time and again, players going off, drifting off the ice. So he taught that. Adam Graves taught me the way. It was kind of a can opener, but the way to get a guy off the boards to retrieve a loose puck. I thought that was very special. Dale Howarchuk, the late blessed Dale Howarchuk, taught us uh, tight turns and how to uh, position the stick. Uh, and even Brian Kilray on face-offs, I remember vividly, he, he would take literally gouges out of the ice. He was so strong. But he, he and Kirk Muller both were uh, of the opinion, you know, a very small circle with your stick blade. You don't take a wide swath at it. You just keep your, your blade within the actual dot as you attempt to win the draw. So, Jeff, uh, every Saturday night when Ron hosts uh, the main show on Hockey Night in Canada, you know that Ron always takes huge pride in his work. We all, we all know that. Nobody needs to be told that. But if there's one thing all of us on the panel know, it's that at 7 o'clock Eastern time, after the pregame show is done and the big show is about to begin, the game coverage is about to begin, Ron has his opening. And, Ron, you love that opening. We see it next to you. We've talked about it. We all know we stay out of the way. Unless we're spoken to, we don't open our mouths, but you can see your body really get into it. You can see your face really get into it. It's obvious you have such a great passion for writing that 30 to 45 to 60 to 90 seconds. Like that is something you love to do. You'll you'll have something special for opening night. When will you start crafting it or thinking about it? 
Well, for sure. You know, as an example, when we closed the Stanley Cup playoffs, you saw me build all the way through the playoffs, uh, what I would say at the end of the yes. final game, right? Which was kind of the idea of with no fans in the building, you know, Michael Jordan's idea that champions are made when no one is looking. And in this case, no one was looking <laughs> and they still found a way to bring it to that pitch. Um, so I, I'm thinking a lot. We're, we, I've certainly, we've got what we're going to do for Rogers hometown hockey set. Uh, the hockey night one will develop uh, a little bit more. What usually happens, Elliot, is I need to hear what we've succeeded in having as our tease. Mm-hmm. Might be a musical artist. Uh, it might be uh, like I had a suggestion. Uh, I don't know if I should give it away on this. Po- should I give it away on this podcast that I gave it to Rob Corte to work on? Might as well, right? I'm not going to get in your way. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to stop you. <laughs> well, no, I better not. I, but I, I'll tell you what it is. It's an idea. We'll, we'll, we'll make we'll make a deal, Ron. Yeah. Nobody is allowed to steal this. So <laughs> yeah. Ron's going to say it, and no one is allowed <laughs> to steal it. All right. I wonder if uh, they'll kill me for giving this away. But it, may, it probably isn't going to happen. But the idea is essentially John King of CNN at the Magic Wall. Did you watch the election coverage? Of and how course, he would, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he's going to explain to us how things have changed. You know, he, he will take the board and uh, show us how, you know, the teams that used to be in this division, well, they have flipped. And now you need to win this, you know, here, here, and here in order to succeed. And here's where the strength lay last year in the playoffs. But now we're going to play a different format, different number of games. Here are the number of points you'll need, the percentage, and so forth. You know how John King is he's spellbinding mm-hmm. so that's the idea i like i probably thought of that uh a month ago and submitted it to uh ed and rob and just screwed it up by mentioning it here but <laughs> what the hell <laughs> elliot here with a quick audio edit the nba on tnt stole ron's idea on its opening night they used john king and wolf blitzer to begin the basketball season so i don't think this is going to be happening for us they stole Ron's idea. Now, back to the interview. Honestly, I, I, I mean this in all sincerity. Uh, to put it on 31 Thoughts is to reach the creme de la creme of people who love the game. So I'm honored to, to give it to you. You know, you know what, Ron? Now we're going to find out the truth. Does anyone actually listen to this garbage? That's what we're about to find out. <laughs> it was funny, yeah, it was funny to hear Bieksa, right? When he said, I finally listened to your podcast. <laughs> What you know? I, I'm I'm curious, and, and maybe this, the, the answer is well, Jeff. I'm I'm curious about things. What's interesting? I mean, you've seen so much, done so much, been involved in so much. What's interesting about hockey to you still to this day? Wow, that's a good question. And I, I you know, it's funny in all the social injustice discussion that's been going on for uh, this past year. Uh, Tanahasi Coates wrote a book called Between the World and Me, and he talked about being a curious boy. And he found out that the world wasn't interested in curious, the world was interested in compliance. Hmm. And that's a little bit jaded, but there's a little kernel of truth in that. Honestly, Jeff, I think, like us all, I'm fascinated in the... Because every issue seems to come down to the collective versus the individual. You know, what, what gives you autonomy? What gives you your freedom? What makes you an effective citizen? What gives you community? And obviously, hockey is the great example. Uh, you know, it's not a sport where, you know, Michael Jordan can come and play 48 minutes and that's that. Uh, it is a sport that relies on the 13th forward and the 7th or 8th defenseman. And I, I find that still, to this day, the most interesting thing is how do you reach uh, all of the members of the team and how, how, in fact, do you create that team? And if you could find the language to do that, then you might be able to find the language that you and I need in order to, to reach a viewer without you know, threatening the viewer or losing the viewer. That's, I think that's what you learn from hockey. 
That's uh, the, um, I'm treading water in the deep end on 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 that one, to no surprise. Uh, really quickly, Ron, before we let you go, uh, Christmas, the holiday season. What's it like for Ron McLean this year? Well, we have a tradition: crab legs on uh, or lobster on the Christmas Eve, and then a cheese fondue on Christmas Day. It's just carrying me, Jeff and Elliot. Mm-hmm. I, we have no children; we just have a dog, Jackson, a standard Schnauzer. So it's very small. And this year, we you know be, to honor the uh, crises of the pandemic, we'll will eliminate you know having folks over much as we'd love to. So I think uh, I will play Bing Crosby's 1955 record, A Christmas Sing with Bing Around the World, which is kind of the Christmas music or carol version of uh, Wide World of Sports. It was a wide-eyed thing for me as a kid to hear what the choirs in The Hague and Rome and the Vatican sounded like. So put that on at some point in the evening and get into Mark McMorris's tequila. That is outstanding. <laughs> and now, who, who is the chef? Is it you or Carrie on this? Or both. Well, she'll do uh, she'll do the crab or the lobster, and I'll do the fondue. I, I have a recipe. I'll give this away too. <laughs> it's three <laughs> three hundred grams of Emmental, two hundred grams of Gruyere, one hundred grams of Appenzeller with a little bit of Kirsch and some white wine and garlic and some Madagascar green peppercorns, and you'll have the time of your life. That sounds spectacular. Steal that recipe. Don't steal Ron's open. That's right. That's the it. Well, what, what, what did we learn today, Jeff? You give Ron some mock tequila and mock beer, <laughs> and he sings like a canary. You're a pet Ron. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. Pet Ron. Uh, Attila the pun, alive and well. It's great. Ron, we always appreciate it. Thanks so much, pal. Same, Jeff. Thank you, Ron. Thanks, Elliot. Yeah. Please be joined now by our second Simpson of the party, Elliot. This is uh, Craig, former Stanley Cup champion, uh, analyst with Hockey Night in Canada. Craig, first of all, I'm guessing the answer is wine, but that's a pretty (laughs) wide brush there that I'm painting with. Uh, What kind of wine can we put in your glass tonight? Well, I I think to begin off, uh, a nice little crisp, cold Pinot Grigio would would sound great and maybe... uh, Top it off with a nice, uh, solid, rich uh, cab to finish things. Were you always a wine guy? Yeah, no, I've never really been a huge beer guy. I always find it's just too bloating. I mean, and so uh, <laughs> uh, wine uh, is, is definitely the uh, drink of choice. All right. So earlier on in our event here, yep. a source who may not be a fellow Rogers employee <laughs> slash family member. <laughs> okay, that's hard to pick. What, yeah, I know. I we're really keeping the anonymity of this individual. Yes. We asked who the most competitive member of the Simpson family was, and she said you because you were the youngest, so you had to be. Yeah. But she also said that you may have cheated in mini sticks as a child. Is this, is this scandal true? <laughs> oh, I, I don't think at that age, it was a much of a scandal. I think the entire family knew that uh, the youngest Craig would do whatever he could to win whatever game we were playing. Uh, <laughs> I hate to admit it uh, with young kids now, but there, there's no question that uh, I was a pretty sore loser and I'd pretty much do whatever it took to make sure I came out on top. How ruthless were you with uh, with Christine or Dave? Well, I think the fact that I had, uh, you know, five years younger than my brother Dave to always look uh, look up to him, uh, you always had to be competitive and you always had to do a little bit more, uh, take the shots when you had to and, uh, you know, do whatever it took to, to be competitive and to be involved uh, to the point of, you know, one of the great Christmas memories for me was... Uh, 
you know, I, I always wanted to play with my brother's friends. And the only play that uh, place that I would play hockey, road hockey with was to be the goalie because none of them wanted to be the goalie. And so, mm. you know, little Craig goes in there and uh, and the, the, the hitch was that I could play. But if I ever got hit and started to cry and ruin the game, I'd never be invited back. So I had to bite my tongue many times. I used to get drilled in the face with tennis balls. And I remember one special Christmas, there was a goalie mask uh, under the tree for young Craig. So that took away some of the problem. They said, hey, if we're going to keep him in the game so that we can all play and have fun, we're going to get him a mask so he doesn't cry after we drill him in the face. So, so, so you were used to punishment in front of the net, essentially, and that played out in the <laughs> NHL. <laughs> no question. It was uh, it was from probably, you know, four or five years on uh, when you've got a 10-year-old at that point, And then as they got to their teens and I was just approaching 10, you know, I had to learn how to take a hit to, to make a play, so to speak. Hmm. Now, here's the other thing I wonder. You morphed into a hell of a hockey player, Simmer. When did Dave and Dave's friends start to say, all right, he's too good to play in goal. He's got to play out with us now. Well, I, I, I must be honest, too. Uh, I didn't mind because I was a terrible runner. I hated running. So being able to be in net was actually okay in, in road hockey for me. I didn't have to run around and chase those guys. But, no, I, I, I think uh, – you know, once I got into my teens, we all kind of moved on to, to bigger and greater things. But it wasn't just on the uh, uh, the road hockey field or, you know, we had a basketball net. And I think that was probably the one, uh, Elliot, where, you know, in the summer times I got into those games. And suddenly mm -hmm. when I was 13, 14, you know, I, I could hold my own and play the game and I don't think I was the sort of, you know, proverbial last guy picked. Uh, I think by that time, I was one of the higher picks in the in the game for this for the family. All right, Jeff, and here's my last one on this line of questioning. Okay. Simmer, I was notorious for throwing temper tantrums when I lost when I was a kid. <laughs> what is the worst temper tantrum you ever threw in losing a family event? Any kind, board game, sport? Hit us. Well, I would think I think board games are the ones. I think the, the the hockey games or the basketball games, they're always great to have such energy. And at least, you know, you could spend an hour and be exhausted by the end. I think you'd be a little ticked off, but the reaction wasn't bad. I think Chris probably would remember playing board games. And if I lost that, I, I'd probably be more of a sore loser. And, you know, the old <laughs> shoot the uh, board across the table and start throwing the pieces. So uh, I, I do remember my, I did have a bit of a temper. I hated losing. And uh, I remember my dad telling me one day I was about 13 about 13 years old, I think it was, at the end of a tournament, and we lost the game. And I used to, I used to get mad at the end of games. I remember one time I had had a great tournament. We lost in the final, and as the buzzer sounded, I flung my stick down the ice in disgust. And I remember my dad always stood behind the net to suck in goals for us uh, at the one end. And as I let go of that stick, my eyes just were riveted on my dad's. And I was like, oh, man, was that a mistake? And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's probably the last time I ever did that. And it's the one thing I remember him always telling me, if you can't control your temper, you'll never be able to control yourself and have great success. And, uh, you know, I, I remember that moment as a real turning point of, 
you know, absorb the punishment, don't get frustrated, don't get mad. And sometimes you have to live those lessons to, to learn them. Those are great stories. Listen, um, Christmas, as we all know, the holiday season, it's about family and getting together. But when you grow up in a family like yours, I mean, it must have been about, you know, Christmas tournaments. I mean, it, it was for my family. I mean, I, I would suspect it would be the same for you, Summer. What are some of your, your favorite memories from some of your favorite Christmas tournaments when you were a kid? My first great experience and, you know, playing in, at Michigan State uh, I was, as a 16-year-old, the Great Lakes Invitational Tournament was my first feeling. It was right after Christmas every year. And my first feeling of what it might feel like to play in the NHL it was at Joe Lewis Arena. And it was Michigan, Michigan State, which I played for, Michigan Tech and Northern Michigan. And we set at that time the attendance record. I mean, you had the bands in the arena. It was an electric atmosphere. Everybody was in a Christmas uh, mood. And that, to me, was the first feeling of what it must feel like to play mm. in the National Hockey League. And, and I'll remember that first year, mm. uh, 1983, I would think it was, right after Christmas, as my feeling of, oh, God, like, this is what I want to do. And this is an amazing experience. And, and it all happened around after the Christmas break. Simmer, I wanted to talk a little bit about now. And um, Jeff, I don't know if you've ever been to Craig's house in Edmonton. He's got a beautiful setup there. Uh, he once brought us over to his place. And, and I know last year uh, during the playoffs at the bubble, the broadcasters were allowed to go in and out. They stayed in a certain area in the arena. But they were allowed to go in and out, and a number of the people who worked with us told us, Craig, that uh, there was a night where you hosted people at your house, which was very special to them. You've got a great setup there uh, with your deck, and I wonder, you know, when we last spoke to you, you hadn't had a chance to see your grandchild yet, and now this Christmas being this first one with that whole family together, what it, what's it going to mean to you? Well, it's always special, and I think you've gone through the, the years of having the older kids and, you know, in our old house had a backyard rink that you'd have a fire going and play out on the rink. We had a rink out here one year for the uh, younger kids and uh, really enjoyed that. This year, Elliot, I, I actually, uh, Jesse and Sam were outside uh, going to make sort of a fort and piling up snow. And I, you know, with nothing to do, I, I ended up building a little Christmas hut. Uh, it's about uh, eight by six and it's got Christmas lights all around it. So the kids have a little place to go. Uh, it, it becomes more special, the younger kids, obviously. And Samantha's uh, thrilled with Santa Claus coming again and can't wait for that to happen. And hmm. for our little uh, granddaughter, Stevie, the, the most challenging part is since they got here in Edmonton, we've had the restrictions of we're not even allowed now. Originally, we were allowed to have them in uh, the house because uh, they're staying at uh, their mom's place. And uh, now we're not even allowed to have them in the backyard. So I've really only been able to spend a couple of times with, with Stevie. But as you know, the magic of Christmas is in the youngsters. And with Samantha being seven, it's pretty exciting. And I know for, for Dylan and Haley, uh, my daughter-in-law, they're going to be thrilled having uh, Stevie in her first Christmas. So hopefully we'll get a chance to at least see them. Uh, thanks very much for coming on and joining us, Craig. We really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. I enjoy listening to you guys. And um, happy Hanukkah, Elliot, and Merry Christmas to all. I hope everybody uh, stays safe, stays healthy, and uh, look forward to seeing you guys in, in person sometime soon. <laughs> 
soon. Let it be soon. Yeah, and look forward to hearing you call a game again soon, Simmer. Thanks. Be well. Have a great holiday. All right. Take care. Elliot, there's no kind of party like a Carolyn Cameron party. So we are bringing her on with the big question of the day that, Carolyn, we're asking everybody, Mm -hmm. what is in your cup? Your drink of choice is what? This time of year, a nice glass of red wine. Any particular kind? Right now, I'm really into Cab Sauv. Does that make me sound like a snob? It's $15 Cab Sauv, so... If it makes you feel any better, you sound like a snob for many other reasons, just besides the cab. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Elliot's just happy that someone did that you didn't say eggnog, because we had right. a run on Ew. eggnog. I hate eggnog. All right. Well, we had a run on eggnog, but that seems to have uh, have hit a, uh, its crescendo and is now descending. First of all, Carolyn, thanks so much for popping by, as always. What are holidays like for you? Like, give us give us a snapshot. We're sort of getting everyone to give us a, you know, the childhood snapshot. What do you remember? Any you know great Christmas holiday stories you have stashed away in your in your hip pocket? What's yours? Yeah, I'm very much a person of routine, and I think that started even from a young age of traditions. Because my dad has a video of every year since my eldest brother was born of myself and my two older brothers coming down the stairs Christmas morning opening our stockings the night before we would always read twas the night before christmas which he also has on the um home movie camcorder and yeah just family time we'd really just stay in we'd go to my grandma's in the morning um to open presents there and then my parents would always host christmas dinner so we'd have about probably 18 people wow so yeah it was always great so that i mean this year is going to be different we're just gonna social distance and see everyone outside but even though it's it's sad, it's we're so used to it in 2020. You know, I have to say, I'm lucky that my parents were never big into the whole movie kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate to see... There's enough embarrassing, stupid things I've done in my life, like on camera for enough people to see it, that I don't need them to see my young videos. Yeah, the awkward years. They got news for you. They've been 50 awkward years. Never mind just this. (laughs) But do you watch them at all, Carolyn? And would you ever let anyone see them? Yeah. And I was like, I was, uh, especially for my first few years of life, I was kind of a scary looking kid (laughs) and a little crazy running around. I was kind of just the prototypical third child. So yeah, it's I don't embarrass too easily. I would let I would let people see them. Around 11, 12, 13 probably gets a little rough. Uh. But yeah, I I don't watch them often, but my dad did like convert all of the VHS tapes onto DVDs and then he put them on a hard yeah. drive. Nice. So he recorded a lot. He's he's basically in none of them though. You know what? That's funny cuz the my most precious maybe one of maybe the most precious gift i ever got from christmas was from my wife a few years ago um because my parents is how old i am i'm elliot's age my parents shot a lot of stuff but it's all on high eight and super eight when am i getting a chance to see that mm-hmm. so uh sneakily my wife had them all digitized and gave them to me for christmas one year so i could stuff that i had never seen before and both my parents have passed on and just like your dad, my dad's in none of them because he's holding the camera. <laughs> yeah. um, do you have a favorite Christmas present, either current or uh, from, uh, from a young Carolyn Cameron? 
Ooh, well, I was going to tell a story on here, so I don't know if I should tell it already, but that has to do with a very memorable Christmas present. Go for it. So my grandma, much like me, was just a very proactive, organized person and perhaps a little bit obsessive about it. So we always had to give our Christmas wish list at Thanksgiving, and it had to be very detailed because most of the time she didn't understand what the heck we were asking for. She just wanted to go out, get it, and we'd be happy with our gift. So I really wanted, I think I was about eight or nine, a Leafs jersey. Hmm. And I think I was at the time where, you know, that stage where you're about to have a growth spurt and your feet are too big for your body. And I think getting (laughs) hand-me-down clothes too, it was always, oh, you'll grow into it. You'll grow into it. So I asked her for a Leafs jersey and I thought, well, I guess I'll be, I'll get a men's large because I'll grow into it. So she got me the jersey, my one and only Leafs jersey, and I still have it underneath the bed and I never grew into it. It is massive. Is there a number and a nameplate on it? No, no number. But it's the old style logo. What would you have gotten? I would have probably at the time gotten Curtis Joseph. But I think I was also, which is kind of cute, I was cognizant about how much it would cost. And it was cheaper to just get a jersey that didn't have a number on the back. Well, you're looking out for uh, your family. That's that's very, very, very ethical of you. It's impressive. Now, was your family, uh, did you have any like Christmas traditions, whether it was hockey outdoors or ball hockey or any other sport? We all know you're a huge tennis fan, board games, anything like that. Did you guys have that kind of a thing? I would always play uh, road hockey on the driveway, regardless of what time of year it was. So even um, up around Christmas time. Mm -hmm. And the thing too is I always, um, like my dad would take me to the bank and I would take out like with my little passbook or whatever you call, take out some money. And then he would take me to Canadian Tire and I would get the latest, like whatever I still needed for the driveway. So that was always very exciting and often happened during the holidays where I'd get like some goalie equipment for the driveway or a better net or a better stick. Um, In terms of traditions, like we were really, and especially me, musical family too. So the holidays were so much about like Christmas concerts and yeah, just tons of Christmas concerts. So I always just grew up loving Christmas and I still put my tree up in mid-November. After Remembrance Day, I am good to go. We had this thing with Murph. Like uh, he, he had the earliest one that I knew of this year, but you have entered the competition. And I have no shame. I mean, time flies. Why would you not want to enjoy the Christmas season? Especially, Especially this, this year. year. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. with you. There's no rules in 2020. I think the Remembrance Day, nothing before Remembrance, Remembrance Day is an yeah. excellent rule. After that, this year. Now, do you still play an instrument or anything like that? Oh, you guys are going to like, this is some good, uh, good little timbit. So, I mean, not to brag, but I actually was pretty good at the trumpet mm-hmm. so much so that I owned one. And now like I just moved into a bigger space. So I got from my parents, my trumpet and maybe like two weeks ago, much to my boyfriend's <laughs> um, disappointment, I, I played some Christmas songs on the trumpet. For people that don't know Cameron, like she's she's like a triple quadruple threat. Like it's music, it's sports. No, it's just being mediocre at all. No, no, that's my line. Me- it's nice to interview people like you and Taro who have actual talent. Yeah. Like that's the good thing. Unlike guys like me and Elliot just say, oh, that's that that's a bad pass. And mm, I thought that was offside. We'll be right back. <laughs> um, and you're also really charitable. Now, I know Steve McNeil as maybe the best referee uh, that I've ever seen. Certainly the most colorful, the most fun. Like, I love Steve McNeil. Just like a wonderful guy. How do you know Steve McNeil? 
Yeah, so I met him, I want to say about four years ago, because when I lived out west, I started getting involved in the Alzheimer's Society, and that's because my now um, late grandma, who I mentioned, Mm -hmm. she suffered from vascular dementia. So it was a way for me to get involved when I couldn't actually physically visit her because she was in Toronto. So when I moved back, I wanted to get involved in the Alzheimer's Society in Toronto. And I, I don't remember if someone got me in touch with him or I just saw that he had this skate happening. And I went not knowing him and introduced myself and kind of explained my story and why I was there. And for those who don't know, he skates uh, every year, every December on his late mother's birthday, who suffered from Alzheimer's for 19 hours and 26 minutes straight. And usually he does it at Nathan Phillips Square. And his mom was born in 1926. And that's when my late grandma was born. So it just it's it's nice when you can do any charity work or or donate to charity but it's just nicer when you actually meet people and you can connect and understand where they're coming from so every year since I've gone and skated with I'm not for 19 hours and 26 minutes on my end but (laughs) it's always kind of been a it's been a nice part of the year and this this time of year especially for people it's a difficult time of year especially when you have family who are suffering and this year more so than any year so it's always been a nice time of year to connect on that level. So Carolyn will be back a little later on the podcast. We're almost at the finish line. Jeff had to go take a bathroom break, as did Elliot. Jeff has drank an entire case of ginger ale. Elliot is on his sixth glass of Lagavulin, and it does stink. All right, back to the guys and our last two guests. This should be a lot of fun as we bring in Kevin Bieksa, a former NHL defenseman. Star of Hockey Night in Canada, Bon Vivant, Man About Town, currently in God's Country. Hey, Kev, welcome to the holiday party. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. This is my third time on 31 Thoughts. Second, third, fourth? Uh, Is everyone keeping track? It's like after hours, emergency guest, break glass, bring in Kevin. (laughs) That's exactly what it was, wasn't it? It was like, oh, let's call him last second because somebody pulled out. Somebody really, really cool. We had a cancellation. Who's got BX's cell number? First of all, poison in the cup. What are you drinking? Uh, how about an old fashioned? If it's a little bit later in the day. Do you have a preference for the scotch you put in there? Uh, I don't, but probably like a Maker's Mark. If I had to choose. Good call. You're in lockdown, right? I'm in quarantine. Yeah, we're up up north, north of Toronto. So uh, we haven't been back to Canada for the holidays for a while. And we came for the holidays. We also came to see some family, some uh, some sick family. So we're legal. They let us in. We're Canadian citizens. Don't go reporting <laughs> me or anything. That's right. We'll kind, of, kind of show this is, but don't go reporting me. I'm legal and we're keeping our distance and we're locked down in our cottage. What are Christmases normally like for you, Kev? We're a big Christmas family, so we've always, uh, when I was playing, we would always go up to Whistler. When I was in Vancouver, we'd go up to Whistler, we go to kind of stay in a hotel and do all the Christmas activities. And then down in California, we would, uh, two of the three years, we went to Coronado Island, which is a little mm. island just off of uh, San Diego. And there's like a beautiful old haunted hotel there. So we stayed there a couple times, but it, it's been a long time since we've been back in, in Ontario for Christmas. And certainly up here where it's cold and there's snow already. 
You know, I got to tell you, I think that's awesome. And my wife is really into that stuff, like the haunted hotels. Uh, when we went to Florence and we visited Italy, she was really into a haunted hotel that's there. And I, I said, do you want to stay in it? Like, I'll set it up if you really want to go. And she said, no, I think I'm really fascinated by it, but I think I'd be freaked out staying in it. How were you guys staying in it? We're okay. For whatever reason, my daughter is really into it. And Reese is only 11 now. And she is, and, and I'm not proud to say as a parent, but she's watched every scary movie out there. And I don't enjoy scary <laughs> movies personally. Like it's a big joke in my family. Like, oh, dad's scared of scary movies. But uh, I'm like, I'm scared of them. I just don't like the way they make me feel. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I don't know if that's the same or not. But like, so my daughter wants to watch scary movies and she watches them with her mom and her aunt all the time. And she loves this stuff, like eats it up. And I'm kind of like, ah, I don't really want to subject myself to that if I don't have to. So she loved it. What do you like then? If you don't like, if you don't like scary movies, are you a rom-com guy? What do you dig? Science fiction? What do you like? We just watched the the holiday last night. I don't know if you've seen that Christmas movie. One of the best Christmas movies ever. Cameron Diaz, Jude Law. Watch it. It's a it's a it's a little bit. It's a rom com. This is like the first Christmas movie I've never heard of. Yeah, it's a Christmas movie for sure because it takes place before and after the holidays. It's uh, Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet. They both uh, switch houses for for two weeks over Christmas. One lives in L.A. One lives in a small village in London, and they switch uh, houses. And because they both come off big breakups, there's the the romantic comedy part, and then they kind of meet new Jack, Jack Blacks in it. You guys would like it. I mean, it's a little bit like we're all tough guys here. I know that on this call, like oh, we're all really tough guys, and we're all going to hit the the iron after. Sure. But uh, this is a nice feel good movie. Now hold on a second. What's the scariest movie? Because I remember when I was about nine years old, I watched the original Halloween and. I love all the Halloween movies. I love the theme, but that movie scared the crap out of me. I almost pooped myself watching that movie. Yeah. What was the scare? Jeff and, and Kevin, scariest movies you guys have ever watched? Well, let's get that image out of our head first, Jeff, of him pooping <laughs> <laughs> poop himself. I, I don't know like the, what the scariest movie is, but uh, I was I was really terrified of, of Freddy. Oh, Fre Freddy was my great. guy that I was so scared of, and Freddy Cougar is what I was terrified of. And you know what I did? This is embarrassing. I should admit this, but I put a poster of him on my door in my bedroom when I was a kid. And my rationale was if he ever came to my room in the middle of the night, I could say, look, I'm a fan of yours. Don't kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Is that normal? Uh, totally normal. It's actually, I, I got to tell you, I think that's a good plan. It's not the worst plan I've ever heard. No, not terrible. That, that's the way I honestly believed it in my head. Like this was a way, like I had to look at the post every once in a while, which terrified me. But at least I, I, I had a chance if he came. Uh, for me, it was The Exorcist. I remember watching that way uh, too young. It was like late, late night, and my parents had gone to bed, and I was watching City TV late at night, and they had The Exorcist on. And when Linda Blair's head spins around, like that was it for me. That image like haunted me for years. Well, I'm funny because I just watched the movie like a couple of years ago, and like, first of all, it's an outstanding movie. I love Max von Sydow, and this is like just another great performance uh, by him. But that thing absolutely terrified me like growing up that was the benchmark for scary movies like have you seen the exorcist was like the barrier to entry for you know how scary a movie can you handle um back to the gas jeff back to the gas i know <laughs> 
Like, the, 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 the listeners have to listen to you ramble on all the time. We're back to the guests, right, Elliot? Let me, t- let me tell you about the first time I, I saw Jaws, Kevin. Um, actually, again, it sounds like I'm talking to my psychiatrist. And then when I was five, things really went sour. Um, Kev, growing, growing up in Grimsby, Ontario, what were Christmases like when you were a kid? Christmases were uh, shovel shovel the driveway and make boards out of snow, and then hopefully yeah. if you do that early enough, they they crystallize and they and they're ice because of the the weather. And then we would go outside and we play road hockey and full contact body check each other into the mounds of snow. My brothers and I. The Bexa Cup, right? <laughs> it wasn't the Bexa Cup back then. We didn't even know about the Bexa Cup, but it was the start of it. Yeah, it was. Big Al would get out there, and he'd obviously flex his muscle and throw us around and that was kind of where we learned how we're in contact like our kids these days have to go to like hitting seminars and and learn how to officially hit we just did it with our big winter coats on and snow pants and just body checking each other into the uh the ice boards that is awesome one of the things we're asking people is you know we all miss a lot of things and we realize we've taken a lot of things for granted is there something that kevin bx said now will never complain about again that's the end of the question. That's the end of the question. You want if you if you want, I can flower it up a little bit more. I can I can dress you, it up, put some lipstick on it. You told him to stop wasting it. time and talking about himself, and now the questions are too short. <laughs> well, that's that's just a deeper question than I that I expected from you. I expected a long winded one. I'd have to cut you off. What what is something? Tell us who's got the best slap shot. <laughs> I thought we were going to talk wrestling or something like that. <laughs> I'm into that. Sure. Let's do that. So, okay. Well, let me try to answer something that I'll never take advantage of again or take for granted again. Take for granted again. A lot of people are saying, you know, fly, uh, complaining about travel. Like one of the things I think a lot of us miss is being able to, to get on a plane and go somewhere, or even go, you know, to a neighboring town and, and visit people. What are you never going to complain about again? Well, I, I don't complain ever, as you can imagine. So, sure. but I, I do appreciate uh, going out for dinner at a restaurant with good friends because it's felt yeah. like it's felt like forever since since you've done that, right? But I will say, my son and I were in Denver and uh, we we're playing some hockey because I guess their state was a little bit more open a few months ago. We went to the Denver Broncos Kansas City Chiefs game, and that was a pretty cool experience to go to an arena that was only 2,000 people, a stadium, and you could just walk around at your leisure, go into the team store, go to the concessions, no lineups anywhere. So selfishly, mm. that was an amazing experience. So I think I think COVID's taught us that. Like the way we were living before was, was pretty disgusting, right? How we're all just walking around, like spitting on each other. And so like, I don't even, I don't <laughs> even mind. Well, I don't even mind the mask. Like if I'm getting in an elevator with like, Elliot and Ron McLean <laughs> and Kelly Rudy. Like, I should have a mask on, don't you think? <laughs> Elevators are frightening to people. Now, I was talking to someone about this the other day, that the idea of going into an, uh, a crowded elevator right now, you want to talk about horror movies, Kevin? The, uh, the 2021 ultimate horror movie is getting on an elevator without a mask on. Yeah, it, it really is. And like you, we've been watching a lot of movies, obviously, through this, and you look at some movies and you're like, oh my God, that just seems so wrong when you have so many people like in a close proximity and none of them have masks on. You can just imagine like the germ spreading. I, they, I Hopefully that fades as time goes on. But right now it's like, oh, we're thinking about when we're watching the movie. 
All right, so last thing I want to ask you before we get to our next guest at the party, because as usual, you're chewing up all the airtime. This was a huge year for you, Kevin, just in terms of you joined the show and you were a huge ad for us. You, You brought some life. You know, obviously, we're really happy to have you and you got great publicity. How much did the last year go to your head? (laughs) <laughs> well fortunately i've had uh, i had 13 really good years before that so not, not that much <laughs> hang on can i can i re-ask that question yeah please no i like the way i asked it hang on i just want to add to it then did your wife have to widen the door frames in your home to fit your head in she's just staring at me shaking her head right now no like <laughs> honestly i had i had a really fun time during the playoffs I, and you know i was living in a hotel by myself for the majority of it in toronto which wasn't wasn't the best considering my fa- my family was up at the cottage playing on the water every day but going into the studio great group of guys and i i disagree i think i was carried a little bit especially by elliot early on ron carried me a little bit at times but um, I think we we gave a good product. It was entertaining, right? Like you can it was fun. You can say that, yeah. Like you watch, uh, you know, shows like that to learn a little bit about the game and the teams. But I think you just watch to be entertained. And I was entertained at times just listening to us banter on and chirp each other. So I, I'm hoping the viewer was as well. I think they were. You were a huge ad for us, Kevin. We're really happy to have you. We really are. Hey Jeff, Jeff, yeah. like, this is this is good. Like we're sitting around and we're we're watching the game together. We're coming up with our points and we're kind of like throwing it at the producer. And LA just sits there on his betting app quietly, doesn't say a word, right? So then they're like, like a minute before we go on, they're like, Elliot, what do you want to talk about? He goes, oh, I'll come up with something, right? <laughs> doesn't, <laughs> doesn't tip off anybody, right? Because he, then he just wants to jump in and steal like a minute and a half just for Elliot talk, right? Like it's every period, it's the same thing. Like nobody knows what Elliot's going to talk about until we get out there. It keeps his, his cars really close to him. I do Wednesday nights with him. I know he's like the sniper. He's like, you know, bell tower Elliot. Like you don't see him and then he's on set, boom, and just starts dropping bombs. Wait, I hear heavy breathing. Brian Burke must be here. <laughs> Berkey? Berkey's awesome. Yeah. Hey, boys. Hey, Berkey. Just like being on TV with you and Elliot, I don't get a word in. <laughs> Berkey, the next guest? Yes, he is. All right. Upgrade. Upgrade. Just finishing your book right now, Berkey. Almost done it. Yeah, I should have mentioned him more, I guess. Yeah, not one mention yet, but that's cool. I'll make sure I mention you in my book. Yeah, don't hold your don't <laughs> hold your breath for the last part. <laughs> <laughs> enough enough Lou right. Amarillo references though. I've heard, I had enough, heard enough of him. <laughs> All right, Kev. Great chatting with you. Have a great holiday and we'll see you soon. Okay, guys. Miss you guys. Happy holidays. Thanks, Kevin. Be well, bud. All right, Berkey, before we start with you, uh, what can we put in your glass? What's uh what do you do? What do you what's your Christmas cheer? This time of year, I like some Baileys. Like Baileys on the rocks or Baileys in a coffee or how do you take it? Uh, You can't wreck Baileys. That's good anyway. Okay. When I say, I know some in our audience don't know the finer points of hockey. Could you tell them, for example, Berkey, what is icing? (laughs) I think anyone listening knows what icing is. (laughs) So just so you know, Elliot, Berkey and I have this thing on, on text where we just randomly send each other lines from slap shots. And to me, I'll get like at, at any point of the day, I could get something 
Uh, and and do you want to share with our listeners what your favorite line in the entire movie is, Berkey? Oh, I love when the drunk says to to Reggie in the bar, "You got to fix the power play." Yeah, we're working on it. And I've I've used that on fans in airports and in bars and restaurants for thirty years. If someone will come up to me and say, "You got to trade this guy." Yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're working on it. Yeah, we're working on it. It's uh, it it is as close to perfection as possible. The problem now is Berkey you can't use that anymore because that fan will go right to Twitter and say, "I just ran into Berkey at the airport and I said." trade the sedines and he goes yeah we're working on it and kaboom <laughs> all the vancouver media start texting you and calling you are you trading the sedines i still will use that line i don't get accosted that much now that i'm not a gm but like when your team is struggling you know fans in canada are serious about their hockey and it's not unusual for someone to stop you and give you a hard time say you got to fix the power play and you know like, yeah we're working on it and I, I don't, I don't mind when people are polite, but when uh, when I was a GM, I don't I don't get stopped now. But when I was a GM, but you know, you'd be after games, you'd be wa- walking in the restaurant like at the Center Ice Club in in Vancouver when I was an assistant GM, or if you had to go see a season ticket holder at the Platinum Club at the Air Canada Center, and some drunks would would accost you. I'm like, that's not part of my job description to be polite to a drunk who's giving me a hard time. I got news for you. It doesn't change in TV either. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the truth. Now I know that. Uh, I know, so I came in with that line from the fashion show from uh, from Slapshot. The uh, uh, the Billy Charles boy. Uh, it's actually Charlebois. Uh, the, how many times do you think you've seen that movie? I remember when it came out, and I had just played two weeks in Springfield in the American League. And there's a lot of that movie. I mean, Slapshot, when you watch it, a lot of that movie is very idealized. And, you know, they've taken all the poor points of hockey and made them look as bad as they possibly can. But the, the fighting was rampant then. The drinking was rampant then. And the smoking was rampant then. And I tell the stories in my book. My first practice, I was so proud. I never thought I'd get to play pro hockey. And I come off the ice after my first practice. It's 1130 in the morning. And it's a dingy old rink, the Big E, the Eastern States Coliseum or Exposition, whatever it is, in Springfield, Mass. And you can always smell horse manure because they had horse shows in there all the time. And there's this dingy dressing room, but the sun was shining and, and it was bright. The, the room was bright. I'm sitting next to Dennis Palafi, who was our captain. And I'm sitting there going, 10 years ago, I just started playing hockey. I am playing pro hockey. This is unbelievable. And I, I can't wait to call my dad and tell him I just had my first practice. I'm getting 200 bucks a game, and I thought it was a million dollars, right? And then two guys come in, Mike McMahon and Grant Cole come in, and Mike McMahon calls for the trainer, and he brings out two beer cups full of ice, like two big beer cups full of ice, not, no mix. He takes out a bottle of rye from the stall under where his skates go and fills up the cups with rye, and they toast each other, and they start drinking it. It wasn't even noon. I couldn't believe it. And and, and, and Pilo, uh, Dennis yeah. Palafi, sitting beside me, he's having a cigarette. Like, my first period of my first game, we were playing, I think, the Providence Reds. Seven guys lit up after the first period in the room. Ashtrays in the dressing room. Yep. Was it with the call of day? And, I, and I, I, Kevin just mentioned um, your book, Burke's Law, uh, a couple of seconds ago. And the reason I bring up Slapshot is you mentioned it early in the book when you're talking about those dying moments, 2007, Ducks are about to win the cup. What does your video coordinator or one of your video people say to you? Joe Trotta, who was our video guy. What do you mean one of our video coordinators? There's only one video coach back then. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Trotta 
leans in and says, and the Chiefs have won the championship of the Federal League. Right out of slap shot. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, Berkey. That's awesome. Fridge? You're a really social guy. You're a big-time family guy. You know, just the last couple of months and preparing for Christmas, how have the Burks been kind of handling it? The the girls are great. So Gracie's birth, Brendan's birthday was, was December 8th. And so that's a sad day for this household, obviously. But Gracie's birthday, amazingly, is also December 8th. So that makes a, an otherwise sad day a good day. So Marin, uh, Gracie just turned 15. Marin will be 17 soon. Uh, they seem to be doing really well. Uh, I did all their shopping, all the stuff I bought them, I bought online. I haven't gone into a store to buy any Christmas gifts. I'm just going to wrap them all up tonight. Uh, I think everyone's doing well. I have some days where I get down on the dumps a bit, but pretty well, I think. Bricky, tell us about Brian Burke growing up and Christmas. I remember you mentioned to me once that uh, that Christmas was never about things like sports equipment because that wasn't a present. That was something you needed to play. But what was Christmas around the Burks like? Uh, My dad traveled a lot, and there's 10 kids, so birthdays were not a big deal because my dad missed so many of them. So on your birthday, you got to pick what you wanted to eat, and you got to pick what kind of cake you wanted. So you could have a... A chocolate cake or a poppy seed cake or whatever, but that was it. You got this. I want steak for dinner and I want a poppy seed cake. So that was it. Not, no big gifts, no big deal. 10 kids, right? And the mom and dad, 12 birthdays, it's crazy. So Christmas was the big deal. And my parents would have a load of stuff under the tree. I mean, it, you'd laugh right now. Just imagine 12 people and say six, seven gifts per person. You know, even. Someone who's not very good at math can figure out that's a pretty big pile of presents and a big tree, big fire in the fireplace. And so Christmas was a big deal and a huge dinner. My mom would have to make two turkeys or a turkey and a ham. I remember the milkman, when we lived in Chicago, the milkman dropped off 14 half gallons of milk twice a week. So you imagine we could hear the glass clinking in the backyard for, it took him two, three minutes to download. Like all these things that you don't think about having 10 kids. So Christmas was a big deal. Now, my parents did give sporting equipment sometimes. I always felt it was unfair. Well, my favorite Christmas gift ever was I got Cooper 18s. I think I was trying to prepare for the show last night. I think it was 1971. I was 16 years old. I got a pair of Cooper 18s, which were like NHL quality gloves. So they went up to your elbows then, right? Up to my elbows. Yeah, the wrist guards went up to your elbows. And um, and I wore them for three years. Like they were, they grew. You know, I grew and they into them, but they fit me for three years. I had to get them repalmed eventually, but I thought that was the greatest gift I ever got. And then the next year or the same year, I got skates, but they weren't. No, it was the year before. I got skates, and I went down on a skate played in the Creek Valley at the outdoor rink, and I skated so much that they broke. The blade broke off the boot, Ooh. and so I went home and I. My dad says, "Come on," he took me up to. General Sports, which was the name of the sports store in our town, and he bought me a pair of tacks, my first pair of tacks. And I remember they cost $32. That was a lot of money back then. And my dad said, I'm not spending this money unless you promise me you're going to wear these skates out too, and I did. But I never gave my kids sporting equipment. I think that's, uh, if you're in a position to do it, I think that's something your kid needs, mm-hmm. and it should, shouldn't be under a Christmas tree. You, you should put you know, a pair of jeans or something else that they like under the Christmas tree. So my kids have never gotten sporting, like Patrick never got skates for Christmas. 
Bricky, for me, it's The Wonderful Life and Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Is there something that you watch every year around Christmas time and you won't miss? Uh, it's A Wonderful Life, uh, Die Hard 2, yeah. and then Miracle on 34th Street, which I think is a, a fabulous movie. Do you realize we just walked into the is Die Hard a Christmas movie debate? No. I'm not in the mood to debate this year. (laughs) So, Berkey, here's the question I always want to ask you. I love watching on TV. You're obviously a huge ad for what we do. Do you ever get off of after finishing a segment and say, boy, if I was the GM and somebody said that about me, I'd be calling them and killing them right now? Yeah, I, I see. When I started in broadcasting, so I, I worked for a rival competitor for a year back in 0405 during the lockout. And I did the World Cup for the CBC that year. I did the draft for the other competitor. And I had rules. Like, like when I came into this, I had rules. So I, I basically, I assume basic competence. Like if I'm going to rip a GM, I have to assume basic competence if he or she got that far. That's number one. Number two is I assume good intentions. I assume that they want to win as much as I want to win. And then three is, I assume that they have superior knowledge of their players. So if I'm going to rip Kyle Dubas for something he does, I've got to assume he knows that player a little better than I do. I can make a comment on how I put the roster together and so on. And then the basic rule is, my rule is, is there a nicer way to say this? Is it fair? And so to me, I've tried to avoid personal shots, which I really resented when I I'll give you an example. So I said that Joe Thornton is a duplication, right? And and, and I love Joe Thornton, but I, I think with Jason Spezza, it's a poor use of your last bit of cap space. I think you've got that guy in the room. And some idiot online writes back, well, this is the guy who gave Mike Komisarek, uh four years at $4 million or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's got a lot to do with Joe Thornton, you idiot. <laughs> what does that have to do? Yes, okay, I made some bad trades. I'll concede that right here. I made lots of them. When I speak publicly, people say, what's the worst trade you ever made? And I'm like, how much time do we have? I've made a lot of bad trades. But I'm like, what a stupid response. This <laughs> this moron. And so when I came into it, I said, okay, I'm going to assume basic confidence, assume good intentions, assume superior knowledge. Is there a nicer way to say this? Am I being fair? And that governs everything I do. So when I go after someone, you can bet your butt that I've thought hard about it. And, and thought, there is no nice way to say this. It's a stupid thing, and you got to call stupid, stupid. Just before we wrap up here, because we want to get to our next party guest, uh, Jeff, if you are not frightened enough by Brian Burke in real life, Brian Burke is now coming to you in animation. What are you two working on? Go ahead, Jeff. This is awesome. Uh, so we did a, a radio feature last year called Hey Berkey and listen the one thing about a couple of things about Brian one uh, he's got great stories most of them are even true Um, (laughs) and he delivers it in a really compelling way as well and I'm not sure whose idea this was might have even been Emil Delich our producer for the podcast who's also involved in this series actually Billy Duke approached me back in the spring about doing this project and I was more than happy to jump on and do it but they thought it'd be a good idea to animate some of these stories and release them um, the first one, as we uh, as we release this podcast, has been released as well. And no, the first episode drops Christmas Day. You can find that at our various social media channels. So, Hey Berkey is now an animated feature, uh, and the first oh, one boy. the first one revolves around Berkey, and you'll remember this well. 
the Ron Wilson Christmas contract tweets. Oh, which in your <laughs> in your words, Berkey, <laughs> was not the the wisest thing to do for the coach, was it? No, it backfired badly. <laughs> <laughs> Berkey, one th- one last thing for me before we let you go here. We know you um, for the uh, the Christmas trade freeze, uh, the week before the official week of no trading. I've always been curious. Has there ever been a general manager who has tested you on that? Anyone offer you, you know, uh, Le Cavalier for Moen? during the Brian Burke Christmas freeze. No, but I, I will tell you this. A lot of GMs were really sour about it. Like the ones that told me to my face or the ones that complained to Gary Bettman were like, you know, one team shouldn't have their own rules. It makes me look bad in front of my players. Hmm. And Gary's, Gary was like, well, then then do it. If you think this is will make you look good to your players, then do it. And But guys would come up to me and say, you're making me look bad to my players for no reason, just your grandstanding. And I said, I'm not grandstanding. It's a trade freeze. It's a real trade freeze. And I remember one year, I think I, Marcus Naslin asked me to do it on December 1st. I think we started on December 1st. So the European guys could book their flights and not worry about getting traded. I don't think players should get traded at Christmas time. This year's different. It's it's going to speed up now, I think. But I don't think players should get traded over Christmas. I don't think that's part of the deal. You are the opposite of the Christmas Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> well i like working with both you guys and everyone who's listening please have a safe and enjoyable holiday season berkey we're happy to have you and thank you for joining us today my man okay happy holidays guys so jeff we're about to close this podcast but first we want to welcome on our last official guest the producer of this podcast amal delich amal so like we said at the top Jeff, we initially came up with 52 people, and Amal, which he rarely does, put his foot down. Mm-hmm. So he said, that is insane. So we dropped it. I think the final ended up number being ended up like 23 or 24. But Amal, first of all, what can we buy you? Well, a Rolex watch would be nice. <laughs> Elliot, over to you. <laughs> yeah. But to start it off, I would, I would say... Uh, some some nice coffee. I, I've I've gotten to coffee quite a bit over the pandemic. Okay, you said yeah. coffee at the beginning, so we'll we'll get you some. Is, is this French press, or do you have a, a special machine at home? I've got a nice machine at home that we got with the new house. So uh, yeah. Okay. Do you hang on. Do you do you have a preferred bean? I'm a big fan of the co- the Kona yes. bean myself. What about you? Anything that will have me buzzing for a minimum of two hours is okay with me. Okay, high octane coffee for Amel. Done. Well, Amal, we just wanted to say thanks, uh, not only for this, because this was a massive undertaking and you did a lot of work on it, but for the whole year. You know, I, I like the year that, that we had on the podcast. We can always be better and we will aim to be better next year. But I, I was really generally happy with the year and you're a huge part of it. Uh, you make this go. One of Sportsnet's hardest working employees is Amal Delich, and I think a lot of people behind the scenes don't get the credit they deserve. And Jeff and I wanted to make sure that you did and that you know how much we appreciate the effort you put into this. I hope you and Joe in your new place have a great, great, great holiday. And I know you're taking next week off. Enjoy it. 
because we're going to grind you in the first week of 2020. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. I appreciate that, Elliot. And the reason why I don't put my foot down most times is because I have last edit on most things. So I just take things out because I can. And then I put it up and you guys can't say anything about it. <laughs> That's a good plan. I, I admire that. I have to tell you, I admire that. Look, buddy, this is, uh, Elliot and I have been consistent about this one from day one. This is not a two-person podcast. This is a three-person podcast. Uh, there's the river and there's the banks. We always focus on the river, but uh, the life happens on the banks. Thanks for being so much uh, of a big part of all of this, uh, echoing what Elliot uh, has to say. Thanks so much, pal. You're the best. I appreciate you guys. You guys crush it every single week. First of all, Fridge, we've reached the end of the podcast, and it's a miracle you're not slurring, considering how many how many jars of Lagavulin have you had so far? <laughs> Put it this way, the recycling bin is full. <laughs> I want to bring Carolyn Cameron back to the, to the podcast here, because she's a double triple threat she's an excellent broadcaster she also plays the trumpet and she also plays the ukulele yeah, yeah wait, wait, wait 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 i i you're carrying a ukulele carolyn i was expecting a trumpet where is the trumpet yeah so as i've been sitting patiently waiting for this party to end i unpacked my trumpet and one of the valves i can't get it unstuck which i'm sure is a common issue on this podcast I'm sure you've heard of that very often. So then I thought, oh, great. What am I going to do? I can't just show up with nothing. So it's the ukulele, which I taught myself. So don't don't have high expectations. Okay. So two things from that answer. Number one, the valve on my trumpet is stuck <laughs> is the new, the internet was out. I couldn't finish my homework. And second, there is no greater endorsement, Jeff, of this party we've had than as I was sitting around waiting for this party to end. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody throws a duller party than me and Free. That's right. Cameron. It's a busy time of year. I've got a lot to do around the house. Uh, I, yeah, like sorting out your sock drawer. I could either go to American Elliot's party or, you know what, these socks are a mess. I really have to do something about this drawer. Okay, so you've got the uke. How about a tune? Okay. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Let's do it. Do I have to sing too? Yes. Are you guys going to sing? No. <laughs> Not a chance. Pick a key, any key, Merrick. Let me just say, I, I know this has been a really hard year on everyone. I hope that in the last three hours, we've given you uh, some opportunities to have a good laugh with some of our uh, great people. The toughest thing for me, Jeff, about this year is just not socializing. I love the group of people I work with. I love shooting the breeze with them. I love ripping on each other. And I know a lot of you out there are the same. So all the best for your holiday season. Can't wait for a better 2021 with everyone. Jeff? Great words, Fridge. Uh, as we all know, ships are safest in harbor, but that's not what they're built for. Uh, we're all going to get through this. Be safe. Be well. Hope you can all be with loved ones. Uh, and things will be better. All the best to everyone here from 31 Thoughts, the podcast in 2021. Cameron, take us out. We wish you Merry Christmas. We wish you Merry Christmas. We wish you Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring to you and your kin. We wish you Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.
Oh, happy Hanukkah, Elliot. Sorry. Did you guys get that? Record that. Throw that in there. Is that fine? <laughs> <laughs>